0: a team. Uh, we're here with the third episode of the Two Towers podcast, a Middle Earth strategy battle game podcast. Uh, I'm Geordie. And I'm Albert. And on today's podcast,
1: we are going back to throw the dice uh, here in Geelong
0: for another 650
1: point tournament.
0: Yeah. Uh, the Wizard's Curse, it's called, this one. Um, and there's a, there's a lot going on, like extra rules and stuff. There are a lot of things going on. Before we get into the... Extra fluffy rules, which will
1: um, help to build the narrative over over the course of the day. A couple of kind of key things. Uh, I mentioned it was 650 points. I think it's three rounds. Yeah, three
0: rounds. Yep. And is it 16 players? Uh, so we had some ups and downs in the past week, but I think Dickie has said that it's consistently stayed at 16. We've mm. just had a few dropouts, but we luckily had a few reserve lists. Yeah. So I think yeah. last
1: time we said that it was definitely 16 and it ended up being 14, but this time it's definitely, definitely. Absolutely, going to, absolutely. 0% a chance that yeah. it has dropped. 16, 16. So um, the, the, the theme of the day is all about building a narrative around the unnamed heroes.
0: Yeah, the generic heroes of the list. So your captains, your kings.
1: Yeah, so bringing, giving them kind of a bit of a, a narrative throughout the day, depending on how they
0: fare. So, do you want to talk a little bit about how Dickie's kind of put this this together? Yeah, so he's drummed up this uh, advancement chart. So, he's got two of them. Uh, one of them is called the Champion Survivor Table. Oh, yeah, okay. And one of them's called the Death and Greed Table. I much prefer the Death and Greed as a title. <laughs> yes, that's right. i uh, because I knew one was called Death and Greed. I was like, ooh, what's the other one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Champion Survivors. That's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, do we just want to run through them and we'll talk about them yeah, at the I'm, end? I,
1: I guess, like, as an overview, basically, if if your hero survives, then you get to pick one of your your unnamed heroes and roll on the Survivor chart. That's right, yeah. And that kind of gives a positive buff. Um, this is kind of the theme of the, the um, buffs that you get. So, it's kind of like a... a a positive aura buff or a little buff um, for the character themselves. Whereas if your um, unnamed hero dies, you get to um, roll on the... What was it? The Death and Greed. The Death and Greed. The Death and Greed, which is a little bit more swingy. Like, it has potentially a little bit more power, Mm. but it's offset by kind of negatively um, buffing
0: the, the troops around you. Yeah, there's some debuffs that they'll apply to anyone nearby, or there's... Maybe a debuff that's applied to the character themselves or yeah. something along those lines. So glad you uh, remembered to say the hows and whys that they get this, because I definitely didn't. Um, <laughs> so we, the champion survivors table uh, on a one charge aura. Once per battle, a two inch plus one speed aura to friendly models must be declared at the start of movement phase. So after priority's been rolled.
1: So everyone within two inch of the hero gets to move an extra inch.
0: That's what I'm gathering. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. Yeah. So, it's like
1: an extended charge range, basically.
0: Yeah. Uh, and on a two, selfless defender, once per battle, can swap places with one other friendly infantry model in base contact just oh. before the fight roll takes place. So, that's is that Feely Killy's rule? Yes. yes. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> uh, number On a three, rather, defensive rally, once per battle, three inch, plus one defense aura. Mm. Must be declared at the start of the fight phase. I think that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. On a four, medic. Once per battle, this model can heal one wound to a friendly ally, including itself, that is in base-to-base contact at the end of the movement phase. Okay, cool. Um, So, on a five, Braveheart, which I know Dickie, he loves his Braveheart. Once per battle, three-inch plus one Courage aura must be declared at the start of the movement phase. Yeah. And on a six, Penetrating Charge. Once per battle, after this model has entered base-to-base with an enemy, the enemy models are then placed one inch away... So, they essentially have to back away. Um, Models in base-to-base with the charge model must fall back an inch. Oh, sorry, the charge model. So, spear supports also have to back away. Um, If there is no room for these models after placement, then the penetrating charge has no effect. So, you you can't penetrating charge a trap model. That seems fine. The charging model can then follow up the pushback models, should they choose to. Okay. So it's like a mini barge, basically. Yeah, you're just right. barging into them and then going a bit further, which can help you get to better, like, current combat spots or
1: potentially maybe
0: can open up another charge that otherwise wouldn't have been there in a straight shield wall.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, or I'm also thinking, like, in objective games, maybe you want True. to back people off a
1: Push objective. Them off the objective. Okay. Um, so. Um, there's some interesting ones in there. I would probably say that it's very dependent on like, what list you're running in terms yeah. of what is, is good for you.
0: Yeah, right? that, that's a good point. Um, like we'll get to it, but the courage one would be huge for my list. Like the yeah. plus one courage, I would need that against some armies. But Yeah, whereas if you're an elf army, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Well, right. um, so... so do you want to do the death and greed oh.
1: table? I'll give it a crack. Absolutely. This is... I, I really like some of
2: these. these <laughs> there's these have some got power some, in here. There's
1: some power in here. There's definitely, <clears throat> you know, going to be some careless uh, moves with some unnamed heroes in the hopes of rolling a few uh, select numbers here. Okay. So, the Death and Greed chart. So, on a one, mob boss uh, gets plus one fight when is in a combat uh, that you outnumber your opponent. It's a one-inch aura and friendly models within that one inch uh, have minus one movement.
0: Ooh, minus one movement's big.
1: Yeah. Okay, so two strange growth plus one wound cannot be spear supported in combat. Okay, so it's an okay. interesting kind of trade off. Yeah. Point. Yeah. Uh, then on a th- uh, three shadow walk plus two movement friendly models within three inches are at minus two courage.
0: Minus two courage Yeah. because plus two movement's huge. That I, is, I would not mind this huge. one. I would love minus this one. Minus two
1: courage. That's huge put this on my mounted hero, please <laughs> and i'll have a little asphaloth a little asphaloth of your own yeah uh, um, okay so on a four berserker this is one of the Oof. big ones <laughs> plus yep <laughs> plus two attacks must charge the closest model if possible after each combat a friendly mo- that a friendly model is base to base or in the same combat they take one hit from this model the Berserker player chooses which model is hit. Yeah. Um, on a five, you get Soul Trapper. Every turn, this model kills a model. This model gains plus one might. Two-inch aura of friendly models, a minus one fight. I will take a I'll minus take one that. fight any take of the week.
0: I, I get an Aragorn in my list, and all it costs me is minus one fight to some chaff. It's so
1: it's essentially blood and glory, but every time you kill anything. anything. Which is insane. Definitely yep. uh, <laughs> <laughs> chasing that one. And six paymaster, two charges, so you get to do this twice per game. Spend one charge to make an enemy infantry model in the same combat. Choose to shield instead of attacking if possible. Should the enemy win the combat, this model is knocked
0: down for its next turn. Yeah, I like this one just gets you out of sticky situations. Like it doesn't have the power of um, the the previous two. No. But if you've got your generic hero trapped by like six models, well, guess what? He gets to live that turn. And that's just like a huge tempo play because for them to get you in that position probably costs them something else somewhere on the battlefield. And especially
1: if you're playing a scenario like Assassination where that might be the target.
0: Yeah, because I think we've got a fog of war going. Which, I think we do. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. this will be huge. Yeah. Just two free turns of this model does not die.
1: Yeah. So those are the two <laughs> tables. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts overall? I, I thought before we saw these, I was a bit worried like that they were going to be super swingy. And look, Berserker <laughs> with two, plus two attacks is pretty insane. Yeah. Um, like... If I were to roll that up on uh, one of my heroes, which we'll cover in a little while, it would be possibly the most OP unnamed characters in the game. Uh, yeah, but so, I guess I guess the limiting factor is that it is for unnamed heroes. Yeah, so.
0: I like first of all, I like tournaments that focus on generic heroes. I think there's another one run in um, Melbourne. I think Kylie might run this one, but anyway, um, so I, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for some generic hero love. Um, like yourself, I was very worried coming into this what Dicky might write up because mm. um, when you've got no limitations, you know maybe you just go a little crazy. Um, I think for the most part, it's pretty grounded. Like the buffs, particularly in the champion, champions table, mm. are very minimal, mm. but they're still going to be useful. Mm. It's like it's just like an extra tool in the box. Yep. Um, some of the buffs in the Death and Greed, the the counterbalance is there, like the the mob boss. That seems like pretty good, but the the debuff for it is also quite like I I rate that debuff quite high against yeah, it. Yeah,
1: I agree. Uh, but same thing with the strange growth. Like I like that you get plus one wound, but you can't yeah. be spear supported.
0: And so look, plus one wound on what would probably be like a defense seven. Like most generics are pretty tanky, right? True. Like a defense seven model, like that's massive. Yeah. But of yeah. course, you lose your spear support. Yeah. Which. You know, you can counteract that by having the spearmen just charging the combat as well, but there's a big difference putting an infantry on the line and not. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And then we get to the big ones, which they're going to make the games fun and interesting, and they're going to give us something to play against. Yeah. Or give our opponent something to play against if we get so lucky. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah.
1: What What I like about it as well is that... <laughs> yeah. um, Like, I've lent really heavily into the no-name heroes in my my list. And I just assumed that everyone else was going to. Me too. (laughs) And then we saw the list reveal and it was like, no, there's going to be some Aragorns and some big heavy hitters. But the cool thing about these these special rules is that uh, you have a a potential for a nobody to go toe-to-toe with an Aragorn or an Imrahil or, you know, whoever it might be. And that really changes the dynamics of how that opponent then plays against you.
0: When when you've got like a 60-point model, let's say, let's just go, we've got a Gondor Captain and he's got plus two attacks. He's going to kill just as quickly as Aragorn. Yeah. Um, Which just, you've got this 160 in the 60 and suddenly he has to go headlong into it. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just going to completely change the way they would normally play against this model. So um, those
1: are there any other of the special rules that you wanted to, to talk about? I think that's probably the the key ones, right?
0: Yeah, so I think that's the big one, which is that blood and glory equivalent, but yep. also for infantry yep. uh, and then the, the the berserk, which is pretty mental. but the rest, yeah they're pretty okay, I think. So I think that covers it for the advancement uh, chart. but for
1: you, the listeners, for context' sake. Um, we will uh, put these uh, charts up on our Instagram. Yes, good just, call. Just to help when we're doing the interviews, I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of banter about what what, <laughs> what each absurd person heroes was, was, come up was bringing. <laughs> um, so you can go and kind of fact check uh, what what those buffs actually mean if if um, if you get forget what they are. Yeah. Um, and we promise, this is this is a two towers promise here, we've got going on the record, uh, we've had a little bit of feedback, uh, which has been great. Yep. Absolutely yep. love here it. Here for it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, chuck us a DM, uh, send us an email, send out carrier pigeons, um, however you want to do it, uh, that people want to see more images to oh, go interesting. Yep, with the... the um, the interviews that we're doing, yeah, and definitely. also um, just kind of more shots of the armies, etc. So, um, we're definitely going to up our picture game That's right. for this That's episode. Right. Um, so, uh, definitely go and check out the, the Instagram. We'll have full list breakdowns of our armies. Um, we'll also have, we'll um, have...
0: Turn by turn, we'll have photos of every single model, whoa, 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 every... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, maybe not? No, no, no. All no, right. Right.
1: no, no, no. Let's let's aim low. <laughs> and then overachieve. No. Um, so but definitely go and check out the, the Instagram. Um, there'll be there'll be plenty of content. Yeah, we'll definitely
0: that. we'll definitely get some snaps, a couple per game. Um, that way you can see, you know, our army against theirs and, mm. and you can see the context of, of what we're talking about in those interviews. Yeah. Which definitely needed. Definitely. Yes um that covers all the tournament sort of aspects of it but uh albert what do we bring into these tournaments
1: yeah let's um let's jump in and, and talk through the list
4: a new power is rising its victory is at hand
0: The new power is rising. And its hobbying is at hand. So, speaking of hobbying, Albert, there is a lot that you've done with this army. <laughs> um, do you want to talk us through first the list and uh, what's going on? Yeah, okay.
1: So, I'll start with the theme for the list. Yep. So, the idea for the list, um, I, I, when I saw that there was um, buffs for no-named heroes, I made the decision I wasn't going to run a single-named hero yep. from the start. Yep. Yeah. Um, I had uh, got in touch with um, Medbury Miniatures. I've yep. recently become a Patreon member. Um, he's a 3D sculptor that specializes in uh, Lord of the Rings. Yep. Um, and he said, hey, do you want some uh, of my Northern Kingdoms uh, miniatures? Yes. And now,
0: the Northern Kingdoms, is that the sort of Arnold? R0- Looking, yeah, Arnold esque type. Yeah, it's Arnold
1: esque, and I, the thing that I love um, about um, Medbury is that his designs are grounded mm-hmm. in historic kind of research, yeah, yeah, um, which I feel very much complements Weta's design approach as well, right? Very much so, yeah. So, even though aesthetically they are completely different to anything that GW has designed or was in the films, they still feel very Middle Earth very Tolkien. Yeah, you know, cuz in their aesthetic.
0: So, just looking at it it's like very much like this could it could be real. Yeah. But it it does display like that fantasy element much like, you know, what we see in the Lord of the Rings movies is, you know, this armor could be real. Yeah. But it's still like got that fantasy feel. Yeah.
1: Yeah, low fantasy feel yeah. or like mid fantasy, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, whatever you want to call. It. So, um, that was a kind of a starting point and I thought, yeah, I absolutely I absolutely want to use these um, models. Um, and, uh, I, but I didn't just want to run Arnold and I, th- I've been looking over the old source books, uh, recently and the fall of Arnor book in particular is one of my favorite supplements. And there's one page in there, which is the Rangers of the North teaming up with, um, the dwarves of the blue mountains in a, like a last stand around this inn.
0: Yeah. Which just that. sounds wicked. It's, it's
1: such a great image and I wanted to do something similar to that, but, my own kind of take on it. So, the theme of this list is um, the Prince of Cardolan. Now, Arnor, for those that aren't kind of aware, um, when Arnor kind of fell from grace, it split into three different kingdoms. Yep. Yeah. Dane in the north, Rudaror in the east, yep. and Cardolan in the south. So, Cardolan and Arthedain kind of, they stayed the course the longest. Yep. Uh, and, and the Rudoir joined the winning side. <laughs> True, true, <laughs> true. So, uh, the the idea of the list is the Prince of Cardinal, so he's in the south, is making a trade deal with the dwarves of the Blue Mountains. Yes. So, these two forces are kind of meeting on semi-neutral ground, like they're meeting outside and in to discuss how they can, you know, become trade partners. Yes. Yeah. Um so that's that's the basic premise of the list. In order to represent Cardolan, I'm not actually using the profiles of Arnor. Yeah. Um, which
0: actually makes sense when you when you explain it a bit more. Yeah. Yeah,
1: because so my idea is that you know you've got Arthur Dane in the north, which is kind of the high seat of yeah, Arnor. Yeah. And Cardolan is has a little bit more kind of middlemen, like it's close to Dunlan, they've got more influence from from that middlemen um aspect. So, I, I didn't want these warriors to be elite. So, I thought, actually, let's go with the King of Men.
0: Because, again, I don't want to use King Arvadui. Yeah. Um, first of all, named hero. But then, yeah. second of all, Arvadui represents... Somebody in Middle-earth.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I wanted this to be kind of... This is, this is very much, you know, my own head headcanon. So, I didn't want it to be any proxying of named characters. So, I wanted a King of the Men. I don't understand why Arnor doesn't have King of Men in the list. Very true. <laughs> but it kind of works because I wanted um, troops that weren't as elite. So, I've gone with uh, Minas Tirith. So, it's King of Men. A uh, handful of warriors of Minas Tirith. Minas Tirith. Um, and the King of Men is mounted, and he's got the full kit, heavy armour, lance, shield, the whole shebang. Uh, So he's got a little uh, entourage of uh, knights that follow him around as well.
0: A couple of jousters, yeah.
1: And then on the Dwarven side, the Dwarven contingent is actually a little bit Larger, I'm thinking because they're traveling further from their kingdom, they'd probably have a little bit more of a a posse Mm. going. So the idea for the the list is very much kind of the dwarf king and his um, kind of house huskals. So he's got his heavy armored lads around him. Uh, So a handful of Khazard guard, um, a handful of uh, dwarves with shields. And then he's brought along his king's champ because you never leave home without your king's champ. Um, and he's leading the the lighter armoured entourage of, you know, a handful of rangers and some iron guard as well. Yeah, yeah. So the, the idea behind the list is very much trying to represent this, you know, fictitious moment. But, you know, in, in my mind, it's perfectly reasonable that this this could have occurred at some point.
0: Oh, it absolutely like would have occurred. Whether it was Blue Mountains and Cardolan or, like, whether it was just, like, Arnor and, and the yeah. dwarves or whether. Because there's, there's definitely, like, um, alluded to in the lore that, like, the Easterlings traded with the dwarves. And yeah. so, if the Easterlings were trading with dwarves, it absolutely stands to reason that the men of the West were doing the same thing. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. you've got the best, like, armorers in, in the world, in Middle-earth. And, you know, like, you're going to take advantage of that if they're... If they're willing to trade, especially
1: if you're uh, fighting a losing war against the Witch King, that's it. <laughs> Take it where you can get it. Um, so that's that's the idea of the list. I've I've probably only managed to squeeze in um, one or two practice games, so I don't really know how the list operates, but I don't really care because I really like the look of the the armies. the The dwarves have a couple of kind of key conversions in there as well, so. Um, the King's Champ and his Heralds are um, two, uh, what, three models that, that are heavily converted. Um, yeah. Which are some
0: of my favourites. Oh, yeah, these guys um, I've actually seen a few times on the tabletop and they're, they're absolutely gorgeous. And I could tell exactly who they were. Mm. Um, and it's the King's Champion himself as well because he's going absolutely ham.
1: Yeah, well, because I always thought that the, um, like the G Dub model is a lovely model of the King's Champ, but I feel like he doesn't necessarily represent the fact that this guy is an absolute berserker. Yeah. So, the base model that I went with was um, the old Dwarf Captain without a shield. I think this one came in the old D'Agostini mags, yeah. I want to say. I think it's like an exclusive there. And he he has that kind of classic, um, over this way lads... Uh, And so, I chopped his leg and changed the angle that he... So, kind of refaced the way that he was um, leaning. So, he went from kind of leaning backwards to then being in a sprinting position. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. This will make sense when you kind of see the the photos on on Instagram. Um, And then gave him an extra axe. So, he's really going, um, you know, going ham. Uh, And then the the two heralds, uh, two guard that I bought in a big um, eBay lot and you know uh, if anyone's bought Khazard Guard you'll know that the, the axe heads yep. have a tendency to want to snap um, so I used these guys and, and put some banners on and then some, some big beefy shields on their back again I never really liked the G-Dub uh, models of the Heralds with the way that they were holding yeah, the shields yeah because they're like
0: holding a shield with one head and then holding this huge ass banner with the other like it's rested on their shoulder so it physically yeah. could happen but it's just like that's yeah, I don't quite get it either. Even even the sh- like holding the shield at full stretch as
1: well, like that's a real heavy shield to be holding at full. Arm yeah, extension.
0: I think I know why they did it, and I like the the concept that they had was the, the the king's champ just went in, balls to the wall, and the the heralds had to like <laughs> jump in wait, to to, wait. to get his sides. But yeah. um, yeah. But I, I definitely agree, and these guys, I would if these were the official models. I would not be, I would absolutely love that over the, the ones that I've got.
1: Ah, well, thank you. Um, so, I think, so the, the dwarves are all in, a, in my dusty blue scheme. Um, and then Arnor is uh, in my kind of autumn ready brown scheme. So,
0: yeah, and, and sort of good jump there. Because, like, apart from the King's Champ, the rest of the dwarves are just as they come, right? Pretty much. There's a couple of very minor like
1: repositioning of dwarf axe hands. Oh, yeah. Like very minor conversions. And then like a little bit of freehand here and there on dwarf shields. But apart from that, they're they're pretty standard. Um, These were one of the first armies that I painted when I got back into the hobby a few years ago. Um, And uh, so I think my paintings probably come a little bit further since then, but I still really... Really love putting these guys down on the table. Oh,
0: holds up for sure. Yeah, so with the Arnor, I know we, we mentioned that they were 3D prints, but sort of how did that go for you and, and what did you do with them?
1: So, this was really interesting. So, um, Andrew from uh, Medbury Miniatures, as I said before, he sent down all of the um, the first kind of batch of troops and then I got a second batch printed locally. It's pretty much the same as dealing with a Forge world model. Like, it's highly detailed, mm-hmm. resin. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that regard, um, it was really painless. Um, the models are proportioned like the old Perry sculpts were. Yeah, yeah. So they they feel very familiar when I was painting them. Um, the detail, like I say, is so crisp and you're just able to... Um, like I've never actually found it easier to paint eyes. I hate yeah, painting eyes. And, but the way that he sculpts these models actually make it a joy to paint eyes. I never thought I would say that. <laughs> um, so, that was, that was kind of like a, a, an interesting um, boon. But the, these guys um, were painted in this autumnal scheme. So, it's kind of a ready brown yeah. um, with dashes of cream fabric in there as well. And obviously, the armor. Um, and, uh, so they'll fit in with my broader Arnor force that I have. I've got an army that's probably dysfunctionally large now for, for Arnor, but, um, they, they have their own kind of heraldry and insignia on their shields, which are really cool as well. Um, which, which gives them a little bit more flavor and a little bit more character. And the thing that I actually enjoyed painting the most, which again, apart from the eyes, uh, very surprising, were the horses. Yeah. Um, which, are, again, one of those kind of pain points that I always find really difficult, um, and I'm sure a lot of other people find difficult. So the, kind of there's a couple of elements that made it really easy. Number one, the detail on the muscularity.
0: <laughs> yes. I was going to say, I'm, I'm holding one now, and the, the musculature is really good.
1: And I think, I might be wrong, but I think that... Um, Andrew's partner works with horses, and ah, so he okay. has a lot of exposure to them. Yeah, and it really shows in terms of their um, their overall um, the the design of them. Um, I painted these with an airbrush, which mm-hmm. um, made it very easy. Again, <laughs> um, yeah, I think I probably could have pushed the contrast a little higher on them, but I was just so happy with getting them done to a base level that I was like, I'm just going to leave them there because I I was happy with just the the minimal effort and the lack of frustration.
0: The minimal effort but the the terrific outcome.
1: Yeah. Oh, look, they're they're great and they kind of, they work really well on, on the table and it all kind of it is a cohesive unit. So um, it was really lovely of Andrew to to reach out. He sent me this box of models for for free, um, even though I you know ah. support him on Patreon. But um, I don't. I, at the time, I didn't have a three D printer, and so he sent these all down and just said, "Look, paint them up, put them on your Instagram, and um, and that'd be awesome." So like it was super nice of him to do that. Well, and, and
0: now they're on not only your Instagram the Two Tails podcast Instagram, which is just, surely it's just popping off and, at this And day. now we're talking about it on a podcast, so I feel vindicated <laughs> yeah.
1: in shilling uh, in enough to, to, to justify that. No. Um, but no, it's, uh, they, they were really lovely and I can't wait to, to paint some more um, of them because this, this was just done specifically for, for this list, but I, I've got a, um, a, a box of more models to, to get through as well.
0: Well, and speaking of things that you've done for this list... Bloody hell, there is a lot of effort put into this display board. Do you want to tell <laughs> yeah, sure.
1: myself and sure. the audience all about this? So, we didn't mention it in the, um, in the intro section, but there, mm. there is prizes for best display board for the tournament. Um, I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> no, no awards for best painted. Um, so, um, no one will be up for winning another beginner paint set, unfortunately. Mm, yeah. Um, but, uh, if you don't get that reference, go back and listen to episode one. Um, but so the display board, like I was saying with the theme of the army, the, the theme is around, um, these two forces meeting outside, uh, the forsaken inn. So I built, uh, a small inn. It's very, um, discreet and humble. Uh, and it's basically outside the, the, the Greenway, the Great Eastern Road kind of cuts yeah. across the board, um, and I wanted to try and kind of um, bookend the display board. So I've got um, the inn on one side yeah. uh, and then kind of a rocky outcrop with some trees um, on the other side, so you get this kind of backdrop yeah. as you're looking at it.
0: And some sneaky dwarves. And some sneaky dwarves. Yes.
1: Yeah. Of course, of course. Um, So, in terms of the way that I put this together, um, I really love building uh, terrain by hand and from foam. So, the inn is pretty much all handmade um, from foam. So, there's kind of a stone level and then the wattle and daub um, up above that. So, I've taken
0: a brush and textured the foam to look like timber. Um, and, and that actually kind of blew my mind when you pointed that out because on appearance you just go, oh, he's got some balsa in there yeah yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. and then you were like, no, it's fine so I had a little, yeah. copped a little feel and, yeah. and I was blown away because the thing that I find with
1: balsa is like it's, it's good but there, there's a certain point when the, the grain is kind of a little bit too fine yes for, and so, when you when you use the brush technique over foam, you get kind of a more exaggerated timber grain, yeah, which takes a dry brush much easier. So, you, you know, it's a little less work to, to get it to, to look like, I guess,
0: timber. Well, well, that's what you need is you need the appearance of wood. You don't exactly. actually need it to be wood. So, exactly. Yeah.
1: exactly. So, um, the only thing that is not made out of foam are the windows, uh, which I laser cut, Um just because of the pain to get oh, that kind detail of would be diamond grid yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And then the the roof, the shingles on the roof was also um, laser cut. Uh, and that's just, again, kind of a time-saving thing. Um, so that's kind of like a, a strip of shingles and then just lay it up yeah. uh, one on top of another. But I was super happy with the way that it's um, all come together. Like it's it's one of those things where you have an idea in your head and you're not sure if it's going to actually come off. And it's kind of, it, you know, every project changes as you start it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the board itself is probably a little bit too big. Like, looking at it at the moment,
0: <laughs> there's well, a lot of space. It's so. very funny that you mentioned that. Because I was going to say, yeah, the, the board's terrific. It was it was definitely better. Like, when you told me the idea, I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to look sick. And it does look better than even I had pictured it as well. But the the space thing is really funny. Because, like you said, you've framed it. So, the in so, the, the board goes for, yeah, far beyond where the miniatures go. Mm. But the inn is what sort of, like, closes it off. Yeah. Because where the inn yeah. is, we stop looking at the negative space that's that's there. Although, yeah. I will point out that there's a few little bits and bobs to, to show that the inn's, like, sort of lived in. Like, so wheel, is that a wheelbarrow I'm looking yeah, at? Yeah.
1: So, we've got a little wheelbarrow and a
0: couple of haystacks. Just a which couple is, of, Which is great. Yeah. Small yeah. details. Yeah. Um, but then it encloses, and the same with that back ridge, it encloses... The bit that we're actually meant to be looking at, mm. which is kind of probably what you would say is the correct size board for the amount of models that you've got. That's that's a good point.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I I, I basically had a uh, a piece of MDF that was this big, and that's how big this <laughs> paperboard <play> is <laughs> going to be. There wasn't much more science, and like I picked up the the base of the building and it was like, yeah, that'll fit very comfortably on this. Okay, cool. Let's just make it this size and Dumb. go with it. Um, so really happy with the results. The flocking, um, again, is like my favorite part of any project because mm. um, up until you put down the foam flock and the different colors and a little extra rock and some clump foliage, yep. Like, yep. that just adds the layers of texture and realism to the ground cover, which um, makes it feel, again, like it's actually a kind of a believable scene. So Yeah, it, um, it
0: pulls it all together, 100%.
1: So no, really, really happy, happy with with the way that it um, it turned out, and I don't know what I'm going to do with this after the tournament, um, but um, figure that out uh, at a later date. Uh, yeah. yeah, I might might reuse the the house as part of like a terrain set, um, but we'll see,
0: we'll see. Well, Albert, there's a there's a red elephant in the room with your army, isn't there?
1: I know, I know, um, the 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 thematic list that I have taken is, uh, by Games Workshop standards, completely unthematic. Very unthematic. And that I should be punished for my unthematic ways. Uh, so um, this is a red alliance.
0: Yes, the impossible allies yes, of the dwarves and men. It's
1: impossible to conceive of these two forces ever, in the history of Middle Earth, coming together for common cause.
0: Yeah, and. I think, look, overall, the Allies chart, I think, is a positive for the game because sure. it, it stops or at least attempts to hinder those absolutely egregious armies. Like, I'm thinking Lady Galadriel with Boromir and a bolt thrower <laughs> um, is one that comes to mind that I've read <laughs> in full sincerity. Um, but there's the counter to it where suddenly this sort of theme from the ground up yeah. becomes a lot harder to display yeah. in-game.
1: Yeah, and so... So this is interesting. Before we started this episode, and this actually is going back away, you were talking about an an article that you had read, yeah, um, on the GBHL, which was talking about how legendary legions are basically kind of shoehorning people into optimized theme yeah. choices, as opposed to promoting perhaps more creative endeavors of Create, you know, making theme lists. So this is a very creative... Um, well, I say that. I think, <laughs> I think that, that there's been a lot of creativity in cooking up this yeah. scenario. Yeah,
0: right. the, the article was oh, maybe a week or two ago. I can't quite remember. But yeah, it sort of just brought up that point of... Um, look, Legendary Legions are great because they encourage theme. But they encourage... A specific theme and they're mm. not encouraging it for themes sake mm. they're encouraging it for gameplay sake yeah mm. which is which is kind of the antithesis of what theme based armies are supposed to be right yeah. like yeah. the um the new banishes of the necromancer oh yeah so yeah they came out swinging with these buffs and now you see in our in like the t- sort of tournament meta A bunch of people want to play the Vanquishers of the Necromancer. Mm. Which, it's like, the White Council's been an option for years and years. And so now the theme of those guys is coming through. Great. But it's coming through because it's correct.
3: Mm.
0: As opposed Mm. to sort of drumming up your own theme, which, you know, we've both done um, with our armies today.
1: I think the, the, the issue that I have with Legendary Legions is that, and you you mentioned this before, they are representing a very specific moment that is either described in the books mm. or in the films. And outside of that, we know that there are so many other things that occurred. And so it kind of narrows the lens of what is deemed competitive and thematic um, to, to the point where... Um, you know you're going so far into the suboptimal choices as to be you know taking yourself out of the race
0: yeah like to a certain extent um, not that this is true yet but not taking a legendary legion I think you're playing with like you know not one hand tied behind your back per se but you're definitely playing down yeah um, and I like what you said, how it, it fixates on a particular moment rather than, like, the existence of something. Yeah. Because not that we want to help the Rangers of Athelion in any way, shape, or form. <laughs>
1: oh, they've been nerfed. They're fine
0: now. <laughs> but it, but it's exactly that. Like, it doesn't show the Rangers of Athelion yeah. anymore. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm happy it doesn't, but, like, just for theme's yeah. sake. Now, it shows the ambush at Athelion where Frodo, Sam, and Gollum are also present.
5: Yeah.
1: Or it shows the moment where they actually went away from the source material and took them to Osgiliath, which, you know, uh, let's not go into that. But like, I I would have preferred a more generic, when I say generic, you know, spanning more time. So Mm, mm. I would have loved kind of a defense of Osgiliath uh, Legendary Legion which put more focus on asgillith veterans
0: who don't see any table time <laughs> who would love to see some time <laughs> in the in the sunshine.
1: So, you know, and that, but that's that's the kind of thing where um, I I think legendary legions have a tendency to be too narrow in scope.
0: Yes. So, as as much as they're thematic, they 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 represent a moment rather than I guess a theme, mm. you know, like they're
4: like,
1: Rohan's the perfect example, right? They've got five legendary legions and therefore no one takes vanilla Rohan anymore.
0: No, because why, why would you? you? If you're going foot Rohan, you take the Helm's De- uh, Defenders of Helm's Deep or Theodred's Guard. Yep. If you're going Riders of Rohan, well, you go Riders of, of Theoden. Théoden, or yeah. if for some reason you want Gandalf there, Riders of Aemir. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: th- that's it. And, and I kind of get it for something like Helm Hammerhand. Um, where he is of a different era, and so you don't want to have a different army list, but you want to have something that creates some flavor around it being Rohan during a different time period. Like, yeah,
0: I, I like I, that. Well, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's sort of a good representation of what of what you're trying to convey here. Mm. Of here's a time period thing. Yeah, this is what ex- like this is what exists in the lists yeah. that you would want to make. Yeah. So we're we're like defenders of Ozgilius to get that you would go you know here's Faramir, blah 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 and these are the troops available to you so like you lose the the Citadel guard and you yeah. lose the the Fountain Court guard yeah but it, as a trade off you'll get some sort of buffs to your ozvets vets yeah now while we're fixating on Ozgilius who knows but I think they're a good example I think that I
1: think it's a good example now. I think that covers it for my army. You've also got an alliance, though, but you're... you're um, I'm much- in the green, baby. Yeah, you're, you're a good
0: student. <laughs> so, um, but of course, funnily enough, the theme that I am actually bringing is uh, very dissonant to the theme that, that I'm supposed to be. Yeah,
3: sure.
0: Um, so, I've brought... Technically, I've brought um, the Dark Powers of Dolguldur. Yeah. And they're allying in the Azog's Hunters. Okay. Um, now, I say ally, it's a single warband, so it's a, it's a very tight alliance. Um, so, o- overall, I've just got, like, a whole host of Castellans. Mm. That was basically the driving force of this. Is I wanted a list built around Castellans initially, um, so I wanted to fit as many as I could, but still have it play kind of like a normal army in most respects. Mm. Um, what was the driving
1: force behind... Uh, the Castellans being the starting point?
0: Well, so I've always wanted to run a Castellan army, but the play pattern of Castellans is actually quite dull. Okay. You go, I've got the absolute linebackers of, uh, of a front line. Yeah. Can you kill me or can you not? And yeah. then we see who wins just purely on that. Um, but what I think this tournament let me do is because, of course, Castellans are generic heroes. Mm. So now... I get to have a little bit of fun with Castellans. They're no longer just, can you kill me or not? Mm. I'm going to have like a berserker Castellan <laughs> running around oh, chopping up. God. Or I'm going to have this Castellan who's like a leader and is a bit more important to protect. Yeah. So suddenly it's not, I've got, I think, I think, eight Castellans. It's not eight Castellans, it's now seven Castellans and the leader. Yeah, yeah. So there's a bit more fun to be had, I think. But in saying that, after having built the army, um, I think it wouldn't be that boring to play as... Baseline, because mm. the uh, the elements that aren't Castellans are kind of fragile, or they're quite like I don't know glass cannony and complementary in that way. Mm. Um, but let's not go too in depth there yet. Um, yeah, let's
1: talk about the theme. So, so what's the what's the the driving force behind? So you, we we've got the Castellans in there, but what's what's the overall theme behind <coughs> uh, how this list came about?
0: So I'm kind of picturing um, what's happening here is sort of after the, the banishment of the necromancer himself from Doguldur, mm. you know, a bunch of the orcs just sort of went and wandered the wilds and, you know, the Castellans were sort of left in Doguldur to sort of rot or whatever, I guess. And, and so what sort of happened here is that there's, you know, a power vacuum. Mm. So somebody's going to come in and, you know, fill that role that the, the necromancer had been providing so, you know, the orcs of the region and the and the foul creatures of the region. Mm. Um, so, we've had this mysterious um, sort of shade come into town, the Dark Emissary. Mm. And he's not necessarily filled the vacuum of like Dolgodor itself because it's a bit conspicuous at the moment as far as, you know, the Mirkwood elves, they're probably keeping tabs. But he's sort of got these like... He's just sort of found his way around the forest and he's collected all these sort of... Um, Orcs to follow him and he's gone into Dol Guldur and he sort of like reinvigorated the Castellans mm. and got them to come out. Um, and coupling alongside him, there's another, uh, little spirit that I've got going on and I'm just going to call him the Revenant. Um, mm. so he's, he's just sort of like this, the, the way that I see it, he's just sort of this like out once was an elf and sort of got, you know, downtrodden in some way, probably torched in the pits or something like that. And, yeah, cool. and he sort of come back for some sort of revenge, um. Such full spirit, very vengeful spirit. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah, I like it. So, there's a lot of uh, proxies in the army as well. So because you you've got Gundab- Gundabad orcs. But yes. You're not using the official models.
0: Very very good point. So there's a lot of um proxies and like counts as here. Yeah. So as good as those Gundabad uh, orcs look. They definitely don't sort of fit with what's going on here, like a bunch of disparate orcs just sort of mm. um, meandering in the in the forest of Merkwood. Like, you wouldn't walk around in full armor clad. Um, so the, I, the I, elves I elves would hear you coming. Oh away. yeah. So I wanted to sort of tone down as far as like armor and everything, but I still wanted like this big, burly sort of orc to fit the role and. I, you'll see it in the, in the photos, dear listener, that it's it's quite a gloomy piece and that's we'll talk about in a sec. But I wanted a model that fit that and like the sort of like most drab, most like, yeah, gloomy looking orc is the Mordor Urukai.
1: Yeah. Some of the best models that I think GW have ever produced for evil models in terms of capturing, how do you, like, there's a fine art in capturing... Menace and emotion in a static mm, pose. That's it.
0: Like they're menacing. Yeah. I, I mean, a couple of them are pretty upfront about it, but yeah. it's the, like the one that I'm picturing in my head is that one with the big machete at his side. Yeah. He's looming. Yeah. Like that guy means business. Yeah.
3: yeah.
0: But he's not outright about it. It just looks he's so good. He's not waving good. his
1: cutlass around. He's not waving his machete around. Like he is just. He just has He's, a presence. He'll get to you when he gets to you. <laughs> and when he does, that's it. You're done. Lights out. Um, no, totally. And so you mentioned that there's this real gloomy theme and definitely picking up on that, um, like looking at the display board and the models together. So what was your approach um, in terms of um, trying to, to get this kind of gloomy feel uh, across the whole army?
3: Yeah,
0: so sort of once I had sussed out what the whole army was gonna be, that I knew I wanted castellans and a bunch of like random, you know, mishmash of everything else, what I pictured was that they were in the forest and it was just so thick and so dark that just sort of no light was actually getting through to them. Mm, mm. And I wanted to paint that idea onto the models Mm. and, and as you said, onto like the display base and the bases themselves. So, what I did was essentially everything is monochromatic. Mm-hmm. So, we've got blacks and whites across the board, and that's including the bases. Mm. Um, so, I wanted there to be, like, you know, not, not a real, like, share, like ounce of colour, um, except for the, the metal on the armour, mm-hmm. um, the sort of mushrooms and stuff on the bases. And there's a few uh, choice bits of uh, OSL uh, painted on as well.
1: Yeah, yeah so let's... let's. Uh, so we've talked about the castles, we've talked about the orcs a little bit, but there's some really interesting kind of elements um, beyond just those. Um, so uh, did you want to talk about the, the guys on the big bases?
0: So, yeah, we'll jump to the big bases, but actually... There's something interesting with this army with the bases themselves. Um, So, the bases of each model is actually a 3D printed uh, base that I've got. Mm. Which is, first of all, it's the first time I've used 3D prints. Mm. Um, And then, yeah, secondly, like to have a 3D printed base as well. Mm. Because what I wanted to convey is that like absolutely leaf littered floor of of Mirkwood. Mm. Um,
1: And it kind of like, it's almost like rotting... Exactly, right? Like, yeah, it's this element yeah. of decay to it. Like, it's not a healthy wood. No, it's like, wood,
0: Right. You, you see leaves on bases all the time yeah. and you go, that's, you know, bright and that's vibrant. And I've that's... got some happy leaves on exactly. my
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yours are not happy. I leaves.
0: wanted some very sad leaves. Um, <laughs> no, so I wanted to convey that, exactly that, like, rotted, this is not a happy forest yeah, type vibe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and sort of intermingled amongst that, I've actually got some, like, ruined bases as well. But what I... The idea that I kind of had is that I wanted all this to play well together. Mm. So I just painted everything, like ruins and everything, the same colour. So the fact that like 30% of the models are on these ruined bases and then about the other 70 are on forests, it all looks the same Mm. from a distance and even if you get pretty close up as well. And I thought that was really cool to be able to incorporate different bases.
1: Mm. Well, it fits with the theme that it's like... It doesn't really matter where these guys are standing. It's a deep, dark, gloomy forest, right?
0: Bang on. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, let's get to the big gribblies. The spiders are 3D printed as well.
1: Yeah. Um, Beautiful models. Oh,
0: they were amazing. So, I'd, I'd done some scouring of, of, like, the local hobby shops and to try and find some, like, some arachnid alternatives. Yeah. And um, I had posted to Nathan, a friend of the channel... Um, and he was—he found he had these files sort of lying and ready. Mm. And I—I I asked him, "Yep, give us some prints." And they came, like they came out. I saw them, and they were just bang on mm. what I picture when I picture like a Mirkwood spider.
1: I feel like they're actually better sculpts than the official—not well, better, but because <laughs> the, the official sculpts are very good. Yeah, like, yeah, they're, they're very good. But for a proxy, I've seen some that haven't been as good as this like that that just kind of look yes. a little bit off right
0: they're, i think obviously spiders are going to be like near impossible to sculpt and gw did get there
5: yeah. but
0: i i kind of agree with the, what you're saying because these spiders really do convey like this is an actual spider like proportion wise and like leg wise mm. like all of it it just mm. looks i mean just... as an arachnophobe i'm
1: <laughs> fucking terrified <laughs> <laughs> which is good like but i have have um i've seen these models a couple of times now and they're so good to the point where i'm now actually playing around with a couple of lists with spiders in them because like if batman's taught me anything the only way <laughs> to get over your fear is to become fear itself um and and paint those spiders but so the they're beautiful 3d sculpts but one of them you've also converted as well is that right yeah
0: so i put a bit of conversion work cuz they all came the same and they're all, that's pretty boring. Yeah. What I really wanted to convey was that movement that they get in yeah. their, in their rules. The, yeah. the, I can move 10 inches no matter what. It doesn't everything. matter what it is. Yeah. And so I wanted to get that sort of haste on the model. So I had, again, like I, uh, like I said, there's these ruined bases mixed amongst the, the leaves and I had one of the ruins and it just sort of had these two pillars. Mm. And I thought, wouldn't it just be terrific to have this spider just blitzing through it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you can just sort of see in the in the pose that he's un, like he's unfazed, but there's also so much
1: menace in the way that you've posed it. It's mm, like mm. it's got this real kind of, and, and you get the, that sense of motion, which is. Fantastic, uh, and, and it's quite hard to balance that because you've got like eight legs to work with and things can get out of hand pretty quickly if you start chopping and repositioning them kind of incorrectly, mm-hmm. so yep. like your eye can kind of tell when something looks natural and when it doesn't, and this looks like this, this spider has, like you said, just burst through these 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 ruins yep. and it's coming at you, so it's awesome.
0: And I'll point out the other little conversion too because it's subtle, it's a subtle difference, but in um, sort of researching the, the spiders... Because obviously these Mirkwoods shoot like this little poison.
1: The paralyzed venom.
0: The poison spray.
1: Yeah.
0: I uh, did a bit of research on like the, the real life spiders that actually use projectiles as their sort of means of capturing, you know, their prey.
1: Oh, cool, cool, cool. My <laughs> <your> favorite kind <laughs> <Right>. of spiders. <laughs>
0: um, and what was actually really cool was they don't just shoot venom at something. Yeah. They shoot a web coated in the venom so it basically wraps around the prey and then they just sort of get venom from the outside in Yeah, right. so and so where i'm going with that is i was watching sort of like the stop motion of what they do and it was really cool because clearly they they get the web from somewhere but they use their forelimbs the you know their two forelimbs um and help to help with the projectile kind of flick it out of their mouth flick it it out of their mouth so, awesome. I posed, yeah. <laughs> so posed one of them to be in that sort of post. He's in that sort of throw yeah, position. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Makes sense now. Yeah, yeah, cool.
0: Um, so, I thought that was an interesting thing to convey as well.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> like you say, like, the they're all unique. You've got three of them in there. It's just enough variation to kind of um in terms of their poses but their paint jobs also separate them as well because they're whilst that kind of carrying that theme of the dark you've also got a couple of pops of color on them as well do you want to talk about how you've kind of approached that
0: yeah so i love painting these models because there's a certain color scheme that i've always adored which is this sort of black held against this sort of like necrotic green i just think it looks absolutely gorgeous and i thought well what better model than um, these spiders who were living in this gross, dark forest yeah. to have this sort of luminescent green sort of pattern show through on a couple of them. Yeah. And their little uh, little pincer spider claws. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so that's
1: something that I want to touch on because whilst you've clearly articulated that for the spider, you get the patterns and then, you know, the joints and their the spider claws that have that kind of necrotic green, that's also carried throughout the rest of the army right so do you want to talk about how you've kind of carried that through the rest of the models
0: yeah so uh, as as sort of if i describe to you this army that's completely like drab and black look that just wouldn't look good in any way shape or form there's the copper that's great but that's not quite enough Mm. as, as great as that could be like you you need those pops of color and so the way that i've carried that across models is that Look, a couple of them just have it on them. But for the most part, for all the sort of infantry and chaff models, uh, there's the, there were these mushrooms on the bases. Mm-hmm. And initially, I'd sort of thought, well, do I just paint these black as well? Instead, I decided to paint the color that ties them all together through the mushrooms on the bases. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, some of the big heroes have the color on them. The spiders have the color on them. But like the do stone and the Castellans, they've got the copper, but they don't have the, the, the colours that shine through. So in order to tie them together still, I chucked them, you know, interspersed on, on the mushrooms on the bases.
1: Mm. So the, the nice thing about the mushrooms is that um, whilst they're all kind of cohesive in their theme, there are some that vary in terms of their tone. So there are some mushrooms that push further into blue and there's other mushrooms that... Push further into green, and then there are some bases that that don't have any mushrooms at all. So you you've kind of got that variation across the board, which is really nice.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it it there's cohesion, but there's still disparity, which which I think is important for any sort of like ragtag style list. Like it conveys that through just the modeling itself as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Like you've mentioned the copper armor, and the copper armor forms a kind of a, a unifying. Uh, thing for the people that have armour yep. but you've got spiders and uh, we haven't talked to them about, about them yet but we've got the doggos as well and they don't have it so how, it, like, how do you bring that cohesiveness to the army as a whole, right?
0: I like that you posited it like that because that's kind of how it's going to play out too is the armoured unit's going to be together Yeah. and then we're going to have the, the gribblies running around doing their own thing
1: Yeah, well... Now that you've mentioned Griblies, shall we talk a little bit more about this uh, the wolf pack?
0: Yeah, so so as much as the Castellans were like the driving force of the army, I still wanted there to be those other elements. And the cool thing about the Dark Powers of Dol Guldur, you normally see them run as just Necromancer and the and the nine
3: funky wraiths. Mm. Mm.
0: The cool thing is they have like Wags in their list and, and the spiders. So you get to run Gundabads alongside these these griblies. Mm. Um, so yeah, I've just brought like the six um, fellwags, which is, which is cool because I think I had the choice between the two. But the fellwags with the, the fell Sight and being able to charge around terrain, just it seems like an extra tool in the belt that just yeah. sounds pretty cool to me. Um, I, I just sort of went with, because I didn't want them to, to be too vibrant. I wanted to pull off that mood that the kind of the hyenas in um, Scars be prepared. Yes. I really wanted to convey that idea. Yeah. (laughs) I really wanted to convey that idea that they had throughout that song where it's just like, you know, outside in the light, these guys are quite bright. Like the hyenas, they've got patchy fur and they've got like a... But then in that song, the lighting changes and this is what they look like now. So I wanted to go with that.
1: So, I mean, uh, you've brought up Lion King as the perfect (laughs) (laughs) reference. But, you know, so who is the scar to this hyena wolf pack? (sighs)
0: Very good. Um, so, leading the, um, the wolf pack is, is I, I touched on him earlier, this, this guy, the Revenant. The Revenant, as I've titled him, is actually a hunter-orc captain. Yeah. So, I've given him this big grandiose name and this cool paint job, but actually, he's just kind of like the low of the low as far as the captains go.
1: But the cool thing is, if ever there was a tournament where you bring a backstory and then embellish upon it, this is it. Very true. Right? Like the Revenant. If the Revenant doesn't get Berserker, I will be very disappointed. Oh,
0: that's going to be tasty if he gets <laughs> Berserker. Um, and it would be so apt. Oh, Absolutely.
1: So talk talk through, because this is another proxy model, is it?
0: Yeah, correct. So this is another like sort of counter. So I've got the Gundabads at the moment. The spiders are what they are. The wags are what they are. Mm. But this guy being a hunter or captain and those who have sussed out the photos he definitely doesn't look that way no um what I've actually taken is one of the mandrakes from the dark elder 40k line and I just thought I I bought these guys ages ago because I thought they'd be like this cool watcher of Kana alternative yeah if you haven't guessed I like uh proxy models um (laughs) (laughs) that's what we're here for um so I took I took that and I was like look, this looks sick what can it be Mm -hmm. um And so, I've painted him up in this, like... Because the the Mandrakes have, like, a flaming hand and then, like, everything else is kind of normal. bit of etched tattoos going on. Um, And I took that flaming hand sort of concept that was on the model and gone, well, let's run with this. Mm. So, he's sort of channeling this, like, sort of ghost fire type Mm. um, vibe. Um, And those who have sussed the photos, you can see that he's, like, kind of pressing it against the wag and he's using that in my sort of headcanon. To sort of control, to sort of mind control the wards.
1: Yeah, soul bound or... Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, it reminds me a lot, um, and I know that you uh, might not be familiar with this reference, but other listeners may be uh, more familiar with it. It's the uh, the Shadow of Mordor game. Um, yeah, I know of it. So there's kind of a similar thing going on there where, uh, I mean, it's completely uncanon. But uh, you know this ranger with (laughs) Nela Brimbor infused into his spirit, running around and kind of soul binding to different things in Mordor. Sounds absurd, because it is. Mm, But
0: brilliant, because you know this is definitely canon. (laughs) What I've got here. (laughs) (laughs) Straight out of the books, folks. Tolkien wrote about the revenant But it's
1: cool because, like, I I get that reference personally, and I quite enjoy like the the effect on that it has on the model, and it kind of gives him so much character, so much mm. more than just a normal hunter or captain. Hunter or captain, I mean,
0: that's pretty dull, right? Just an orc.
1: Absolutely. Who cares?
0: Why not get a vengeful spirit of an a uh, dead elf? Um, and then sort of with the mandrake model, their face is actually really sleek, and they have like completely chiseled cheekbones and stuff Mm. and you go well what does that look like that looks like an elf. so what that's how i sort of came up with that sort of idea but rather than just paint his face as normal i went with painting um like a little copper well a mask over the top yeah to sort of one to like give it that like mystery of what's actually under there yeah like is his face intact does he have like you know, a, a face rather than, you know, like the Nazgul sort of empty nothingness sort of thing. And it
1: kind of ties in with the Castellans as well, right?
0: Yeah, like, that's it. It's
1: that theme of these kind of tortured spirits.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, And so, look, he, he came out really, really cool looking and he's...
1: And the base is dramatic as well right like of all of the bases that's the one that my eye kind of gets drawn to the most
0: yeah um it's it's really funny to have your centerpiece model be a 50 point model but <laughs> but yeah, you're exactly right i i saw this base um essentially when i was looking for these um fallen dead leaf bases i came across um all of the company i ended up going with was asgard rising mm. as like a 3d print carrier right? i don't know what it is but one of the bases was this huge like tree that just sort of like spikes out of the ground Mm. and i was like that looks sick for a centerpiece model and i just decided to run with it so Mm. i had that printed as well and and you know the wag was in like a real cool sort of like i own this territory type pose so i just chucked him on the tree and and away he went. It reminds me of uh,
1: my favorite model, the Wild Wild Chieftain. Uh, mm-hmm. Got to get it in every episode, apparently. Um, <laughs> but it's, it, it's really cool because it, it is very imposing. And it again, like the spider conversion. And even though, you know, this is more so proxying than straight up converting, it feels very natural, the pose on the base. Mm. Like sometimes you see models kind of elevated on a, like a rock yeah. When they're not supposed to and it looks unnatural. Yeah.
0: Like, I'm kind of thinking of the Uruk Captain, the new Uruk Captain pose. Yeah. Where he's like... They're trying to show that image in the movie where that orc does the, you know... But it it looks forced. Yeah. Like, he's not yes. standing on the rock because he's, like, doing something cool.
1: Yeah.
0: He's trying to stand on the rock.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I get you. I get you. Um, the, the Mandrake model is really fantastic and I would... I would highly suggest people go and have a look at it and we'll take some detailed shots of it because when you say it's a 40K model, immediately you might think, oh, it's going to be way too big, like completely out of scale. But it actually really fits um, with the Lord of the Rings scale, yeah. which is great.
0: It's it, You're exactly right. You would think, oh, this is never going to work. But the elder proportions are t- trying to... Be as skinny as possible against mm. the humans who are just like heroic scale. Mm. So, the way they did that was they did the elves in like normal scale. Yeah. And the mandrake fits right in. Like, if not that they would be as far as like imagery wise, but if they, if you said that was a Lord Riggs model, you'd go, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It looks correct. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, the, the next one that we haven't talked about yet uh, is the, the leader. And this is, like, this is, again, this is another centerpiece model that is kind of the crux of this list as well, right? Like, he's yeah. the, the magnet that's drawing all of these disparate forces in the forest. So, do you want to talk about who the leader is and what he's all about?
0: Um, so, yeah, this is a very, very old model that I specifically bought because I knew one day <laughs> I was going to use him for something and I didn't know what. So, he is from an old Warhammer fantasy expansion. I think it was called Albion. Um, And he's called the Dark Emissary. And so basically it's this like raggedy sort of seer looking dude, but he's got like horns and a giant um, sort of cowl over his face and drooping down. But he just brings this like, to me, he just elicits this sort of like unfriendly bog spirit type vibe.
1: Yeah, he's the boogeyman for sure.
0: He looks like a boogeyman. Yeah. And so um, as I was sort of drumming this list up, I was searching through my collection and I saw him and it clicked. I'm like, this is my man. Yeah. Um, so once again, we've got another little proxy or little counts as. So this guy, um, whilst it's a dark emissary model, is the counts as mm. Witch King of Dol Guldur. Yep. But it plays so perfectly into the idea that I had in my head. Because of course, when the Witch King sort of model dies, they dissipate and then come back. Mm. And to me, that's exactly what the Dark Emissary looks like he does. Mm. You kill that guy, and he'll just like flicker away, mm. come back two seconds later.
1: The, uh, so, that's a really cool point And I want to kind of dwell on that for a minute because this is something that, I th- in, in the realm of proxying, I think this is the perfect opportunity because we know that in the Lord of the Rings books, the uh, the Nazgul uh, clothed in black robes, and they're you know they they come in this visage as these black riders,
0: as we know and love them. Yes,
1: absolutely, the OG and the best. And then in the Hobbit films, you get this different kind of um, ethereal, spectral form. Mm. And um, in the books, there's like a, a I think it's a dialogue or a bit of conversation between Gandalf and Saruman where. They're talking about the Nazgul are abroad, and this time they're in the Visage of Black Riders. Yeah. Which to me says they have been in different forms before.
0: Therefore, they have also not been in the Visage of Black Riders. Right.
1: Because if they were always Black Riders, then it wouldn't necessarily take an Istari to figure out, yeah. oh, that's a Nazgul, yeah. right? So this is really cool because it's like a manifestation of the Nazgul in a different form. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. And like you're saying, he's drawing all these griblies, He's kind of doing it on the sly. He doesn't yep. want to make too much noise about Not it. Not just yet. And that's why he's the Dark Emissary. Yep. It's so cool.
0: Yep. So cool. I'm very glad you're on board. And I agree with everything you just said. Like it... Like, this is, this is sort of why I enjoy proxying models so much. Mm. Because I can tell this story that absolutely could have happened mm. in the Tolkien. Definitely not saying that it did. But it's just like, we get to create this narrative. Mm. I mean, and that's the point when you bring any army, right? Mm. You, you mm. want to convey this story. And that's kind of like, you know, why we come up with these armies. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. So, there's the paint job of the model itself. And then there's also something that you've done which is really cool that references the mechanics of how this model functions. Oh,
0: yeah. Um, so, on the model, he had this, this, these stones that were just sort of dangling about him. And so, when I looked at that, I sort of looked at the fact that, you know, he's, he's not so powerful that he can't die mm. at the moment. So, what has he done? He's taken these stones and he's sort of, you know, stolen someone's soul and sort of chucked it in there. And so now, if he was to die, instead of sort of, you know, his, his little Nazgul soul getting taken away, he offers these other ones up as tribute. So as, as soon as he gets, you know, stabbed, he goes, take this soul instead. And mm. off it goes. Mm. And, and he sort of gets to come back, you know? Yeah, yeah. He gets to sort of reinvent himself. and um, So I just thought, like, there's this cool, like, mechanical reason that he's able to stick around.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Despite, you know not being fully powered or,
2: yeah, yeah. you know,
0: not being one of the Nazgul under the necromancer. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's the cool
1: thing. Like, where did the... Like, the necromancer would have f- taught him a few tricks, right? Yeah, that's it. Right? And so, that's really cool. So, um, when he does die though you you've got the in the in game you place down a token yeah and you can reanimate
0: within six inches is that how it It is six inches which i initially i play tested it with three inches and was like oh yeah that's actually quite good six (laughs) inches what the hell (laughs) um yeah so you place down a little token but i've gone the next level yeah um so i had again i had that idea in mind that when he dies you know something's trying to like take him away like you know you have that physical force take him away mm,
3: mm.
0: and he cracks that soul stone and he you're sort of left with him sort of like you know reaching out of the ground trying not to go in yeah, yeah, yeah. and so I did this base up which just has, sort of has one of his arms yeah um, which also sort of flame wreath covered um, and so now whenever he dies I'm going to be so excited because I get to put that marker down and be yeah. like oh he's dead how good's that <laughs>
1: perfect freedom of movement uh, It's awesome so it, it's it's a really cool way to again reinforce narrative through the mechanics of how the model actually operates and i think it's really successful like all of the object source lighting osl if you will is really um crisp and clean um i've never done it myself i've actually got a uh, upcoming project which are, where I'm going to try it out having seen the way that you've you've done it here for the uninitiated yep. what was the actual like technique or method that you um did the osl
0: well I mean you might not want to be initiated by me because I don't think I did it the right way this is the first <laughs> time I've done OS, osl as well so let's, object source lighting really it. Looks really um good. and I sort of did it in my own style and like the way that I pictured that it would be done So, I essentially picked the area and picked where the light would be and sort of painted a big circle around it. Not literally, um, but, you know, painted a big circle around it and any raised areas that would be affected. Then I just sort of went a layer up, mixed some white, mixed maybe a little bit of cream colour. Yeah. And then did that circle, but smaller. Yeah. yeah. And I repeated that probably 10 to 12 times. Yeah. um, And all with layering. Yeah. So, there's
1: no dry brushing.
0: No dry brush at all yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Um, which I uh, uh, after we had that discussion like they were the common sort of tactics was yeah. to dry brush it dry brush to it or airbrush. airbrush it yeah that's right yeah. Um, whereas I've just gone full layering but it came out looking like you said really crisp Super so curious. I am not unhappy with, the, with no. sort of the way that it, it's
1: it just it looks. Um, for such small models, like, and especially the the reanimation token, like that's one of mm. the most mm. amazingly contrasting, and I guess it's because, sorry, I'm starting 17
3: sentences and I'm
1: not <laughs> finishing any of them because I'm very excited about what I'm talking about. But the, um, the the nice thing is that because you've set up this really dark tone throughout, the yep. OSL just has so much more impact
0: on yeah, these models. It's, it's got this room to breathe where if it was surrounded by browns and whites it just wouldn't work yeah, as like, well so what yeah. um and and I sort of I lent into that yeah. like as soon as I knew the whole army was going to be black yeah. and I moved to OSL I was like this is going to look sick yeah um without knowing how to do it I just knew
1: <laughs> oh it's it's come up really well um the the only model that I think we we haven't touched on is um the banner bearer which um, for my money, is like it's the best banner that I have seen uh, an Uruk hold ever. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: well, thank you. Um, so, to get this model, I wanted an Uruk, but I didn't want the, the Mordor Uruk poses. They just, none of them quite fit. Mm. So, I took the old school Shagrat um, and sort of relocated, I think readjusted his arm and, and chucked on one of the Mordor banners and... Luckily, as as big and heavy as this metal banner actually is, I was able to sort of glue a point on his head as well, so that despite yeah. how heavy it was, it yeah. had an anchor. Yeah. All the conversion aside, the the image that I've, that I've painted on there, uh, Albert. If you want to just quickly tell me what you see.
1: Well, for me, it's very clearly um, the 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 witch king's cowl. Um, but you had an interesting way of describing it when you first. Describe it to me. I wonder if you'll, you'll...
0: <laughs> if I, if I remember. If it. you remember, <laughs> and if you don't, I'll jump in. Yeah. That's all right. So I described how I did it, but I don't think I described it as anything.
1: Okay. All right. Well, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just imagining this. But you, you made this comment of like wherever you are on the table, this banner has such an imposing force, like it follows you. Oh yeah. yeah, 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 right. yeah. So I kind of took that and I was like, yeah, it's like what do you get uh, when you cross? The Mona Lisa with the witch King. <laughs> He's following you wherever you are on the battlefield and leaving you feeling really uneasy. So this little banner has so much presence.
0: Okay, that's very good. Uh, I mean it but 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 it but it really does. So it really
1: does. Like it, it honestly. All right, it is
0: the Mona Lisa of Lord of the Rings. Um
1: <laughs> It's much smaller than you think when you see it in real life. <laughs>
0: But but that's what's <laughs> um, but but you're absolutely right. It 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 loo- like it is looming. Um so I guess I should actually say it for the people who are listening and haven't checked it on the Instagram, though feel free to do that. Um yeah, so it's it's the the hooded cowl of the Witch King, yeah. you know, as we know him. Yeah. And he just absolutely dominates mm. anything that like that can see it, mm. right? Like he's standing in amongst um, you know, th- like, about 30 models. But every single time you sort of look at this this army as a whole, you're always just constantly drawn back to it. Mm, mm. Like, this thing is just, like, in control, um, which is so cool to have conveyed. Um, mm. And
1: What's really interesting, I was just thinking about it then, it kind of, it's funny because I've seen some other really beautiful, and you've, you've done some yourself, like, interpretations of the Eye of Sauron. Yep. And... With the, with the idea that that's a superimposing um, image, but kind of like how the Uruk, the, the mortal Uruk with that kind of static pose oh, just yeah. has a sense of menace. Yeah. This banner's the same. It's like it doesn't have that intense, like vibrant, I'm going to burn you to a crisp. This is much more kind of a slow burn menace. Um, which I, th- I think fits I think the thing, right. right? Yeah, and it just the the nice thing again is like all of the all of the paint jobs that you've described. We've talked about it for quite a bit of time because there's a lot to chew on because it's mm. all like it it all serves a purpose to reinforce the theme of the army. Yes, and, and this banner for me is probably kind of the crowning piece of that.
0: Yeah, that that's right. Like it's they're all different models. And they all perform a different role, but you know, just like any good orchestra, you know, you need so many different instruments right. for it to for it to work. Not that. It... Good, th- good thing that there's you as the
1: conductor and not me, because yeah, otherwise it'd sound like twelve year olds.
0: <laughs> um, <a> <laughs> all right, you you broke me for a sec there, Al. <laughs> But 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 that's it. It's it's this whole everything comes together. Um mm. so they're they're all different and distinct, but it comes together. Um and I'm not gonna be tooting my own horn here, but I it just like it does it looks really nice. Um it's, when it comes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For me it's like it's it it's what happens when you have a really clear vision and you just kind of you reinforce that at every layer of the project that's it yeah right and so i wanted to finish on the display board because again that's um re- again it reinforces the theme that we've talked about so much about this gloomy feel so um talk about it because it there, there is a lot of consideration in the way that you've um put together the, the kind of the composition of the the display board as well right
0: yeah so much the same as you framed yours with the, you know, the backwoods and the little rocky outcrop and then the the inn, I also sort of had that concept of, of framing the army together. Mm. And so uh, alongside the bases, I had this, this what was technically a 120 mil base printed out as well. Mm. But what that base actually entailed was these cool looking ruined stairs. Yeah. So, I've chucked those guys at the back of the board and then the other half of the base, because it was quite big, Mm -hmm. is sort of put in the front here, but it's sort of hidden away. Um, But it still sort of displays the fact that this isn't just, you know, this random bit of stairs, there's ruins scattered all around. Yeah, yeah. And then on the other side of the board, there's this, you know, clearly pretty haggard, seen better days uh, tree. So, that sort of keeps you in the middle and the rest of the board, like it's, it's super dense of, of, of models, but the, the board itself is just got this layer of thick leaves mm. all across it, which I used the, um,
1: what, what were they? Uh, so the birch tree seeds, some birch I've got tree some seeds that, that you house. had given me. Yeah,
0: yeah. And they just like, they're perfect for leaves and you'll see them on Albert's base when they're not so sad. Um, <laughs> and so I, I get doused the board in it and it just, Um, whilst they're not as detailed as the bases themselves, it still shows through what it's supposed to be. Yeah,
1: yeah. it grounds all of the miniatures really well because it it just, it kind of lets them blend in seamlessly so they become part of a scene as opposed to models on bases.
0: Yep. And so I I think if I was to take like a photo of this army on like your classic battle mat of the greens and browns, I don't think you would it wouldn't quite come together because, mm. like, the army looks so dark, mm. but it's, you know, it just looks like any army and it's just painted black.
1: I'm going to say that this army is actually going to be quite difficult to photograph properly uh, and we'll do our absolute best because I feel like a camera might struggle with picking up on the the subtlety of some of the contrast. Mm. Um, but in, in person... Like the subtlety of the contrast is working really hard. Mm. And and it does a really good job. I really like what you were saying about bookending your display board with the the kind of the haggard tree and the, the ruins because I think again it kind of it creates these, this funnel point that reinforces these models being so densely packed on the board and I like that it's that the the display board is so densely packed with um, with the models because it feels like this would be, you know, this kind of travelling death ball. But yep. at the same time, the way that you've arranged the models is quite cool as well because it kind of tells a narrative of the way that they play on the table as well, right? Yep, yep. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you've positioned them?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, of course, the, the Castellans are like a majority of the front line mm. and then there's a bunch of Uruk's behind it um further behind those is the spiders because you know you're going to keep them out of harm's way until Mm. they're ready to 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 jump in and strike and then you've got the the revenant leading his six doggos off on what's clearly like a bit of a a tangent to where the the army's going and you just go well yes here's the flanking force running sort of their own little errand, and you know they'll jump back in the middle when the time is right um so it, yeah, you're right. It conveys what the army's actually going to look like on the table as well.
3: Yeah.
0: Um. And I just thought that was sort of cool that I was able to, you know, show that while still making it sort of look as if it's just like a natural. Here's my display board, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I put them in the right spots.
2: You know. Yeah. Yeah. There's 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 rhyme to the reason.
1: Yeah. 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 So I think we've covered off. Um, the armies in terms of the theme and um, narrative and, and the composition and all the rest of it. But something that I want to talk about before we pack up and head to the tournament is just around this idea of proxying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, so you've you've expressed uh, that you love to do proxying. I'm
0: on board and I'm going to proxy with every single army and <laughs> you can't stop me.
1: <laughs> so, but in terms of the proxy. Like, what's your approach to that when you're rocking into the tournament and you're talking to your your opponent about it? Like, and and also, have you ever had an instance where someone's been like, "Ah, oh, I'm not, I'm not about yeah, this."
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, put the hands up and walk away and be like, "Um, what the heck? I'm um, not, I'm, not I'm done. I'm out." Trash. Yeah. No. Um. So I think proxies are interesting, but I absolutely think proxies are good for the game mm. because there's just so much ground to cover. Mm that like it would just be impossible for GW to have a, a, a model for literally everything that exists, not only in the Middle-earth sort of menagerie, but also the sort of stuff that we can drum up ourselves. Yeah. Like, for example, the stuff that I brought today does not exist. Yeah. Um, the stuff that you've brought today absolutely exists, but there's no model for it. Yeah. So I think being able to come up with these proxying sort of armies, it, it adds something to the game for us sort of thematic players that I think is is invaluable and sort of were proxies to ever being like sort of, you know, ruled against like as a full stop in the community. I do think that would be a huge detriment.
1: It'd be a loss to the game for sure because I think it gives you so much uh, room to explore creatively.
0: Right? Yep, yep. E- explore um, and, and just convey things that, that are just otherwise just impossible to convey or that maybe GW haven't gotten to yet or maybe just it's such this it's such an off-track thing Mm. that GW are never going to get to it Mm. Um, it's
1: also another interesting way I was just thinking about it then it's an interesting way to keep the hobby flame alive yeah, right? Because yes. I've painted 45 Arnold models. Now, each one of those Arnold models is unique, it's custom, it's converted, but it all has a pretty similar look and feel to yeah. it. And these are completely new Arnold models, right? Like the are 3D prints I've never seen them before and I was really excited to paint them because it was like in my head I'm like this is an Arnold, this
0: is Cardolan, yes. Yeah.
1: Right? And so it's a different part of an army that I've explored before. And that got me really excited, and that helped me to paint them in a, you know, for for me, a relatively <laughs> quick time frame, right? So I think it's really like people often talk about um, getting in a hobby funk and not having the yeah, motivation yep. to paint or yep. whatever, and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess if you're painting sixty warriors of Minas Tirith, then there's going to come a point where yep. enough's enough. Yep. But if you switch over and go, okay, well, maybe I'm gonna Paint, like you were saying before like a detachment from Kerondros yeah right, exactly and model yeah. them slightly differently then all of a sudden it's like oh this isn't a warrior warrior Minas Tirith he's a guardian of Kerondros right
0: yep just like you were saying it's sort of it's that idea of like variety is the spice of life like it's it's all well and good to have and paint 50 warriors in Minas Tirith but wouldn't it just be so much cooler to paint 30 Warriors of Minas tirith and, and, you know, 20 Guardians of Dross. Yeah. Like,
1: drops? Yeah. Even if they have the same in-game stats,
0: yep. but just having
1: model variety on the table, right?
0: Yep, yep. 100%. Um, so I think, yeah, absolutely proxies, they they bring an element of, of fun and a, an element to the hobby. And I don't think they detract enough from the gameplay aspect that it's it's sort of worth, you know, putting the hammer to them, you know.
1: I agree. Having said that though, I think it is important to touch on how proxies change the dynamic when you're playing against an opponent especially f- like in a tournament setting yeah. where where they've you know, been, like,
0: sprung on them. Yes, You're like, and it's
1: the first time that they've ever seen it. And it's like, here's my list. Oh, and by the way, my Arnold
0: actually is... <laughs> none of my models tiered. represent any of my models. <laughs> You'll figure it out. No, uh, I, I 100%, this is, this is a good thing to, to touch on here.
1: Because, like, I, I was thinking about... I've been thinking about this a bit around... Um, like uh, as as humans, we're very good at pattern recognition. Yep. And so when when we're learning the game, we kind of associate associate profiles with specific models. Yes. So when we're playing on the table. Um, we kind of look at a warrior of Minas Tirith or, you know, a dwarf warrior and we go, cool, that's
0: that profile. These are the stats. It's in my head and it's like got this neural link. Yeah. Bam.
1: And it's like, I don't even have to think about it because that's just like a neural network that's been hammered in and therefore I know it. And whenever a proxy lands on the board, it's like you've kind of got to rewire your brain to go, okay, okay, that counts as that, right? Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that if you're like a real um, like OP gamer that just wants to
0: win everything, then
1: you should just like proxy everything. Yeah, just proxy and go real ham on the hobby. Because your
0: opponents they'll be they'll be phased. That's they'll right. have to think a lot harder about each individual model. And look, you don't need to tell them anything. That's on them. Exactly. No. <laughs> exactly. No. No.
1: But you should definitely uh, do more hobby. Uh, no.
0: Um, but. <laughs> Well, um, so we'll jump from power gaming to the hobby etiquette though and I think we should it's, it's a lot of worth um, putting forward that that when you are the the sort of proxy player which is going to be me in 90% of the scenarios and, and you to at this tournament um, it's it's really important that at every single step of the way you're holding their hand through this yeah. because you know I've dreamed this army up. And I know it inside out the same way that, you know, uh, my opponent would sort of know a Minas Tirith warrior and a Dwarf warrior. Yep. And a, like, I know the profiles just by looking at him. and go, he's a good and a bad orc. He's the Witch King of, of Dogledore. You know, these spiders are Mirkwood spiders, you know. I mean, the Castellans are Castellans, but, you know, still. If everything else is proxied around them, it's not so unreasonable to also assume that the legitimate models might also be proxied. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right, and and um, I think there's a difference between and and what you're really trying to avoid is gotcha moments, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So there's a difference between being outplayed strategically on the on the battlefield and being caught off guard because you're blindsided by a special rule because you've forgotten that X actually counts as Y. Right?
0: Yeah. like they charge my dark emissary because he looks like a bit of a jank model. And then I go, hey, he's fight five. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. "Uh, Sorry? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And I go, he's two attacks. And they go, oh, he looks like a caster. He doesn't look like he can do anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. And and so, you know, if you're bringing a themed list like this, your intention your isn't to just, you know, rickroll the whole the whole um, tawny. <laughs> That's right. That's um, so it's, it's... As fun as that would as be. As fun as that would be. <laughs> um, so I think it's, it's really important that, you know, every single time your opponent, you know, has that look of like, oh, oh, what's this model again? I can't quite remember. You jump in and say, oh, yeah, sorry. So this guy's this.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, and you're, you're on the... Um, you're being proactive about this. Yeah. It's not... Yeah. At the start of the game, you go... Uh, this dark emissary is the witch king the revenant is a hunter or captain and then you just sort of assume that your opponent knows
2: yeah, yeah. like
0: sort of every single turn where it looks like there's confusion or whatever you go they're actually Gundabad so in my, in my practice game I think um, my opponent had a fight for army and they saw my Uruks and on the first turn that he was going to sort of charge different models into different areas I was like I'll just remember they're Gundabads they're mm-hmm. fight three mm-hmm. and the moment I said that he was like oh yeah and so, you know, he sent his fight war models into 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 bash them up. Yeah. So it's things like that. It's it's you're you've got to be there for your opponent because they don't have everything set up already, yeah. you know. And you do. Yeah. And and let's assume that their army's not proxied. You know everything about their <laughs> army. And we sort of discussed this off mic is that it takes a lot of additional sort of mental energy to Yeah. Uh, as, the, as the opponent to a proxy model to try and keep piecing these things back together.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and so you're sort of, as the proxy player, like playing yeah. at a bit of an advantage here. So it's very important to make sure that you're being sort of as good as you can to your opponent, mm. who's you know, sort of like going with you on this journey and allowing you to sort of play these models, mm. even at what could be like a competitive tournament.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you and, and it also, you know, you you don't know the level of familiarity that your opponent's going to have with the game in general. So mm. you know, yep. I, I think it's just general, um, you know, good tournament manners to to um, to expect to have a little bit more hand holding when you when you're bringing proxies. Um, and and that's kind of part of the. I think that's also part of the fun with it, though, is that the more that you yeah. reinforce it. The more that the opponent has the opportunity to get on board.
0: I, I'm glad you said that, because you're exactly right. The more, the more you say, This is the revenant, mm. then your opponent goes, I'm gonna charge the revenant. Yeah. And it, it gives you it, it gives you an opportunity to tell the story that you're telling as well. Yeah. So as much as it's a technically correct thing to do, yeah. like you said, it it lets your opponent um, become a part of your story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no longer is it, oh, that's the count as hunter or captain. I'm going to charge him. It's <laughs> I'm charging the revenant. And yeah. say, yes. Or I took down yes. the revenant, right? Yeah. Like,
1: or like, you know, you, you go like a, a lowly Khazard guard went one-on-one with a revenant and chopped out the wag underneath them and then the next turn chopped yeah. him down. And it's like, yeah. wow, that's like a real narrative moment
0: yeah. Um, yeah.
1: that would never have been there if it was just a hunter or captain.
0: Yeah, you go, oh, my Kazab beat a Hunter or Captain. You're like, well, they both fight four. Of course he did. But now we got the Revenant, and you're like, exactly. oh, that sounds scary.
1: That sounds very scary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, I really hope the Revenant doesn't get killed, but I mean, we got that Death and Greed table. Hey. I'm oh. going to roll that Berserker, baby. Oh, yeah. So, I, I mean, on that note, I mean, let's pack up and go to that tournament. Yeah, let's do it. So it G'day guys, Geordie here at the end of round one, and I'm here with my opponent Jim. Hey. Uh, good friend of the channel. So, today, Jim, you've brought something you, you've had before, but with a bit of a
4: twist. What yep. have you got going? I brought um, essentially the 500 point Arnold list that I brought to the last TTD tournament. Yep, Just dropped a couple of warriors and brought um, Gandalf on horse as a red alliance just to fill out the extra points. Well
0: that's actually really funny that you've done that because myself and Albert kind of played with the Ally Matrix. So what
4: made you bring Gandalf and what was the sort of lore maybe and the thought behind it? So I chose to include Gandalf because if I was just filling out the 650 list with more Arnor, I'd basically just be putting a captain and more warriors and it'd just be more spam. Yeah. Um, And so I thought uh, having an an Astari um, would be something that could be plausible, even though it is Red Alliance in the book. Well, and even better, I think you've chosen the one Astari that probably would have jumped up
0: to Arnor to lend a hand. Yeah,
4: that's right, yeah. Um, So, I think it's really fun to play with. Gandalf's got some cool support spells. Um, and it's nice to have something different to color the Arnold list. Yeah, true.
0: Um, I was, I was going to mention that we've, we've talked about your army on this channel before. Mm. What did you, uh, sort of think when you were listening back to it?
4: I, um, I was blushing. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I felt very, um, happy that you, you and Albert appreciated the, the paint job in the army. So,
0: yeah. No, nah, definitely what we're here for. And, and look, you put in so much work, so it's, it's kind of like the least we could do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, now onto the game. It was... Uh, so, first round domination. What were you thinking coming into it and seeing the uh, dark
4: powers? Um, I was intimidated by the army because I'd versed it, I think, a couple of times before now in practice matches against you. Yep. And I don't think my my list wasn't very well matched up for it, um, considering that I'd lost my fearless bubble, which is my army bonus.
0: Yeah, good, good comment. Because Arvidui normally has a... It's a 12-inch fearless bubble, yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah. And then... For allying in Gandalf, you kind of lost that.
4: Yeah, I think the uh, actually the the it's a six inch field. Oh, six probably, inch. Yeah, that's but, a bit more um, fair. Still, yeah, um, but yeah, when we deployed, um, I I realized that kind of deployed a bit wrong because you had a choke point with the castles up the front. I wasn't going to be able to get to the orcs, and yeah. I knew from our past games that the only way I was going to break you was by getting to the orcs and taking care of the wags and spiders. Um, so I. Yeah, disengaged. Yeah, that.
0: which which I definitely think was a correct uh, decision. You, so you deployed at the baseline because it's a full 24-inch deployment mm. and I was very shocked because I'm like, well, this plays into what I'm trying to do. But, yeah, yeah, But as you said, you, you sort of backed off for, what, one turn and then I had to Heroic to catch her the next one? Yeah, yeah. Um, so ha- after the sort of lines clashed, how did it all sort of devolve? What Any key things that were going on?
4: Um, well, look, the, the, the warriors of Arnor who were kind of in the thick of the lines, held up a lot better than I expected. Um, I think it had had a few lucky Malbeth saves and also just um, just there wasn't much killing going on Yeah. Was, in those first few turns. I was rolling
0: fours all across the board, but yeah. like every now and again we definitely got someone, but it yeah. was,
4: yeah. Um, I guess a key moment, though, was I'd, I'd kept Gandalf back to do some casting, um, cast uh, Terrifying Aura first turn, um, and then the following turns, sorcerers blasted the... You got the revenant of his, yeah. his wag, The revenant off his wag, which stopped you getting like a big charge in. Yeah, I was, However, definitely, I
0: was definitely heroicing
4: there too if I made it. Yeah. However, um, I kind of, yeah, made a mistake by leaving Gandalf... Just within six inches of a castle and then the following turn, yeah, the castle being able to reach him. Yep. So, so the, the, instead of uh, just wargs and, and spiders at courage to charging Gandalf with terror, it was a castle with high yeah. courage. We and could hold five five, importantly. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, that was a really big game changer and led you to getting him off his horse and Gandalf being on the back foot for the rest of the game.
0: Yeah, literally just every turn was running. Yeah. Um, but you had might to spare on Gandalf, so he... Did get away. He ran, like, 18 inches.
4: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And got some spells off and did a few things. But yeah. wasn't ideal.
0: Nah. Yeah, so, I mean, Gandalf aside, the, 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 the front line clash was actually kind of going better for you than I thought. We were really going toe-to-toe. Yeah. yeah. Where I kind of thought my castellans would just be chewing you.
6: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um. So, it all sort of kept like that. You were... I was too off-breaking, I think. And then mm. I managed to just get you.
4: Yep. And, uh... <laughs> It all sort of swung from there. What happened? Well, yeah, so first turn of having to take courage, um, Arduy rolled a three, and with Harbinger and only one will left, that, that meant him fleeing, and he's got 12-inch standfast, so most of the the, um, the Arnold Warriors and Rangers with Harbinger of Evil just fled. Yeah. Yeah, and that just meant I couldn't um, just base block things and hold objectives. And yeah,
0: yeah, you couldn't keep me off that... that- Centralised uh, objective and then it also probably meant you didn't have the numbers to hold off. There was one on like the left flank yeah. um, So I sort of got numbers in all those ones um, mm. And yeah, it all just sort of went from there didn't it? Yep, <laughs> but um, but that was on the last turn So we tied on that one in the middle body to body uh, But you control the one at the back completely, but funnily enough that was like my starting yeah. Uh,
4: position yeah, yeah, changed
0: around a lot Um, and then I had your two in your back half, so we sort of did a complete, like, uh, 180 on those. Yeah. Um, well, that just about covers it. Uh, thanks for the game, and thanks for the chat, Jim. Yeah, thank you. All right, after round one, I
1: am joined by my uh, opponent, Joshua Coleman. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. It's very a good. lovely
7: sunny morning in Geelong. I know, great Actually, day to after, be... afternoon now, technically. Technically,
1: great great day to be shut indoors. It's, it's, uh, it's nice. It's
7: all fun and games until the aircon stops and you start smelling everyone, but uh, that's about it. <laughs> Hasn't, happened, right. yet, Hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened yet, fingers crossed. There's still but plenty of time. Fingers crossed it doesn't happen, I should say. <laughs> I should really clarify that point. Not keen for the uh, the BO smell for uh, to linger for later on today.
1: <laughs> all right, BO uh, aside. smell aside... Um, tell the listeners a little bit about your list and what you've brought
7: today. Yeah, sweet. Um, so I've taken today a army themed around the battle at Helm's Deep. However, Mm. I haven't taken the Helm's Deep Legendary Legion. I've run with, uh, a Lothlorien list, uh, featuring Aragorn allied in. And the whole theme around this was that, that counter charge scene that you see after the, uh, the deeping wall gets blown up. Yep. Uh, and you, you've got the elves running down the hill to quickly try and block the gap as the Urukai surge in through the water and the falling stones. Um, and to coincide with that, I've spent a heap of time um, over the past couple of weeks uh, doing a display board for it. So I've got a lovely yeah. uh, little... Uh, uh, destroyed wall with some rocks and some water features and yeah, then uh, you've even got the water in there I have got the water it's in there It's very I, nice. I learnt a lot about water effects <laughs> I said uh, I learnt that I need to have a barrier up so it doesn't leak off the edge true, uh, true. I will never make that mistake again my kitchen table still hasn't forgive me <laughs> uh, but it was a great learning experience and being able to do little things like display boards and stuff for armies, it's really nice to, like, diversify your hobby in that way yeah, and actually get yeah. more out of it, I guess. Yeah, yeah uh, it's really cool. And I'll, I'll jump in here because
1: I, I like the theme and I like your dedication to the theme because you've even gone the suboptimal choice of taking all metal Haldir's elves without any shields. Yeah, To truly replicate to, to, that. to
7: truly replicate it. I'm really lucky. I've been hoarding these models for years now every time i see one or two at a garage sale or at a swap meet or something at a competition i pick them up and i was like i finally have a chance to use these guys let's let's run with it so um they're lovely models to to assemble the amount of um flash parts that i had to pick out (laughs) started to remind me why i was preferring plastic originally (laughs) uh but that being said the metal models they're such stunning models they they're a little bit thicker Um, i don't mind Bit of thickness on a person or a bee, no, it's pretty no.
1: good. I think the proportions are, are really perfect. And I, the thing that I prefer over the plastics, I don't know why, but the plastics they went with the scale mail skirt as opposed to the chain, yeah. which is actually in the film. Yeah, um, so it's just those little
7: details like that.
1: And, and the, the detail in the metal is amazing.
7: Oh, it's great, like you see everything all the way up to like the um the quivers on all of the, the Galadriel Warriors, yeah. they've got like the the flourishes on it from where they've done like the little elven symbols and things like that, which is really great. The the metal banner bearer as well, I've got that in the army, the one from the same fight. Um, Again, another miniature, it's probably one of the few miniatures I struggled to paint actually on the day. Um, I've got type one diabetes. I've actually started to feel some of the side effects of that, so my painting is actually diminished. I'm not as good at painting as I was previously because my eyesight's starting to get damaged. Uh, not from painting minis, just actually a health issue. Um, but the the banner, just trying to do all of the lines, you actually can really appreciate that miniature when you actually mm. have it in front of you and you actually realise how much detail there is on it because it's not just a blank canvas. There's mm. actually some stuff on it that you need to either pick out or to, to, to work with. But it gives you a heap of options for shading as well because yeah. the curves in the metal. Yeah. Uh, and it's why I do prefer metal metal banners to plastic just because they're, they're a little bit more natural in how they flow. It's that kind of, it's that trade-off between having a flat banner and having to try and summon the courage for
1: freehand. Yes. Versus you've got this really intricate detail and you basically have to paint that. Exactly. Right? There's no no way around it. So the army is beautiful. I'll make sure that we get some shots of just yep. the army by themselves so that people can see that um, on our Instagram. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the game. The game we were playing, Domination. Yep. Which is a good one to kind of start off a tournament. Um, it was It was
7: very close, right up until the last last round. I I needed to be pushed like that. It reminds me of uh, how much fun games are when you're you're literally cursing your luck with a single roll and others are like going, yes, that's the best thing ever. (laughs) Um, Being able to do that with other people, it's really good because it makes it all friendly. You kind of have a bit of excitement to it, which is really, really nice. So let's
1: talk a little bit about, like from from the get-go, deployment. I felt like my deployment was a little bit off in terms of where I um, deployed my warbands. They were pretty hard in the centre, but I had some Dwarf Rangers on a flank, which are a bit more squishy. Um, They didn't really get many shots off, and ultimately, I don't think that that was
7: the right location for them. What did you think uh, after deployment? I'll be honest, the table was a lot more sparsely uh, than most of the games I've played recently. There's a lot of open fields. It kind of reduced my my willingness to get out there, particularly with dwarves having throwing weapons on a few of the iron guard and everything else in yeah. your list, I kind of had to set up in a way that um, I could minimise, sorry, maximise the potential to possibly march. Mm. Um, but then you threw your guys forward and all of a sudden I felt like I was on the back foot. So when I saw that all of your guys were deployed pretty much right up to the line, uh, I very timidly actually deployed further back than I probably should have. Mm. Um, ultimately that cost me from getting to objectives and it kind of um, forced me to fight almost on an angle between uh, what was a statue in the corner and mm. the centre objective. So mm. I was very limited. And of course, being in combat every that my archers that I deployed in positions at the back of the field didn't really get to support. The only mm. benefit, I guess, later on would be that um, they were in a position to grab an objective.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. I think around the mid-game, uh, Aragorn went ham pretty early on. He had a couple of heroic combats and really started to open up my uh, battle line in the centre. And I was a bit worried that that was just going to capitulate uh, very quickly. Managed to, you know, the, the dwarven armour managed to, to hold that uh, in the end. But there was a there was a point there where I thought I might lose the centre um, and you had guys running around the flank uh, to grab one of the back objectives in my half of the table. So I had to pull uh, some more dwarves out from the centre line and I was a bit nervous that that move of pulling my guys out um, was was going to basically leave me with not enough troops anywhere.
7: Right. Well, I was hoping it would actually cause you, if I managed to break your army, to uh, cause a little bit of an issue for you, dwarves having a lower courage value than uh, my own army. This is but, true. Uh, as the game wore on and we discovered... Uh, The benefit of having red allies as opposed to just the negative, um, it actually came out to be a big win for you, I think, in a little bit, because it meant you were able to avoid being broken. Uh, But you're right, I I was able to get a few key combats in. I was able to keep your King's Champion at arm's length for a very long time, which I think ultimately helped me. Um, But I knew the cavalry were going to come and flank me, and uh, it took a couple of turns, but the flank actually came through and it, it. Took, me, took away an objective that I felt fairly certain at the start of the game I was going to hold for the entirety. Yeah, the, the king of men on horse is, is a pretty good little strike force. So
1: he, he did the flanking job. He took that uh, objective away from you. And I, I was umming and ahhing as to whether I sit and hold that objective. But really, I couldn't um, leave that amount of points just sitting in the corner. So I opted to, to bring him uh, back into the combat. I don't think that I used him as well in the later part of the game. Um, but you're exactly right. Uh, the, the Red Alliance is a really strange um, kind of beast to, to grapple with. I've never run a Red Alliance before. Mm. Um because I generally like to try and keep things pretty themy, but it, yeah, it, it does have its benefits, definitely.
7: Yeah, and I mean, I I was opposite. I'm running a Green Alliance today. I'm, I don't normally run Allied Contingents at all. Mm, um, mm. So it was it was a lesson for both of us, I think. Absolutely. Um, but I mean. There were some highlights, there were some lowlights in the game as well. Uh, I think I started referring to Hellbeer with some less than favourable terms because he, he couldn't wound, sorry, he couldn't win a combat and he couldn't wound for about five turns. And then when I finally was like, you know what, I'm not going to bother with his fate save and he's going to let him die, he failed to wound the three or four guys who were in combat with him. So um,
1: Outside of the first few shots with his bow, I think he did absolutely nothing. Absolutely bugger all. So uh, it was a it was a good little combat. Uh, uh, another, I'd say, uh, on the other side though, you did manage to take off my leader, the uh,
7: the dwarf king, uh, reasonably easily. Yeah. Say. So he got charged by my captain and my, my spearman. Banner ran up behind him. He was like, "Don't worry, captain, you've got this." And the captain did a wound after using a point of might. And the spearman, out of nowhere, managed to kick him over and stab him with the spear in his chest. And that was basically where the bandolette stayed for the rest of the game until it died so yeah, yeah.
1: Look, that, and that was such a clutch moment because that ended up winning you the game essentially um it did. Actually, the now the, we measure. Yeah. the end score was 5-4 to you yep. uh, and the only differential was the fact that i couldn't get a wound on aragorn Um, because you were very strategic in terms of when you were choosing to strike to try and win fights versus defence to
7: um, stop me wounding. In in hindsight, he used a lot of might unnecessarily early on, but Mm. at the same time, it did get me the kills to break the army of men, which I needed to do, uh, and it helped open a few doors to at least stop the numbers of the dwarves from coming to bear. But, um, yeah, heroic defence saved my bacon in the last turn. It kept it to only one wound on Aragorn, which I was able to save with fate, and... And uh, I think that was clutch because I did have a few threes in there. You so did. I, uh, sorry, I did have a few fives. But yeah, two fives and a six in there. Yeah. So if I hadn't have popped it, it would have, yeah. it would have come down to me rolling fate saves. Uh, and as I'd say with my my dice rolling all day, uh, the, the dice weren't with me. They were they were with me at moments, but it was very even because I'd roll, I'd win a combat, but I. I the Elves trying to slap the Dwarves into to dying was not working one iota. Yeah, so, Defense uh, 7 is a tough nut to crack for Elves. And I, I think conversely, because you didn't have the shields on your Elves, I was able to uh, wound a lot yeah, easier. Yeah, I, I, I lost Elves as soon as you made combat. The Strength 3 just, even just Strength 3 on basic Dwarves. You had a few hazards and Iron Guard, but yeah. um, just Strength 3 just meant that I was just dropping really quickly. Um, in the end though, I'll be honest, it was a very fair and even game. It came mm. down to the final combat of the game to, yep. to work out if you could wound Aragorn. Um, we both held an objective uncontested and we both yeah. held a contested objective. Yeah. And both broken.
1: Yeah, no, it, was, it was a fantastic game. And as you say, like whilst there were there were uh, points where it swinged in one of our favours, it came down to those last dice rolls, which
7: is always the way that you yeah, want to do it's it. It's what you want. You want to have a good game. You don't want to feel like you're out of it mm. from the get-go. You mm. want to have those games that are close because that's what it's all about and i think the 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 main thing I think about this game was that it was a great opportunity for two guys who have been mates for a while but haven't gotten to play against each other I don't think ever in a competitive sense no, so we kind no. of kind of got to throw down and yeah. we, we did talk a lot of smack at the start and it's, it's all nice stuff it's all it's all sportsmanship and banter and um, I mean that's what makes it enjoyable exactly really. and um, I think everyone's just really glad to know they didn't bring Rivendell Knights to this corner <laughs> I, think, I think even though they look great and I think everyone likes how they look uh, they are not fun to play against and especially no. when I've got as much experience with them as i do and and the tables have just that little, little less bit, just that little less amount of terrain but yeah. just as many spots for me to run and hide <laughs> yeah. um the i mean that the benefit for us i think is the fact that we had two very beautifully painted armies oh it was so great uh not so great when it's good versus good but no. when you do have that theme you've got you're having a great game that's part of the hobby that's why i play is to have a good game with people i'm not i don't want to Beat someone and crush them into oblivion i want to have a good game where yeah. the armies look great you yeah. can enjoy the game enjoy the camaraderie that you have as part of the hobby and then when you do actually get to play against each other it's a lot of fun
1: absolutely on that note thanks for the game thank you very much good luck with the rest of the uh rounds and uh look out on the instagram for some beautiful photos of uh josh's army and display board oh and albert's <laughs> <laughs> okay so end of round one uh, Geordie, you were playing against good friend of the podcast, Jim. Jim Keller.
0: Yes, uh, love love a good game against Jim. Um, I think uh, myself and him, we come into the game with a very similar mindset. It's it's competitive, but we're still it's fun and games, and we're still here for a good laugh. So so it's it's definitely the right way to start a day.
1: Yeah, perfect perfect matchup. So the scenario was domination. We were actually having a conversation off air. Yeah. Yep. Um, kind of some of the nuances when you're deploying um, your Mm -hmm.
0: objectives. Do you want to talk through a little bit about that? Well, yeah, we won't throw in too many like strategy things, but I think we can chuck a little bit, a little breadcrumb here and there. Um, With domination, the deployment of the objectives is part of the game, right? Like if you can earn an inch here, take the inch. Mm. Um, There's a few key things to think about. I think the big one is shooting if you have a lot of shooting and your opponent doesn't, one of the key things you might think about doing is putting the objectives in open space. Whereas if you don't have any uh, shooting, or at least your opponent has more, let's say, you might want to tuck it behind a building. So that sort of thing like, is pretty intuitive. The other thing that I like to think about when I'm placing these objectives is speed. Mm. How fast is my army compared to my opponent's? Because mm. um, if I'm a bit faster... I'll put each objective spaced out as far as it can be. Mm. So I believe they tend to be like 12 inches apart, minimum. Yeah, minimum 12. Um, so, you know, if you if you get the right opportunity, chuck them 15. Because mm. that's three turns of infantry movement. And if I've got, in, like, for example, in my army specifically, if I've got a bunch of wargs or spiders, I'm there in two turns. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: I suppose the other one to mention as well, and it's interesting as you're describing this, this only just came up as I was thinking about it, was um, like, I generally tend to default to deploying objectives in my own half because I want to control where they are in my own half. But that's not always, I think, the optimal solution. Well, as
0: well, the role is done before halves are decided. True. Um, True. But what you're saying is kind of correct and it leads into the last one which is um, if you're an aggressive army, you can deploy them deep. Yeah. Because either way, like no matter what board edge you are, mm. you're going to have to march all the way across to them. Mm. And if... So if you get the side without the objectives, you're heading there anyway. Mm. Mm. But then if your opponent, you know, wins the role, or rather if you win the role and you get the deep back objectives, you march forward and deny the, the board space anyway. Yep.
3: Yep. So
0: um, for a, <laughs> to lead into this game... I did that. I put two of the objectives right at the back and yep. I spaced them out as much as I could um, to give me that advantage because I had both the speed and I was kind of the the aggressor, um, mm. as it were. Mm. Um, so for this is like, I think, specifically for Domination. I don't know if there's any more deployment, like pre-game deployment, maybe. Um, what's the digging one?
1: the yeah elements
0: similar ish idea though I think that's Maelstrom so it kind of
1: I think there might be one in the new uh in the new match play guide as well oh yeah where you're placing down objectives but I can't for the life of me remember what the name of that
3: one
0: is yeah um so like I know this is like niche uh sort of information to dish out but I don't know I think it's 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 interesting and it may not be something that that I guess a newer player would would think about.
1: Yeah, and I think um, you know so much of a game can be determined whether you deploy well or if if you oh, don't. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so this is an extension of that initial yeah, deployment. Exactly. Um, and if you're just placing down. Objective markers, kind of, oh, 12 inches here, that'll do. It willy-nilly. Uh, yeah. Then Why not? I, I think this is this is an opportunity to, to maybe take a look at that next time that you play and yep. actually do a little bit of tactical decision of, you know, what's my army, what am I versing, and how do I best deploy them?
0: Yep. Yeah, exactly.
1: So, let's talk um, about the game. So, uh, in terms of deployment and how things kicked off.
0: Yeah. So, like I said, I deployed a couple deep. I think Jim had chucked his sort of behind a little, a few terrain pieces and stuff like that. Um, Jim rolled and won the deep-based objectives, deep in the back pocket. So I was chasing that way. But again, as we've described, that's okay. Mm. Um, Jim went first with deployment and chucked a warband right on the front line. Interesting. Um, Wow. For Arnor as well, because he... he, Look, he's good at spear walling, but fight four, you know, strength three, defense six... Normally he, okay. He's got bo- he's got bows though, right? And he has a bunch of like, ranges, yeah. Doesn't need to be up up
1: right in your face.
0: Um, with domination, you can't concede too much territory, but mm. you can give up a little, I think. And mm. so uh, I was, you know, ear to ear smiling. I'm like, great, here we go. <laughs> um, now, my army has a bunch of dummy drops. So a dummy drop is just an individual model. Mm. Your opponent can't quite pick what you're doing because all you have to do is place one model. So I placed one of my Castellans. Yeah he had to place like a second large warband, you know, another like 150 points worth. Yeah. I placed a Castellan. Yeah. He deployed, I think Gandalf was next and boop, placed another Castellan and then he placed his captain and whatever, place another Castellan and so I get to see, it's like an advantage of lists like this. You get to see exactly where everything is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So Jim had chucked, another war bend right up the front mm. and i think he chucked the captain maybe like midway or, or something like that mm. Mm. and so i just finished my deployment. i'm like let's let's have a spear wall fight i'm pretty <laughs> sure my fight five uh castellans are going to enjoy this um so I just place everything in the middle i placed my revenant and the wags out to the side mm. um because they were going to just hopefully sprint for the sprint for the end uh and the spiders were sort of hidden behind the spear wall and, and stuff like that. Luckily, Jim sort of clued on. He's like, oh, actually, I don't really win this. He won priority, and I think I was just sort of like, oh, okay. He's maybe just going to charge me. He ran away. Smart thing to do. Um, and so we spent a couple turns. I was chasing him down, uh, spent a couple might. I think we had two heroic move offs. He won the first one, got even further back. Mm. Uh, I won the second one and finally caught him. So I caught him like about, yet yeah, 12 inches back from the middle. Um, he's so you've still... got a lot of board control at this point then. I had a lot of the board, yeah, like, but it wasn't fully blocked off. He had, a, I had, he had funneled, he'd walked to the right with half his group and then to the left with the other half. Interesting. And the way I saw it is if I catch, you know, 200 points worth of models, he can't just give it up. Mm. So I just chased wholly on the right mm. and I got an insanely good, um, a series of combats, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had his boys on the left, and he could loop them around. Was stuff.
1: Malbeth on the right, or were you ch- chasing the side that didn't have Malbeth?
0: Malbeth, Malbeth was on the the other side, mm. but um, he was within um, two yeah. turns walk. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I got to avoid the Malbeth, uh, <laughs> though. I think he was pretty average this game. He, mm. um, I think he saved two or three Honorian's. Yeah, but at the same time, I think it's my list he's like quite punch heavy, like especially against defense six, like I would get two to three wounds per combat. Mm. So Malbeth, you know, he had a lot of heavy lifting if he was going to save one. Um, I think one of the one of the Arnorians took five wounds, I reckon it was, and Jim rolled four sixes and a one. It was so close. Um, all the while, uh, Deer was hanging around the back um, and I had sent my revenant and his wild pack Mm. after after Gandalf himself um I did the I had the wags and the revenant quite close which this ended up being a mistake it's the classic um sorceress blast the model next to your hero oh man (sighs) um so uh the revenant lost his wag that turn but that's okay and I had a real juicy uh heroic combat lined up too but you know these things happen yeah that's it lessons
1: learned lessons learned
0: so, there was a big grind fest in the middle. Um, Jim had ran a, ban- a bunch of, I think, like five or six Rangers slash Warriors, like a combination, to my back edge. Okay. Um, all the while, Gandalf was heroic moving away from the Revenant and a, and a Castellan who had who managed to catch him. Um, and I think, he, I think he got both of them. So, he ran away, moved after him. He ran away, moved after him. He just kept, uh, kept getting the slip. Yeah. Um, but
1: it sounds like if Gandalf is running away, then he's perhaps not having as much of an impact oh, on the yeah. main battle line, right? Oh, so absolutely, take yeah. that any day of the week, hundred and fifty yeah. points running away.
0: Yeah. Um, I was very happy to have essentially neutralize Gandalf. Like he was instead fighting for his life mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than, you know, running around and like knocking down three castellans with a blast yeah. or yeah. Um, yeah, any such thing. Other um, Dewey and the captain were putting in good work ultimately i was winning the grind in the middle he had just um he's sort of flanking force had managed to get all the way to my back i had gotten all the way to both of his back objectives um mm. he just had a couple hobbits these guys were absolute champs i think they got four or five wounds over the course of like three turns they were wow <laughs> they were good putting in work i think they i think they popped like a, a couple wags and like wounded a spider or something yeah like right. it. it was yeah, they yeah, were yeah. deadly yeah <laughs> um but Eventually, they did get digested by spiders. Um, <laughs> so I had uh, I'd camped his back objectives and I had sort of let him just take my my back one because I, I did have some models there to like force more models to come up. Because I had a, an orc and a wag, yeah. If he just sent one model, I kill it, yeah. If he sends two models, it's like iffy, yeah. So he committed like four or five models.
1: I, I love the because uh, I had a similar thing in my game, but that that play of how many do you commit? Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. many do you take away from your main line? It's a beautiful um, kind of dance between, you know. Exactly, yeah. Like, if I move too many away from the main battle line, then I'll definitely shut you down, but I'll open myself up. But opened up, yeah. Um, and if I don't move enough, then you'll just chomp me and take that back objective, and it's like, what's the point of even doing it? So it's, yeah, it's, it's always a, a fine balance, right? Yeah,
0: and I guess uh, while all this was happening, Jim was technically winning, I think, like, you know, the whole game through, he had one or two sporadic models on, like, the the middle. Mm. Um, and he had another one. He had, like, run around the entire, like, battle and then camped that middle one, that, the dead center one. And, of course, I, I mentioned he was camping mine. I was camping his two. So, he had three. I had one. Mm. Um, sorry, I had two, technically. Mm. Um, but the game just sort of kept going and going. We were... <laughs> we were wondering if like this round was the, the extra bonus hour or something because because it just seemed to not end which favored me yeah. um with, with our both our armies if both of us were to break I come out on top yeah. which is not usual for a, for an evil army no. over a good army um no. so it eventually did I did get the break because yeah. um, I had the better fights and with Jim's losing his fearless bubble it meant he was you know, whiffing a few soldiers into the fray and stuff. Oh, courage so Courage 2 is going to hurt. Yeah, Courage 2 down to 1. Um, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So, the combats were going my way. He just had, like, sort of gained the board control and was hoping to, like, camp it. Mm. Um, yeah, he broke. Turn 1 of breaking. Dewey fails his check. Oh. And he had spent a couple will to, to, I think, enact a, a heroic combat or something like that. So, he... Uh, it was important will to spend, Yeah, I sure. guess is what I'm sure, getting yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So he had failed on like a four or five or something and away he went. So the king in the north got I mean, away.
1: kind of thematic, it's what he did in the books, but that's tough. That's yeah. a tough pill to swallow, especially as that's the hero of legend that you're kind
0: of relying on to keep the rest of your Courage One troops around. Yep. Yeah. And so uh, the captain passed, which was, which was good and... He had like six or so models on the board, but I think this ended up being the last turn. I um I sprinted to the to the like right middle objective with some yep. spiders. Yeah. Because they were they had killed the hobbits and now they're off to the middle. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, sprinted a couple models to the the dead center objective, and I think ultimately Jim ended up still holding my objective, and I was holding his too, and then. I think we were either contesting the two middle or I had taken one and contested the other.
2: Right.
0: It was a very tight game. So what was Um, the
1: um, VP score in the end? 5-4 to you?
0: I think it was like maybe 7-3 or 7-4 or something uh, like, something in in that region. Um, But yeah, it was tight. And and again, Jim was controlling the whole game. It's just, you know, I had to, yeah, we had to keep it, I had to keep it moving, I guess. And we eventually got there.
1: Yeah, good stuff. Very good.
0: And so you, Albert, had a very tough opponent round one. Very tough opponent,
1: but I have to say, in hindsight, thinking back uh, on the day, this was the best game I played all day. Oh, wow. Um, so round one uh, against uh, Joshua Coleman. Um, we've played a couple of times before, but not in a tournament setting. Yeah. So this was yeah. kind of the first time that we'd kind of uh, drawn swords in, uh, in earnest, uh, so to speak. Okay. Um, so in terms of, uh, deployment, he was running the, the Helm's Deep, um, with Aragorn. Yes, but not the Legion, just the Legion. Not galaxy. the Legion, yeah. 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 yeah, just, uh, actually more thematic than the, the, the Legion in yeah, this case. true, yeah. Um, and so he had a lot of Archer bow power, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, which, so he deployed the, the two objectives that he got to deploy, um, Someone in the open in his back half. Yeah, very good. Just right? Thinking ahead. Exactly, uh, and I deployed my two um, as close to the centre, but still in my back half. Um, yeah, hidden, you know, behind. Ah, very uh, good. Yeah, behind terrain. So the th- the thinking being, I don't want my dwarves getting shot off the objectives yep. if I'm holding them in the yep. back back line. Um, but I deployed the majority of my forces hard up to the centre line. because yeah. Yeah. they needed to get in right. right? Um, so there was a bit of dance, uh, between, uh, Josh, uh, kind of pulling back and then committing to that charge. Yeah. Um, and I had my King of Men and a couple of the Cav, uh, off to one flank with the intention of zipping around once the lines clashed and try and clear out his back objectives. Yep. Which I ended up managing, managing to do part of that plan. Didn't go... <laughs> we got get, halfway. Get both of them. Um, because, um... You know, Josh, rightly so, really targeted down um, the, the Arnor or Ministerith component of my army right? okay. and and tried to get them broken, which he did. Yeah, because right? if,
0: he, if he just kills the men in the front line, the cab will start running. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Very so, good.
1: So, um, he, he didn't break me before I was able to swing the cab around and clear off one objective, um, but... You know, Aragorn's going to do some work. Yeah, yeah, he didn't have Endural, thank goodness for that. Of course, because yeah. that definitely played into the fact that he couldn't kill as much. Yeah, um, defend seven yeah. exactly. So I was trying to tank him with as many dwarves as possible. Um, I, I guess uh, the the middle was kind of up in the air because you had um, Aragorn, Haldir, and an elf captain versus yeah. King's Champ and uh, Dwarf King. With the king of men kind of off on his side quest for the majority (laughs) of it, right? So I thought, okay, king's champ, he can kind of chew through. He can duke it, yeah. Right? Um, And the dwarf king should be survivable enough. Yeah. Um, ironically, the Dwarf King went down to um, the Elf Captain, right, right? What? With a killing blow from the um, the banner bearer that was supporting in that combat. <laughs> oh, no. The ultimate insult. But, uh, you know, uh, everything has to be balanced. So, that was my leader. Killed my leader. Um, yep. But in balance, uh, Haldir did pretty much nothing all game. Ah. <laughs> You heard from Josh. He was a little bit frustrated by the by the end of it, um, and he ended up going down to like you know uh, two dwarf rangers and uh, a, um, a warrior of minister with his
0: spear. So and well, I'll, I'll key on on that because you would you would mention something that interesting because
1: <laughs> yeah. So in that particular instance, at that point of the game, we were kind of closing in on the end of the game. And I had pretty well convincingly cleared out that center line. So basically, yep. it was Aragorn left with one or two elves trying to still contest the center, and yep. I had five or six uh, dwarves left over with the king's champ yep. plus both heralds. Like Oof. I was, I was never going to um, lose that that front. Yeah. Um, Haldir was surrounded by the two dwarf rangers and the warrior of Minas Tirith, the only warrior that didn't run away after the break. Mm, yep. King of Men, he chuffed he off. Right? Oh, no. Courage 5 as well. Right? Yeah, he should have stayed. But anyway, this Warrior of Minas was the only guy left uh, on the board at the end of the game from um, the Minas Tirith component or Arnold component. Um, and so I put, uh, I think it was two wounds on Haldir, so he could have yeah, tried to fade yeah. it. yeah. But Josh chose to forego the fate <laughs> to activate Haldir's... Both um, out of
0: spite yes. and for tactical reasons. Well,
1: it was, it was I'd say, 60-40 spite <laughs> to tactical um, uh, to enact his special rule where he gets to take one last death blow at everyone yeah. in the combat. The the thinking being that, like, if he could have taken out two or, you know, three, um, then that would have really changed the dynamic mm. in the centre. Just fewer bodies, basically. Um so uh he did it, whiffed every roll, ah. didn't take down a single warrior, uh, and that was that was how this uh <laughs> Inglorious demise. Yeah. Um, so the the game was actually incredibly close, though. It came down to the last combat, oh. right? So if I um, because basically Josh had one objective in his back half that was contested. I had one in my back half that was uncontested, uh, and then we had the center, which was contested, mm-hmm. and another one in my back half that was contested, and his the 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 fifth one was no man's land because all of my king of men ran away, wow. right? Um, but the contested objective on my back half, if I had have killed one more elf in that final, com- those final round of combats, and I did win that combat, if I'd have been able to wound, I would have uh, won uh, that objective and won the game. Oh, so, did you
0: have, um, I guess, did you have leader So
1: break? I broke. I didn't have leader. Yep. Uh, so, it was 5-4 in the end okay. to Josh. Ah, yeah. oh, I see. Um, So, if I'd have got that um, objective uh, swung my way, yeah. then uh, it would have flipped it. Dang, that's tight. So, real tight. But it was a really enjoyable game. And, you know, Josh was... Um, it, it, was it was a real game where, um, you know, it swung... The balance swung a couple of times. Mm. Like, when, when the lines first clashed... I didn't think that I had the kind of the numbers in the centre to hold it as well as I ended up doing. Yeah. Uh, especially when the Dwarf King went down fairly early. Yeah. Um, but then uh, managed to, to shore it up and chip away at the elves. Um, and once they were broken, they actually ran away. Oh, no. And interestingly, um, this this is one thing. So Josh did have a war horn, which I thought was an interesting thing for elves. Courage six. Right? Okay. But he was on the back objective that the king of men oh. went and um, took down. So that there, there were a couple of courage rolls where Turns Josh out that was clutch. Yeah, yeah, because he failed by like one, oh. right. So it literally would have been the difference between I think two or three elves sticking around that ended up running away. So mm, elf courage not all it's checked out to be in this instance. Wow. I've never seen elf chart courage yeah. roll so poorly. <laughs> Josh, but um, no, it was a really enjoyable game and again, like, you know, a great way to start
0: off the tournament. Yeah, brilliant. Round two. So g'day guys, Geordie here at the end of round two and I've got my partner here, Nick. G'day. Uh, And so we did Dickie's custom scenario, which is the one you would have heard from the first potty. So it was the one with the two hero taggable flags and then the three control zones, the uh, our board edge and our opponent's board edge and then the big central one.
2: And so, you brought Kingdom of Mori today, Nick. That's right. And so, what did you bring with it? Alright, so I had the uh, Balan with four Vault Warden teams. Oh. I had a King's Champion with six Iron Guard and then a Dwarf King just with, filled out with Dwarf Warriors.
0: Yeah, so really cool. So, I'll point out, like, Vault Wardens, you absolutely love to see it. Most people tend to take, like, a bunch of Hearth Guards. What was your thought in growing, like, Vault Wardens and Iron Guard instead?
2: Well, with the generic hero idea, I thought that I didn't want to bring Durin because I couldn't bring as much generic heroes. Very true. With it. Yeah. Okay. And then if you don't bring Durin, the like you can't take the half guard. So yeah, they the, lose the burly. Yeah, the Kazad guard didn't really do it for me when they're eleven points, and you can get the Vault Warden team for. 12 and a half points for each yeah, member. It's
0: pretty close to a one-to-one, yeah. like two half-guard and a vault war- or a vault warden team.
2: And I sort of thought that if I've got the vault wardens, they can hold them up while the fight six heroes can sort of handle it with the iron guard.
0: Yeah. And so another cool thing that I noticed with your army while we were playing, you actually had three different colors spread out. Was there
2: a rhyme and reason to that? That's right. Um, when I first started the Dwarf Army probably 10 plus years ago. Oh, she's old, yeah. I, I just had the Dwarf Warriors, and so they're not painted that well. And because I didn't know if I was going to make it here today, I didn't really get too involved no, in... No, look, fair's fair, you, you know, don't need, a... <laughs> <making> <laughs> you don't need to troops. convince me, yeah. So then uh, I made the Iron Guard as a bit of a, you know, cave tunneling force and then later on I decided to make some vault wardens as like a snowy mountain patrol, but <laughs> okay. they don't really, don't really so, fit together So we've got a well. bit of
0: a convergence of different tribes or? Yeah, I guess it wouldn't be tribes, <laughs> like yeah, different kingdoms?
2: Yeah, I think, I don't know, it, it gives each sort of um, warband a bit of a flavor. Yeah, it was
0: warband to warband, wasn't yeah. it? So yeah, yeah, it definitely works. Cool, with that, all that out of the way, looking at the scenario, and looking at my Dark Pals of Dol Guldur, what were you thinking? Uh, it was a
2: bit tricky because all the Castellans count as heroes, so they can flip the flag. Yeah. Um, your model count was nice and high for some pretty effective units, and the movement was impressive. The especially movement, with those yeah. spiders on the paralysed. Oh, the, the movement was actually pretty critical
0: here, and yeah, the, the spider being able to like jump half the board and shoot a web at you, yeah, pretty big. Mm. Um, So once the line sort of hit, it was actually, like, like the the way we we ended up deploying was sort of, both our armies were split a little bit, but that actually helped me a lot, because once we sort of met, there was this big, maybe three or four inch gap that I could walk through and get to,
2: get to the back,
0: Mm. the rear of
2: your troops. That's right. Uh, My shield wall had a glaring hole in the (laughs) middle of it. I thought that a bit of terrain might have uh, filled it in, but... It just opened right up. Yeah, so
0: we, and I'm sure you could see it coming a mile away as soon as I moved that model. Mm. I got my um, Witch King and I think maybe two Castellans or maybe a Castellan and an Orc onto one of your very far flanks and got that heroic combat, which, yeah, like you said, the terrain didn't matter anymore because I had a whole basically free extra movement.
2: Yeah, it isolated the King's Champion a bit more than I would have liked. Yeah. And the Dwarf King on the other flank... Spent the whole game walking.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll point out that I did send my five wags out to one flank, which you responded with your, um, with your Dwarf King and his little warband,
2: but as soon as we were about to hit, I uh, duck and ran. Yeah, it was pretty disappointing to see the wags run, but <laughs> uh, and I had the might for an extra march and I probably should have used it, but... Forget about these things.
0: Yeah, yeah, hindsight being twenty twenty. Um yeah, so sort of after the big engagement, I chopped up actually a fair bit of your army, but I think you and the dwarves did really well because you didn't really die
2: as quick as I thought. Even in the centre, uh Barlin was putting in some work. The Vault Wardens probably died a bit quicker than I thought, but yeah, Balin um, with only two attacks and two wounds, was unscratched.
0: Unscratched, you I think you won every combat against the Castellan and uh Knockdown down two. Knockdown down two. You managed to get one who was on, I think, eight wheel, mm. down to zero. And then I think you got one who was on six wheel. A
2: few floppy down fat rolls uh, <laughs> help with that.
0: Yeah, which, uh, you know, you love to see. Uh, and then I, I guess I'll point out as well the, the poor King's champ. Look, he did do well. I don't. He didn't lose a combat and he didn't die, but uh, he was just sort of fed a little orc every turn.
2: Yeah, he um, didn't achieve the great things he was hoping, but he yeah. did
0: that. Um, And, uh, well, I guess that about covers it. It ended up being actually pretty close, like 8-5, I think. So, considering that first turn of combat, I reckon he did really well. uh, And good game. Thanks for having me. Cheers. All right, so end
1: of round two. Albert here. I am joined by my opponent, friend of the podcast, Jim. Jim, how are you? Very good, thank you. How good day. Good, yeah. Good, good. Despite good. despite that match, I'm I'm still feeling good. <laughs>
4: yeah.
1: <laughs> it was it was a look. It was an enjoyable match, but I think I made a few uh, pretty key tactical errors. Anyway, before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about um, your army, an army which uh, listeners will probably be pretty familiar with.
4: Yeah. Um, so to the last TTD tournament. I took this list basically in a different iteration, 500 point. Um, it's Arnold mm. And this time around As I've explained to Geordie, I've just um, included Gandalf Basically Gandalf the Grey on horse
1: mm. It's a great inclusion uh, In the list I think um, Like we were talking before the match maybe, uh, maybe Saruman Gives you a little bit more of a buff With um, his aura of command Yeah, But I kind of like Gandalf from a thematic Point of view Sure because yeah. I feel like he would be the guy He's up a bit there. More friendly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, helping out Arnor. Yeah. Um, so it was an interesting uh, matchup because um, I was also playing uh, Arnor uh, in terms of theme, but obviously running uh, profiles for Minas Tirith, and the whole yeah. kind of backstory to my list was. Um, you know the the Prince of Cardolan so the guy that's running the kind of the southern part of the kingdom is making a trade deal with the dwarves of the Blue Mountains and we were talking about it during the game maybe this is like you know the Prince of Cardolan was doing this without King Arvidui's yeah. uh, blessing and so then you know it came to blows and King Arvadui came uh, into the into the mines because we were playing on a, a mines of Moria yeah, style board it was
4: very cool so <laughs> spurred civil war
1: even though it was good first good it kind of felt like this was possibly the only time where that that might you know actually be yeah it was cool legit. I liked it. Yeah. um so the 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 scenario that we were playing was throw the dice custom scenario but we've I, I think we've covered this in quite a bit of detail in the the last um the last podcast uh The board that we were playing on was, like I was saying, it's a Moria board with a big chasm running down the middle and then quite a few crossing points. Which was perfect Um, for the snow. It was so
4: so cool and interesting.
1: Yeah, it really worked because it meant that you had like a big centre bridge where you had to kind of contest and then the the beacons uh, or the flags that were flipped over by heroes were um, on other crossing points as well. Um, so what did you think um, of the game coming into it in terms of the matchup and the, the board and the scenario?
4: I kind of, I thought it would have been more difficult at the, at the kind of choke points over, the, over mm. the bridges having the dwarves with spears and stuff. Um, and that, that middle bridge with the middle objective, that's why I chose to put, which was, you know, two 25-mil two bases abreast, really, to mm. put um, heroes there because I thought they're probably the only ones that will have a chance at churning through the dwarves, um, which they did. They did very well. They did a really good job of it. I have a confession to make. Every time I verse you, I come in early and melt your dice and then freeze <laughs> it three times over. Glad and that that's you... why you only roll ones and twos. I'm glad
1: that you finally owned up to it, mate, <laughs> <'cause> I... <laughs> I was sitting there just rolling. I mean, I, I don't uh, like to, to blame the dice, but, like, you know, King's Champ, who usually in every other game uh, I play uh, with him, he does a lot of the work in yeah. terms of killing power. Yeah. And I think he might have taken off. Uh, maybe two of your guys.
4: Yeah, it wasn't near enough. And if it would have just been a few more, that whole flank yeah. would have really fallen for me. You would have killed um, Malbeth and yeah, yeah,
1: and then flipped that flip that uh, thing flank as well. Right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I think you know, I think I made a pretty egregious error in the way that I deployed. Um, you had and defending your back objective, rightly so. You had yeah. the full kind of ranger um uh detachment so they could all sit there and shoot for days yeah and i thought you know what i'm just gonna go car- charge of the light cavalry yeah um, across the bridge and it didn't go very well for me
4: yeah yeah i mean your shooting was quite yeah, good but, i was like a shooting but but
1: uh i just think from from my perspective I didn't, uh, I didn't need to actually um, go through with that and I could have uh, redeployed mm. the cavalry, probably used them a little bit smarter. Just avoided um,
4: the bows altogether. Yeah, yeah,
1: elsewhere on the board. So yep. that kind of put me um, at a bit of a disadvantage and then I thought if I... Because the, the Minas Tirith component breaks um, much faster than the dwarves, yeah. if I can force the break early mm. uh, and just end the game, yeah. <laughs> I, I think at that point I might have been scoring a little bit more. Yeah,
4: because I was paranoid at that point when I figured out, oh, I've only got to kill one more and the game might end. Yeah, yeah. Because you had both the flags flipped in your favour. Correct, yeah. Which I think would have, yeah, I think you would have had the win if it ended a couple of turns earlier. I think it would, yeah,
1: it would have yeah. gone the other way. But um, I think that's, that's a lesson uh, for myself in terms of just being a little bit more patient and less careless with throwing the, the cab away. Yeah. Um, but uh, in terms of like highlights for you, were there any moments that kind of stand out to you uh, throughout the game of like key things? You didn't get to uh, Sorceress Blast <laughs> anyone off
6: into the chasm, no, which I'm a I bit didn't. disappointed about. It was
4: actually like, I, I think I played much better with Gandalf in that game than I did in the previous with Geordie. Yeah. But, um, and just kind of ran him around the back and, and mobilised your heroes where I needed to. Yeah. But I would have loved to have done some more fun stuff like a Sorcerer's <laughs> Blast. And I was reading channeled collapse rocks because we were on a board that was pretty much all rock. Yeah. And if I were to channel that, the target model and everyone within two inches suffers a strength five hit yeah so see it's like what the hell didn't I do that yeah, I wanted I wanted <laughs> to see you do that on
1: the on the center bridge I thought yeah, that would be yeah. a sick place to do that because then you'd basically clear that all out
4: the only thing is it affects friendly and enemy models oh, okay, within two okay. inches so yeah I
1: mean I suppose if you have priority and you cast it on one of the back models True. then it might be able to go off but yeah. um no I, th- I think despite no collapse rocks you did use Gandalf really well like you shut down the king's champion a couple of turns mm. um you immobilized the dwarf king, and then he came in and um, he assassinated my uh, berserker, yeah. king of men. Which, four attack, king of men. Again, yeah. like, so I rolled the four uh, and got him uh, completely souped up. Yep. and uh, just again didn't use him uh, effectively and got him killed in the end.
4: Um, yeah. So my priority going in was like get him off his horse because yep. like Lance five attacks. I was like no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And you did very well and and
1: um, got him off his horse pretty pretty um, pretty easily and, and then he was out of position and, and you you took him down pretty yeah um, pretty well. So look, it was a really enjoyable game. Always yep. is. It really was. Yeah, um, it really was. And good luck with the final round. You too, man. And uh, no doubt uh, we'll talk on the podcast again soon. Yep. <laughs> right, cheers, man. All right, so round two. Geordie, uh, this was the Throw the Dice uh, specialty.
0: Yeah, so we've already talked up this scenario, you know, in the last, well, in the first podcast, actually. Um, but it's, it's, still held, it's still held up. Yeah, you know, it was good. It's still great fun. Um, the fact that heroes could flip the flag... Um, was a pretty big game and look that lent into my uh like no 12 shortage hero of heroes. army but no yeah versing nick and his um really cool uh moria expedition yeah the yeah, one yeah. with all the vault wardens oh so Oof. good Oof. um so it just sort of started you know we'd obviously kept some people back on now on our home base yeah um and we just marched everyone else forward i think there was moderate Dwarf shooting, but it all just chinked off various ghost armors, um, and so we were about to clash. Yep. Nick moved first around the center objective, quite close. Actually, there was like two different flanks. So this this actually is interesting. I think we talk about it in the in the interview mildly. The center, and then basically to the to the, each of the sides of the center. Yeah. Nick had his line set up, Ooh, and I was sort of marched somewhat centrally against both of them, as it were.
1: Kind of like a wedge between the two. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: I acted exactly like a wedge. So he had those two little bits, uh, t- those two different flanks, yep. but there's a gaping hole in the middle. Mm. And unfortunately, Nick sort of won priority when it was when it was sort of ill-advised, I guess, mm-hmm. not that he had a say in it, but, and marched forward and, and sort of gave me an opening where I jumped, I believe like two Castellans and the Witch King, mm. on one of the side flanks. Ooh. And then just front engaged everything else. Yeah, right. And this was kind of just the moment that um, it didn't seal the whole game, but geez, it sealed the, the the first engagement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I left you know the the king's champ untouched. So I just yep. charged anything that was squishier than me. Um, so got the heroic combat off, and I, I think I think me and Nick like tallied it. It was like. I did the heroic comeback, got it off. Everything's easy. Yep. Charged a few extras and got a bunch of traps on his iron guard. Ah, uh, yeah. The the two yeah, attacks, yeah, the two yeah. attack models. Uh, I think we had eight dead dwarves in round one.
1: Oh, as a dwarf player, that's not the kill
0: count ratio. Massacre. massacre. The the castellans yeah. fight five. You yeah. know, just meant that they could go over the top of the um yeah. of the iron yeah. iron gu- uh, yeah. guard. Iron guard, yeah. Yep. Which is, you know, not, not normally the case. The The strength, right. the, the fight four and the defense six normally keep them in check, but, yeah. you know, when they're trapped, when they're versing, you know, two attacks plus the spear support, plus, plus the banner at a high fight, they just mm. got chomped mm. up. Mm. The um, the sort of other engagement with the the, the, the vault wardens um, held up a little bit better. Yeah. I did get into the cookie jar on one of the, the spear supporters. Um, yeah, the, okay. We'll the, vault <laughs> yeah. hmm. uh, the Vault
1: Warden Spearman.
0: Yeah. The Vault Warden Spearman. And it's got, gone to a, a few fights with some of the shields. I, I'm pretty sure I actually managed to get one of them turn one as well. Yeah, right. Because strength five
3: mm.
0: actually wounds them on flat sixes. Mm. So Big difference. Most, yeah, most models are like sixes by fours or sixes yeah. by fives even. Yeah. Um, My Castellans, their their swords are hefty enough to just Straight through. Slice that shield in twain. Um, so sort of after that first great engagement, um, we would just... Um, I think it was, you know, the classic heroic moves off and stuff like that. I think he may have got the first one and stabilised a little bit yeah. and and got the King's Champ in with someone, but uh, this poor King's Champ, it wasn't his day. Oh. Um
1: Was his King's Champ talking to my King's Champ? Because I think (laughs) they both
0: had (laughs) similar days. They both decided, you know, we've been working hard recently. We just want a day off. We're going to phone this one in. So he took it in (laughs) (laughs) mid-game. I think he he lost uh, throughout the course of the game, but he he lost that combat that turn, and I think he lost, yeah, two or three others, just against the Orc, just shielding. Yeah. yeah, Like, not against anything particularly scary, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Preaching to the choir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Balan and his crew of Vault wardens had managed to like sort of grab the middle more or less um, and he had a, a dwarf king on a little long journey around the side. Right. This was actually pretty important. I had sent, I'd sent all six of my WAGs up that left side mm. and it's again, it's that question of how much do I answer this with? Because, you know, I had free reign, you know, it would have taken two turns, two or three turns to get to his back objective. Yeah. So, we yeah. sent the dwarf king and about five dwarves to that flank right um but movement 5 and movement tens a big difference so double in fact I, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I that was just a feint you know if he responded i run away yep. if he didn't i just keep going yep. so he responded with the dwarf king and a few lads yep. my wolves bolted to the other side yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, they were in combat you know the, the turn after yeah um, but his dwarf king took I think completely you know, out of position yeah Completely out of position two or three turns away
1: i think that's a really important thing to point out and the beauty of this uh scenario in particular is that you do have that ability to faint and when yep. we get to my uh game
0: we'll hear about uh, how uh... not to faint <laughs> uh... <laughs> dwarves, notoriously not so good at fainting oh, God. um yeah so faint the entire flank and, yep. and run away the dwarf king ended up grabbing my back half, but in the grand, my back objective, so I got the three points or whatever yeah. it ended up being worth. But, of course, you know, I would only do that if I was already just smashing everywhere else. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Balin ended up holding the center for quite a while with his vault wardens while I chewed up the, the right flank with the, where the king's champ was. Yeah. Um, got most of them. Didn't go for the champ because, you know, he's the fight six and my army's fight five across the board. But, you know, we, we don't have much way up in the way of strike or... Yeah. In the way of like immobilizers or whatever. So we just ignored him um mm. and, and just fed him an orchotern, you know, he was mightless, so why not? And yeah, just chomped the the Iron Guard and then moved into the center. The chomping continued. We had traps along the way and you know, trapping of of shield wall, shield warden. I'm gonna call him shield yeah, warden shield and warden. spear warden. I spear think that's warden. the way to go. Yeah. Trapping a shield warden with with strength five, it's it's legitimate. They all they all got cut up. Yeah. Um and the the wag flank that I had sent, um I think he had maybe one dwarf camping. I just sent like three wags, got the trap and, and claimed the back. Yeah. Um. So it was a good game, and I think me and me and Nick talked afterwards that the big mistake was marching his dwarf so tight mm. and just leaving such a huge gap mm. where he probably could have spaced them Spread so the that neither out. flank. Offered away into the back, yeah. or offered away into the back of the other, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, as yeah. it were.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting point because it's something that I'm conscious of that I'm starting to learn the more that I play, um, as well as this idea around base spacing. Yeah, so you can actually take up a lot more of the board mm. by foregoing that kind of base to base contact. Yeah, which is not necessarily like unless you're running a big pike block. But even then, yeah, even right? then the Eastern pikes can yeah. They can they can fan out. And yep. I think that's a it's an interesting thing to 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 think about. Um uh you know, that that spacing.
0: Yeah, so like six models, we were again won't go too in depth. We're not here purely for strategy, but six models, they're about an inch wide, the bases yep. is a six inch frontage. Yeah. You space them out 0.5 inches each. Now you've got nine inches of frontage yep. with the same amount of points and the same amount of models. Um which, you know, if you're in a 9-inch wide, I don't know, like there's two houses and it's 9 inches wide, you can block it 100%. Yeah. Um, instead yeah, of... Refuse the, flank. Yeah, refuse um, plank. Yeah. So... I don't know, listeners. Keep in mind. There you go. There you go. Um, and so you were saying you had a bit of a faint action going. How was uh, <laughs> no, no, How was no, your game? No,
1: I didn't have a faint action. I <laughs> should have had a faint action, but instead I fully committed where I shouldn't. Oh have. no. Um, okay, so if the first game against Josh was the best game of the day, ah. this was definitely the worst uh performance of the day and this is a classic case of when you slightly misdeploy yeah and instead of going okay i've slightly misdeployed but that's okay this game's going to go on for a long time let's just spend the first couple of turns redeploying repositioning yep. resetting yeah and then we can then we can go yeah
0: so you weren't under too much pressure yeah. via like shooting or magic or well, anything like that well
1: look i didn't do that <laughs> Instead, I went, shit, here I am. I've got my cavalry lined up against... I should say, okay, before I go into any more details, the board that we were playing on was the Moria board.
0: Ooh, this one was nice.
1: Right? So, this is the board that um, I'd put together um, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it's been kind of on the shelf for a very, very long time. But I finally got some paint on it so that we could use it at, at this tournament. Basically, it's like the the chasm of uh, more like you got a, a that classic kind of chasm yeah. going through the middle, yeah. And, and it was then like
0: Delph with a large chasm across, like it was like
1: two thirds of the way through a board,
0: through the board. Yes, Ish. yeah,
1: yeah, with multiple crossing points. Yeah, yeah.
0: So there's like a
1: big dwarven bridge at the center, and then a whole heap of wooden One kind scaffolding. Of scaffolding. Yeah. So there was multiple avenues of of approach, right? So. Um, we uh, deployed. Uh, so Jim deployed his Arvedui and his captain to yep. charge over the bridge, right? Okay. So I was like, okay, if that's where you want to go, knowing that the victory points for the center objective aren't actually the most critical. Yeah, it's right? two of twelve, I believe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, you know what? You can you can have that as long as you're two big hitting heroes. Yeah. Are there, I'll just put, you know, the minimum amount of troops to hold you for the whole game there, right? Meanwhile, I'll have my Dwarf King and my Berserker King of Men yeah, with a lance. Right. That's he's, right. Surely he's going to do something this game. <laughs> Four attacks... Uh...
0: Five on the charge. With a lance. lance. Plus one to wound. Ooh, oh,
1: juicy. The dream. Juicy. Did I do anything with him? Well, mm. fair listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I think you may have heard in the interview that no, I didn't do anything <laughs> with him. Right. So talking through deployment. So uh, Jim had staked his claim on the center bridge. I yep. was deploying most of my hitters on the right flank um, to try and uh, really pin down that um, the flag. Oh, yeah, right? of course, yep. Um, and he had Malbeth and just a huge shield block. Uh, all of The majority of his troops were over on that right flank. Gandalf was at the back and he had um, all of his archers and hobbit archers uh, holding his back objective, yep. right? Sensible deployment. Makes sense. Right? I deployed my cavalry in front of his archers. Yeah, Right? Thinking, all right, well, if I can get across quickly and charge into them, the berserker king can basically take down all of them in one go. The whole objective,
0: he'll claim it all.
1: All of it. The problem was the distance. I didn't actually measure out the Ah. distance, right? And so it would have been like three or four turns um, of shooting Mm. um, that I was going to cop. So I was trying to like dance around the pillars.
0: Okay. Right? To
1: minimise the amount of shots.
0: Makes some sense.
1: Right? But then... um, He moved Gandalf over to that flank. I started losing, like, I think he shot out a couple of horses. So my three supporting knights turned into one supporting knight, right? Wasn't enough. And instead of just going, Okay, I need to pull back, redeploy yeah, would they would they have at this point had a good rear charge on the main battle line? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I could have yeah, definitely right. done. like it would <laughs> it would have taken like maybe three turns, but I had the time. Yeah. Like the dwarves weren't dying yeah. and neither was Jim's guys, yeah, right? Yeah. Um like, my king's champ did nothing this game. Oh no. Right? Like he won nearly every combat, but he just didn't <sighs> wound. Did not do he and the couple of wounds that he did put on just chaff soldiers. Yeah, Malbeth saved them. I was right? like, no, no, so too important. Exactly, exactly. So um, I committed the king to this futile charge. He got shot off his horse, surrounded, basically dragged down. Um, so
0: look, I don't want to critique you too hard
1: here, but was Gandalf also around? Gandalf was around. So
0: he had yeah. just. Immobilize you every time. Yeah. Okay. So that so was even if it went well. Yeah. 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 So
1: it, like, and that's why I should have been uh, redeploying him to the other flank, um, and have kind of the the two hitters in the same location, having the king's yeah. champ and that beat stick king make him choose with Gandalf who he's actually going yeah. to go after because. By separating out the king with the lance, yep. it meant that Gandalf was just like, okay, I'm going to aggressively screen you yeah. until yeah. you go away, yeah. kind of thing. I'm going
0: to stay out of your range yep. and I'm going to mobilize you every single time. Yep. Yep. So
1: that king, uh, the king of men, went down. He might have killed like two or three guys before he went down.
0: <laughs> Normally that's, you know, whatever, that's fine. But uh, this, keep in mind, uh, listeners, this is... This is the ultimate beat stick.
1: This is, this is literally the best killing machine um, that you can. In the games, <laughs> literally, literally, like put him into any troops, he will delete them off the board. Um, but no, it was, it was so, and and it was that you know when you're in the you kind of have that... It's almost like an out-of-body experience where okay. you're like, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. You've you know
0: this is wrong, you, but here's my hand moving that model yes, anyway.
1: Yes. It's like, why are you moving him in that direction? <laughs> That's not the right direction. And so um, it, it really was like just witnessing a slow train wreck and you know, by also not having any killing going on with my dwarf king yeah. or the king's champ. Like I think I only ended up taking off eight of Jim's models Jeez, in the yeah. in the end, right? Yeah. He'd broken my Arnor contingent, obviously, yeah, because wow. uh, oh yeah, yeah, because there you know. were two of them, yep. Um, and so uh, you know the dwarfs weren't um, super uh, impacted, but you know he'd pushed me off the centre bridge because yep. that was yep. that was what I would basically yeah. agreed to. You just like give an um, inch every turn, yeah. Usually i backing away, and, and and I couldn't even flip the the beacon on the the bridge that the uh, king's champ uh, was on because oh. he had uh, Malbeth sitting at the back just touching it so it was contested oh right
0: right? and you couldn't reach him because he yeah because he just
1: dogpiled all of his troops in right so Jim to his credit like he played it really really well in terms of neutralizing all of my big threats with Gandalf he played Gandalf really well yeah uh, in terms of like positioning and just popping the right spells at the right time yep um, he didn't manage to get a sorceress blast to throw somebody off into a chasm, but apart from that <laughs> it was, it was it, like it, it was a really um, masterful kind of um, use of Gandalf in terms of just that really um, strong uh, support defense magic to make yeah. sure that my big hitters aren't maximizing uh, their points potential.
0: Yeah that's there yeah, that that's interesting because I guess. My army being so fast, Gandalf was caught unawares really quickly. Yeah. But I guess with your army, you only had one bit of speed, and it yeah. was heading somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so he and and he had blocked up all of my other approaches. Yeah. So Gandalf had freedom to run the back backfield. Yeah. And just cast where he needed to. You know, pop a blinding light when he needed it against um, the archers that I had, and then you know immobilise key heroes. Um, and you know, I think he 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 tried to sorceress blast, um, you know, a model into the king to dismount him. Didn't mm. get that off in the end, but oh, it was yeah. it was the the bow fire that, yeah. that got him off his horse. But yeah,
0: and that, and that's brilliant because this was Jim's whole plan, right? Because Arnor, I think I think we've already talked about this and we agree on it. Arnor has a cap. Yeah. and and yeah. jim jim uh, you know as he explained had, had sort of noticed that too So yeah. he wanted a bit of extra oomph and it sounds like he's pulled it off
1: yeah definitely in this in this um, game it, it really uh, like he had everything exactly where he needed it to be and it did its job really really well so at the end of it I think it was you know it, it was a convincing uh, victory to Jim and I certainly um he was a better player so he yeah. deserved to win it yeah. So,
0: um, well done, Jim. No, great. Uh, Well, round two done and dusted. Off to round three. All right, g'day, guys. Geordie at the end of round three with uh, my opponent, Damien. Afternoon. Uh, So, you're bringing a bit of Rohan today, but you are actually gone a bit out of the norm because you didn't bring a Legendary Legion.
6: No, no. Well, Legendary Legions were pretty much despised for this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> event, I guess. True, um, actually, yeah. Well, you got to play into the theme of the event, right? So I agree. Yeah, I'm here for that. General and... captain, no legendary legions. <laughs> That's simple.
0: No, I love it, and it's it's pretty interesting because like obviously regular Rohan's still pretty powerful, right? Yeah. Oh, you yeah. get you get to like pick and choose the best parts of each of the different new legions because you had Harleth, yeah, and you had like Ur- uh, not compared you had Théodrid. Grimbold, Grimbold.
6: Uh, Daywine, uh, Theodred. Yep. yep. So So you had
0: like this swathe of heroes, which is pretty cool. How much might were you rocking?
6: 15, 15, yeah, It's, (laughs) it's a lot.
0: And just for your paint scheme, it was sort of just the usual, like, browns and greens and stuff. Was there anything that, like, done specially? It's, like, very much movie?
6: Um, yeah, well, I spent so much time just looking at photos. Like, Thadred was probably the hardest to do research on, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because he I, has, I, like, half a, half a half scene. Half a scene, and then he's dead, and, <laughs> and you, you don't see it, really. Um, but his arm is, like, green and brown. Yep. But it's mostly brown in the films, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty much it, really. Just greens and browns.
0: No, it was really cool. I mean, it's just good to see classic Rohan. Um, all right, and then onto the game. We were playing Fog of War. Mm-hmm. What did you think seeing Dark Powers with seven very similar looking castellans in Fog of War?
6: Yeah, look, my brain didn't click when I sat down on the table. Like, oh, I know what Geordie's bringing. He's got Castellans of Dog it. Didn't click <laughs> for, until you started putting them down, like, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 okay. I see what's happening. Yeah, so, obviously,
0: that part aside, were you sort of worried looking at the list and the matchup, or?
6: Um, you know, I go into most of my games not really worrying too much about what I can and can't do. Yeah, um, true, yep. Because it, it just throws you off, right? Yep. So, I just kind of, I wanted to see how the first few turns went, and then from there, I could then evaluate sure. my situation. Um,
0: yeah, and so, basically, it progressed. I just sort of moved up through the centre, because um, we're deploying 24 inches apart, basically. I just moved up through the center. You sort of skirted some riders around each of the sides. And then you sort of met me with the... What are they called? The Grimbold Lads. Uh, the Helmingers. Helmingas. Helmingas yep. Which the Strength 4 actually came into play, didn't it?
6: Yeah, yeah. Uh, at the end and like halfway through the game. Yeah, Yeah.
0: some important kills that wouldn't have happened. No, um, no.
6: And yeah, so I guess I, I
0: got hold of like two Helmingers or something. And after I got that, and I even... I think the turn after one... Well, the turn after. I won every roll-off, didn't <laughs> I?
6: <laughs> yes, you you won every roll-off, even if you didn't want them at the start. And I think turn three or four, I won. And after that, it was just downhill. Yeah.
0: So, I sort of caught you in the middle. <laughs> after winning, as, as we said, like every roll-off, uh, in that one, I got hold of Dale Wine. Yes. And Thayadrid.
6: Yeah, they were really probably out of position. Um, but, you know, you got a lead from the front, I suppose. Yes, right. And then... Because
0: I had sort of had my hands on those two, you had to like commit everyone in, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yep. 100%. And so how did the
6: sort of combats go from there? It wasn't as bad as like it could have been. No, um, I think the first combat, I had to blow all of Theodrid's oh. might to, um, <laughs> to, to, to dodge fix a, s- a dodgy to, <laughs> fate roll. To, against a to, to, to
0: dodge a spider, yeah.
6: Yeah, uh, rolled the one.
0: <laughs> all three might to all get three that fate. Might.
6: Um, but at the time it was the best option. Oh yeah. Thadred, yeah, he held on. Uh Dayawine, oh. I think he was alright, because he, he only got caught by the captain, and I don't think... Yeah, you outfought had... the captain, I think. Yeah. yeah, it was just the captain at the stage, and I had the higher fight, so yep. I, I kind of just waited yep. until reinforcements. Yep. Um, which didn't totally and then,
0: arrive. Yeah, once they came in, the castle they were sort of fighting the Castellans, who would mm. block that flank, and it sort of went tit for tat, but you weren't getting kills, and I would only get like one or two kills a turn, which is... A little different for these yeah. Castellans, they normally chew.
6: Yeah, um, I know that we had about three or four kills apiece by the time it was like turn five. Yeah, yeah, real slow. It, it was slow, um, like shooting was abysmal on both ends, huh. really. <laughs> well my shooting was good, but it just put yeah. you on your ass. Yeah, that was about it. Um, and then I
0: guess, sort of breaking through the mid game, now we're looking at objectives. Were you hunting yours at the time?
6: I went fully in on him at the first turn. Like, yeah. That's why I threw Daywine in. I'm like, you know, strength five on a, what, defense four, defense five. Defense captain. five model, yep. yeah. Yeah, so fours to wound with, you know, two dice plus a Helmenga backing him up. Yep. Like, if I can get three wounds on him, blow him up. Yeah, get yeah. Get him out of there. Yep. I got a wound on him, but that Just was the one, which was pretty deal. important, yeah. Um, but my captain, who we found out was the one I was protecting, he, yes. he was skirting off for a little bit. Um, yeah. Post- And I was, I wasn't too phased with your captain being there because it it does
0: make sense as your target to to protect because he's sort of the least, he does the least work. Yeah. So he's the least important to get in there. I maybe should have clicked halfway through, but he, uh, he was chilling
6: at the end, wasn't he? Yeah, he was fine. He had to spend all of his resources to (laughs) pass a failed courage Another spider? Oh yeah, it was courage. Sorry, it was courage. Um, he was just in range of the witch king. So he had to blow everything, everything. Yep. Um, Thank God. And that was, that was after you had broken. Yeah. Um, but I just didn't... Because with this scenario, Rich had obviously like the, the whole progression chart. And I didn't really want him in, in amongst everyone. Yeah. Not when i need every inch, really.
0: Yeah, so I, I guess we skimmed that. Your, um, your captain actually had mob boss. Yes. Which gives a minus one movement aura. Yes. Yep. So it's even more important that he's just doing his own thing. Uh, and then I guess you did
6: have your, scenario, uh, your terrain piece tagged... Yeah, I did. But... Yeah. <laughs> uh, old mate rolled like a two or a three on his coach. For a courage. So he ran was... off and
0: uh, you did send the captain in afterwards, but he was sort of a bit too late. Yeah. And then uh, knowing my tactic had to be to just cross the board mm. as fast as I can, I just picked the most central bit of terrain. So I had scored that pretty easy. Yeah. And I slayed most of your heroes. And uh, I think my target was Thadred because I knew what a beat he was. Mm. So I just figured I'll blow all my all my like might to kill him if I have to. Yeah. Which we got there in the end, yeah. And then, uh, and then that's about it. I had you broken, and because they're so innocuous, I picked
6: one of my castellans and. Oh, I could <laughs> never get. Why? There. Yeah. No, yeah. I just I, I gave up on it. I'm like, I'm not killing a guy with twelve fate. I'll just go for the easy captain on walk. Yeah. Really? So
0: it was a very good game, and it came out twelve six my way.
6: Twelve six. Yeah. So I reckon if that guy didn't run, yeah, twelve nine. Yeah. So
0: I mean, after scoring all my stuff. And you breaking, I thought the game was over, so I just made some yeah. willy nilly charges. So I, I got my revenant to charge a single no, Hamminga.
6: Hamminga charged him. Hominga charged and me, you that's left right. It alone. That's right, yep. And, uh, and what happened? Um, <laughs> you know, when you roll a four and your captain doesn't roll above that, I think yeah. you win. <laughs> yep. So you won the combat and then you were just chasing a five? Uh, strength four, defense five. Yep. Lives, yeah, five. And then
0: uh, yep. also failing the fates. So
6: yeah, clapped him.
0: Look, yep, <laughs> clapped the clapped the captain for the extra points. But uh, yeah, that's on me. I should have uh, should have supported him, but here we are.
6: Yeah, well, that'll do it.
0: <laughs> no. Nah. All
6: right, good stuff. Thanks for the game. No worries. Thank you. I enjoyed it.
0: So, end of round three,
1: Albert here, I've got Clinton, uh, we've just finished up um, a rather long game,
5: <laughs> <laughs> uh, long. That, that good old random
1: length <laughs> uh, coming into play again, um, so Clinton, tell us a little bit about the army that you brought today.
5: So, I brought uh, Lost Lorien, mm. uh, I got it for Christmas, literally oh, nice. last year, nice. um, painted it up within the month, and then decided, you know what, I'm going to... Do a tournament with it That's awesome <laughs>
1: Fantastic so,
5: so this is the first
1: time That you've uh, Had a tournament Have you? Did you get any Practice games in before?
5: I got three practice games In beforehand yeah, okay. And this is the first time I've ever played okay. a tournament With With Lord of the Rings I've done 40k And all the rest yeah, of that sort yeah, of stuff yeah. Beforehand cool. But cool. Lord of the Rings First time Very cool Well that
1: kind of changes things. I didn't realise that you speed painted that up, so yeah. if I can quickly <laughs> like, It's a really yeah. no, like it's a really nice um, tabletop kind of army where like the the cloak colour that you've chosen I think is really nice. Thanks. Like often you see a lot of kind of the traditional blues. Yep. And yours is a little bit more of a teal. I've gone for the teal, yes. Yeah. yeah
5: I, I like to go different compared yeah. to what the actual standard dies.
1: Well, I think it it actually contrasts nicer with the, the gold armor. Yep. As well. I think like, so too, yeah. Because blue and gold, there's so many blue and gold yep. in the hobby world, right? Yeah. Um, and that little difference, I think it makes a big difference uh, when you're looking at the army as a whole. Yeah. Um, in terms of the basing, what, how did you base them? Was I was it was
5: actually uh, quite interesting. Um, I got a tip to actually use uh, herbs. Oh, and yeah, cool. Like, um, I used um, oregano. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Yeah, for leaves and yeah, so yeah, forth yeah, like yeah. that. And then I just used some flock for yeah, grass yeah. and yeah. so forth. But um, I've got rocks on the horses, so they sort yeah. of the cavalry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which are all just um, cork base with um, just some technical paint over the top yeah. of it.
1: I think it ties it all together really well, but it gives enough variation. And now that you've said that it's oregano, I'm going to go and have another look. Yeah, and like, have a bit of a smell of yeah, it, yeah, well. yeah, yeah, like, it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's it, that's it. Uh, delicious, delicious. Yeah. So uh, f- going into the the round, the scenario that we were playing was Fog of War. Yep. I'm assuming you
5: hadn't played that one before. No, I hadn't played any of the scenarios today yeah, before, okay. so it was really sick. What Good. did you think of the scenario as a whole? As a whole, um, I like the uh, secretive missions yeah yeah I'm, I'm yeah. a big fan of them yeah so yeah to have uh, a model that you could actually just go yep cool I'm going to make him defend but yep. I'm also going to attack him but not let yep. the opponent know about it yep. is uh, right up my alley I like yeah
1: it. no, it's one of my I think it's one of my favorite of the stock standard scenarios that you can pull so I'm always happy to play Fog of War because it is that whole thing of like you're trying to guess what your opponent's trying to do and you know you exactly. can feint and counter play and so it's very yeah. cool exactly um, in terms of the, the matchup, what did you think of um, you know, your chances against my army matching up on the other
5: side? To be quite honest, uh, when you said you had dwarves and so forth, I was like, okay, let's, I'm assuming they're pretty tough. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's give it a shot. But um, I based my army around being tough yeah. as well. Yeah. Not so much hard hitters, but just being able to withstand a lot of hits and shots. Yeah. Uh, Which, as you found out with Salaborn, he's he's almost a Chalaborn or whatever you want to call him, Um, he's he's bloody...
1: He was there there at the end. He's the lone survivor. Tell you what, he (laughs) did not go down whatsoever. And for that reason, I didn't choose him as my target. Yep. Because I knew he was going to be um, a tough one to crack and Haldir um, is is someone that I'm a little bit more comfortable going into. Going against, yeah. Um, So, we deployed on the board, we were playing on a really nice Rohan board. Um, which I thought was quite cool. Um, there was a there was quite a few terrain pieces to choose. Yes. Um, but we ended up choosing quite similar pieces in terms of where they were on the board and what they were. Yeah. Um, so what did you think uh, in that kind of opening uh, phase of engagement uh, when we were kind of positioning and moving around? Because you you had deployed your cav on one side of the board and then all your the infantry on the other. Yeah. Um, how did how did things kind of kick
5: off? Um. Being the last game of the day, I kind of got used to the fact that objectives and so forth don't actually happen until the end of the game. Yeah, I'm used sure. to used to with forty k where you got to get to the objective as far as first as quick as you can, yep. so that you get the points straight off the bat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously, the first two games didn't go so well. So the third one, I was like, all right, well, let's just try and first time I've ever used Galadriel with the mirror and moved her up as well to try and yep. help a lot of people. Yep. So that was my start off was like I'll, I'll use them as a choke point just sort of funnel them through so they all get covered yeah and then the calves can go off and, and sort of hopefully distract you a little bit yeah, well. yeah
1: yeah 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 yeah. I, I think um, that that mirror definitely um, played into it um, and um, I think your calve because they were on their own, I thought that they were going to go down pretty quickly. Yep. But they ended up sticking around for a good few turns. They like,
5: got some good toughness with them because yeah. it's armored horses already, plus yeah, yeah, shields, yeah. plus yeah. everything else. There, yeah, so. they
1: they definitely didn't go go down um, easily. I think that in the end it was just the the weight of numbers that I had, yes. which made you know made it able to trap. And then once you start trapping, you know, yes. you start taking things off. Because what board. was
5: your, your model count to start off? Ah, so.
1: uh, I think it was like low
5: thirties. Yeah, against my 19. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and, and that kind of meant that I could deal with the Cav component uh, on the one flank and then swing around and try and bring as many troops to um, deal with um, your infantry, which which managed to hold out for a really long time. Mm um and managed to break you but the game just dragged on and on and on it right? really did um kelleborn <laughs> managed to survive the day but um yeah it's one of those things where i think the the random game length sometimes really um is a bit of a detriment especially when you're playing the last game on a exactly, day yeah. you're like come yeah. on let's just let's just finish this up <laughs> <on." laughs> let's um, get over and done with. but so how did you what were your thoughts in terms of first uh,
5: lord of the rings tournament uh are you going to come back yeah, I think play another one? Yeah, 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 definitely. I'll get used to the army first, and then uh, come Absolutely. back and play another one. Yeah. But it's it, as I said, compared to the other systems that I've played, this one seems to be the most balanced. It also yeah. seems to be um, the quickest to play as well. Like yeah. we we're going through rounds like yeah. so quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so
1: yeah, that's, that's... you can definitely get through um, the the turns very quickly, and and because of that, I think there is that real you don't have to like you're saying you don't have to do everything in the first couple of turns no like you can sit back and as the elven player as well um what'll be interesting to see is you know you've basically got shooting superiority and even though it didn't do a whole heap of damage yeah, there yeah. was that one turn of shooting where i think you took off like a, four five, five four or five yeah, guys yeah, um yeah, which yeah. you know th- and that's the the danger of just sitting back and let letting elves shoot shoot right? exactly yeah, yeah. Um, so no it was really really um, enjoyable game um, i managed to to pull out the victory in the end um, but it was it was great to to roll dice and a great way to end it was the day fun cheers thank man you that. thank you very Have much you cheers so round three, final round, fog of war. Good scenario to finish on. Who were you playing, Jordy? Yeah,
0: so I got uh, Damien in the last round, um, and as you might have heard, he had the he was running Rohan, mm. but unlike uh, anything you've seen in the past three years, he was running it not as a legendary legion. Wow, what a f- refreshing change! What the heck? But it was actually kind of cool the amount of like versatility that he gets now. Right. So. He had a ground contingent. Yeah, um, they were all Helmingers with Grimbold. Yeah, okay. And now Harleth is involved. The, the little twelve-year-old who. Because
1: he he can only really exist in the Helms Deep
0: legendary legion. Otherwise, As it is, right? Because yeah, because otherwise you you chock full the mounted. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, cool. They he chucked him in here with the the um the Helmingers. So yeah, five cool. four strength four. Nice. Not bad. Nice. Um, but on top of that, he was. Full of heroes, he's the classic Rohan. It's like yeah. we're all cost efficient and we're all pretty bloody good. So he had Theodrin, <laughs> yep, he had uh, Dea Wine, yep, which is the free combat guy, yeah, Great. within 12 of Theoden, yep, yep, uh, and of course he had Theoden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did he have anyone else? I think, yeah, he had a, a generic captain as well to soak up those, uh, right, those tournament day buffs. So it's like father son plus some other, yeah, um, and he had like three or four Royal Guard mounted, three or four Riders of Rohan. Okay. So like... Real mixed arms. Proper mixed arms. Yeah, interesting. Um, which seemed to have served him well because he was in, uh, you know, a table tabletop game.
3: Mm. A rather top position
0: game. Um, so going into it, Fog of War, of course, uh, I knew that I was going to him. I mean, you have to pick an opponent's... Uh, piece of terrain anyway but I was picking you know the deepest I could go as well mm, sort mm. of because I knew he was going to backpedal every step of the way mm. and I had to chase him every step of the way so mm. I picked his back objective I picked um, Theodrid because I wanted to kill him anyway because mm. if that guy charges a Castellan, and this is probably the only model that can do it in the whole game it's dead mm. you know eight wounds reroll everything wounding on fives <laughs> the Castellan will cop four wounds and then pop yeah. um, so I knew I was going for him anyway so why not just make him my target and <laughs> I chose to protect uh, one of my innocuous yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> castellans. He can never pick which one because he doesn't know. No. Um, so I think I may have protected like two swords or something because um, they're, you know, the different ways to define them. So when yeah. went with two swords, I think, anyway. Yeah. Lo and behold, he didn't get any, so it was okay. Did he pick? Who did he pick? Well, uh, of course, cleverly, he picked the revenant. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. The only identifiable yeah, 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 hero yeah, yeah. that, of course, wasn't the Dark Emissary. Yeah. Um. So also
1: the squish, one of the squishier
0: ones. Also right. the squishiest one. Well, yeah, the squishiest yeah. one. Yeah. Um. Makes sense. So yeah, definitely logical choice. Um. So yeah, as, as sort of I expected, I deployed as far up as I could. He deployed essentially as far back as he could because he had, you know, it was only like seven or eight bows, and they're at strength two, hitting on fours and five. So. I think zero damage by the time we connected but <laughs> to be still expected still worth it you know yeah. worth a shot um, so I'd marched two to three turns worth mm. um, I was just beelining for his infantry contingent yep because if I moved after his cav he moves you know the five inches shoot five inches shoot and then when I'm within six he's alright ten inches now yep. five inches shoot five yep. inches ten inches um, the classic yep. um, so just beelined for his infantry and yeah I think I caught him with the, the classic heroic move off um if you
1: take down his infantry, does he break? In terms of the way that the numbers work?
0: I would say, off by memory, one-to-one. I think he wouldn't have broken. Right. But it's the classic, you know, I've got Haleth Grimbold and like 12 to 13 Helmingers. Yeah. So mm. it's like a good 200 points to just yeah, 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 yeah. let yeah. me chop and yeah. and then all it takes is one, you know, one good wug or one good spider spit and yeah. Mm. um. So I grabbed his infantry contingent. Theodrid was very close by. Mm. Um, and I think I managed to catch him with that, like maybe with a model or two. So, did you force the, the impulse charge? Because he has to charge if able to do so. Nah, he was already sort of chilling nearby.
2: Right. Um, okay.
0: Though I maybe could have baited him with a wag, like it turned out. Yeah. 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 I, I didn't, I, you know, it's one of those rules that you forget. And, like, it's his big weakness, so I should have really, yeah. Uh...
1: But it's... And it's also, like, you know, you tempt him out with one and then you give him a free heroic combat as well. True, right? Yeah, he now, he still up. has to charge in, but, yeah. like, he, maybe Spend he can... Spend the mind
0: and just run away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, that's yeah. fair. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd um, got a couple of spiders poised on Theodred. Yeah. So, I hit that five up and he's, you know, got to ro- resist that paralyze. And, of course, Theodred being one fate means my spiders you know he can either whiff the roll Mm. or I just take a couple turns get a couple spits off and um, yeah so I charge everyone else in and I think that's what happened a spider head got to him that turn so Mm. he was a bit off the flank but he was close and a spider got in I hit the five shoots a paralyzer at Theodred he rolled a one Burns all three might.
1: Really, you have to. Well, I know, but like,
0: <laughs> it's just terrible. It's so
3: tasty. Yeah. Wow. Three might
0: off the board. Oh, <sighs> give me that. Um, delicious. And yeah, I think I, I don't think I got Harleth that turn, but he would have countercharged to get the plus one five value or, or something along those lines. Um, and yeah, it was. Uh, it was to
1: get your target in a fateless, mightless mites- yeah. <laughs> position. After the initial engagement, that's a great result. It did feel good.
0: That's a great Um, result. For the spider's impertinence, Theodra did straight up kill it that turn. Just whack. Two wounds. Um, So I think we did a a little heroic move again. I believe I won this as well, so that was pretty good. He had charged Dea Wine into one of my castellans, and I think maybe that was a whiff or it was a... Or maybe he knocked it over and did minimal damage. It didn't die. It wasn't even close. So, I had uh, used my heroic move that, uh, that I got and trapped Day of Wine as well. Mm. So, whenever you're up against those like heroic, free heroic combat heroes, whether it's the circumstantial ones like yeah. Day of Wine or um, the Shield Bearer, the Dwarven one, yeah. or they're just the natty ones like Elendil and the Balrog, mm. one of the ways to just switch it off is to put more wounds than they can deal. Yep. Um, that's obviously pretty like in, like intuitive, like it makes sense, but sometimes you don't think about it. Mm. So I put like, you know, four Castellans onto, onto Darwin, and he wasn't going anywhere. I um, mean, it's, it's handy having a model that has like, <laughs> how many wounds? You uh, know, <laughs> One wound, 12 fate. <laughs> um, so naturally he was going to countercharge most of them, but yep. like the way I saw it is, you know, obviously one was enough in when I charged, but whenever he charged me, I did the same thing and mm. sort of forced that, that same occurrence that even if he won, he wasn't getting both of them and mm. he was staying put. Cause that's, that's where you get the real efficiency from those heroes is when they get to fight two combats a turn. Yep. Particularly day one with yep. his, when he's on a horse. So. Like if
1: he's killing f- three or four models a turn, that's all <gasps> he needs to do. He's paying himself off in two turns. Can't
0: yeah. he? Um, I'd sent another spider at Theodrid. Mm. I didn't get the poison because this would have been immediate. There's yeah. no resisting from yeah, me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I Worth thought a shot. it's still one in three to essentially kill my yeah. target, so I'll yeah. take it. Yeah. Um, but I did get the Dark Emissary in base contact. He countercharged with Courage 5, Harleth. Why is he Courage 5? Uh, anyway.
1: <laughs> Considering he's one of his only lines in the movies is like, <laughs> the men said there's no hope. There is no hope. We won't last the night. Like, he's Courage 1. He's Courage 1. Come on. Unless he's within... Three inches of Aragorn oh, and,
0: and then he's, he's give the nice five, speech but Aragorn right? takes his sword. Yeah. <laughs> That's the trade-off. <laughs> he's now unarmed
1: yeah. but he's courage five.
3: <laughs> Perfect.
0: Uh, but uh, yeah, so the, he peeled off my dark emissary he was Right, was t- uh, okay. touching Theodrid. The, the the trick here was like Theodrid can just one-shot anything, right? Yeah. The the dark emissary or, uh, he, died, he has one wound. Mm. You can't overkill him. You can just kill him mm-hmm. um, and he'll Come back on a three up regardless. So, mm. uh my whole plan for the rest of the game was for him to just duke it with Thadred and eventually probably kill him or yep. get killed himself, and then come back. Yeah, no harm. To Do no it all foul. over again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then at this point, I think Damien, most of Damien's like Rohirrim had come in, but the the Castellans fight five just was too much. Mm. You know, mm. like he gets a Rohan royal guard with the charge. We're just both fight five two attacks. But if I win, he's dead. If he mm-hmm. wins. I'm like wounded. Yeah, yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so we just sort of got to, it was just like a duke it out that was just so heavily in my favor. Yeah. Um, eventually, Theoden himself got in and, and I think he may have won a couple of combats, but it was sort of the, the same thing mm. where just I would entrap the hero with fight five and they just have to strike every turn or mm. die. Mm. So as much as like, I think Damien came into this uh, fight with, eight, I, I want to say like 18 to 20 might to my five. You know, he burnt it, you know, two to three per turn. Right. Like, that whole time Dare was trapped, he was striking up just yeah. to, to live. And I think Harleth, who I didn't realize, had heroic defense. Use my to, to heroic defense. <laughs> 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 Though, luckily, um, I think I, I was, it was the Witch King and a Castellan on Harleth. Four attacks. Harleth is two wounds, two fate. He heroic defended. I dealt three wounds.
3: Ooh. He
0: failed his fate. No. I got the heroic combat wow. off of a heroic defencing Harleth. Wow. That's that's very impressive. As as far as I'm concerned, that's, that's comeuppance, you know? Yeah, Harleth yeah, yeah, yeah. was getting too yeah. cocky. He's too big for his britches. Goodness gracious
1: me. That profile is just outrageous. <laughs> outrageous.
0: Um... And so with the fog of war sort of thing, he had sent a couple riders around the back and he sent the captain around the back. Mm. Um, he had a rider on his objective. At one point he broke and that rider bolted,
1: so mm. he lost his points. Um, what was your um, terrain that you were trying to capture?
0: Yeah, the so there was a, a, a large forest sort of quite deep into his territory yeah. and, and quite central. Yeah. So I just picked that one because, like I said, I'm chasing him backwards and he's probably running backwards. So yeah. Yeah. caught him on the forest um, I had killed off I'd killed Theodrid eventually. Um, just, just traps with, with the I think it was with the um, the the Witch King and a few other models, like a spider and a wag or something. Mm. Um, and then I killed Harleth and, and whatever Helmingers were left and I'd camped like two orcs on there or something like that. Yeah, okay. Um, so and I'd got my target Theodrid. So and naturally he couldn't tell my castellans apart, so I got my protect like from the from the get go. Um he was protecting his captain yeah, okay. who had done this big skirting manoeuvre and was sort of ready to right. re-charge. Right. You know, you can't just like keep him out of the, out of the combat forever and, and expect to like come out on top. So uh, much of the lines are capitulated, but it wasn't over. So he got the captain in ready to charge. And ultimately, I think I didn't commit too much on him because he's defence seven. So I'm like, whatever, I don't care. I've got my target, you know, Theodrid, who's much more valuable. Mm. Um, yeah, and he had a model on, on his chosen terrain piece, but he piss bolted.
3: Right.
0: Um, and I, then on the very last turn of the game, I had, you know, it was clean up for me. Yeah. I just put the revenant onto one model. Oh. I had, uh, he was one wound as well. Oh. One wound, one fate. Oh. I charged everything else everywhere else. I had yeah. plenty of models to work with, but yeah, I was yeah. like, whatever, yeah. he's fine. <laughs> um, uh, so I was fighting, I think just a helminger. Yeah. Um, you know, I had three attacks because I'm um, the profile is a hunter raw captain. Yeah. So three attack space. Yeah. You know, I I think I was also the high five because was five three at this point. I rolled like twos and threes, and he rolled the five. So I back away, and of course he's helming, so he shrinks four. So he Ooh. he uh, he rolled he rolled the wound. He got the five. Okay. Oh no! Oh no! Uh, so I got my fates and uh, big fail. No. Yeah. Way. So through my own like carelessness yeah, yeah i gave him the three vps which wow. was uh and I, like I, I should have known he was the target too yeah I
2: just sort yeah, of, yeah. yeah yeah i
0: had yeah. gotten all my objectives so uh i
1: yeah <laughs> i i had a similar thing in my game as well just like end of the game end of the day end of the tournament kind of you 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 feel like you're doing well in a scenario yeah, yeah. and it's
0: easy to kind of overlook those things yeah. right um so yeah Lo and behold, I got the break. I got the leader kill as well. I think he's involved here. Yeah. Um, Thaden just sort of went down once he ran out of strike points. Yep. And I, I just had like four castles on him at that point. Um, so it was, yeah, uh, I guess trivial at that point. So I was like, great, here we go. Mm. Um, and then Hunter or Captain died. And it was it was a good funny moment. And, and, and Damien was uh, pretty jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was, that was the end of the final round. So, so it, was
1: a, it was a close win then
0: for you in the end, was it? It was 12.6 points
1: wise. Right. Okay. Um, so still, yeah. Okay. Yeah, still a decent uh, guy Because he didn't have his terrain. Piece. He didn't have his terrain. Yeah, like, okay, yeah, 12.9 if he yeah. kept the terrain. Yeah. But it, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, the Rohan Warrior just wasn't game. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And uh, your final game? How did we
2: go?
1: So after two convincing losses, uh, I was down at the other end of the table. So you were yep. you were yep. um, right at the at the top, and I was right down the bottom. I was playing against uh, a new guy to the scene, uh, pretty veteran uh, war gamer, but uh, yep. new to yep. Lord of the Rings. Yep, uh, Clinton uh, Brimhall. Uh, so it was it was a it was a fun game that we had. Um, he was playing Lothlorien. Uh, and he was bringing uh, the three named here, so he had uh, Galadriel, Celeborn, and Haldir.
0: Oh, all the bigwigs of mm, Lothorion. Mm. Yeah. And
1: so with Celeborn, he had uh, all the, like a cavalry contingent. So cool. Yeah. Merkled, five Merquand cav-, cav. All right. Yeah. And then uh, with Haldir and Galadriel, Galadriel had her mirror as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, just a, a bunch of. Uh, uh, Galathrum warriors, so spear and shield, um, and as many bows as he could fit in as well. Uh, The board that we were playing on was kind of like a a Rohan Viking village-esque board. Oh, yeah. Um, And there were plenty of buildings to choose in terms of terrain pieces, um, but there was a really massive um, building that kind of cut down the centre
0: of yes. the board. Yes, yeah, like the Longhouse. Yeah, yeah,
1: the, the, the Longhouse kind of de- split the board in, in two, basically. Yeah. Um, and so because of de- that, that deployment, uh, Clinton basically had to... Uh, we well, didn't have to, but he chose to split his sure. force, sure. right? Yep. So uh, he had Keleborn and a small CAV contingent, Facing up against my entire battle line.
2: Mm. And, then, and
1: then his uh, infantry uh, facing up against um, my Dwarven Rangers. Uh, I thought they could have a nice okay. little shootout. Okay. I'd probably lose. But as long as they're shooting and not moving to yep. support the Cavs, yeah. I'm happy to lose um, lose that, that fight. Um, so the uh, you know the the opening moves were basically me moving up my battle line to make sure that the cav couldn't uh rejoin his other half of yeah, gotcha, uh, the yeah. army um and force them to basically commit and charge in which they did Brilliant. um yep. so the charge went off and i was able to counter charge with the few cav that i had oh, no. to take away charge bonus oh no which then also allowed me to trap and i basically um, took down uh, the majority of the Cav in kind of the first two turns. Oh, ouch. Um, and then so he had Celeborn, um kind of isolated and on his own, mm. um, which meant that for basically the rest of the game, I could feed as many troops into Celeborn exactly like you were saying, like feed him more troops than he can actually wound yep. and try and get him to fluff his rolls.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, you know, he could kill as many as he wanted because he was never going to do enough damage. He's staying right there, right? yeah. So um, that locked that up and uh, on the other flank, uh, Clinton was slowly bringing forward um, the other half of his force um, and it gave me time to kind of redeploy my battle lines mm. to deal with that threat and... Um, and um, my target was Haldir. Obviously, I'm not going to go for Galadriel or Celeborn. Way too
0: tanky. Plus the mirrors there, right? That, yeah. That refreshes fate, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're not touching it's them. It's never, never going to not happen. touching them.
1: Never going to happen. Um, and uh, so my King's Champ was there, basically was um, you know immobilized for the entire game because <laughs> yeah. of um, Galadriel. He was just
0: staring at Galadriel, you yeah. know?
1: Yeah, Um, which was fine because it, it, you know... And understandable. Oh, totally. Like, you know, had absolutely had to do it because if it didn't, then it just would have been complete and utter utter chaos. Um, But, you know, slowly ground down um, that that side of the board um, and fought around what was Clinton's um, terrain objective. Uh, Sure, yep. So, um, he ended up breaking and the one guy that he did have on the, the objective, I think, ended up um, running away. Oh, elf courage again. I know, I know. Cursed, curse on the day. Um, and managed to take down uh, Haldir, got my uh, king that was still mounted. I was about um, to ask
0: how you got yours. Yep. So, the king was... Yeah. yeah. So,
1: and I was, uh, I was trying to protect one of my heralds, right?
0: Yep. So, similar to you, that kind of,
1: that last little um, moment, right? <laughs> so, I had surrounded Kelleborn by, like, four guys. Yep. But I had that herald for the banner, just in case.
0: Sure, you know, To sure. add a, okay.
1: a, a re Didn't need to. And he was the guy I was trying to protect. Okay. Right? And that was his target, right? Um, Keleborn managed to win that particular combat. And... Um, and, and kill a couple of guys, which opened Chums up space yep. Yep. to then go into that oh, no herald the next turn. So he got to charge the herald, right? Oh. But I had enough guys kind of lurking in the background to then really dogpile in with okay. as many dice as possible. Okay, He didn't win that combat. I managed to get the herald oh. out, right? You so dodged the bullet. I, I dodged the bullet. But it was, it was like, oh, come on. Like, even though... I was in a really like commanding position. It's just those still sh- slipped up. I mean, this is why I was on the bottom tables, <laughs> making those kind of <laughs> stupid decisions. Um, so, but no, it was it was a really enjoyable game uh, with Clinton, and it was really nice to um, kind of talk through uh, with a newer player and kind of talk about. Um, Different approaches to things like we, we were playing a very open game in terms yeah, of right, like yeah. these are the things that I'm thinking about as I'm moving and doing this and think about that with Keleborn and you know trying to trying to um, talk him through some of the nuances around because one of the things that he was saying uh, he's a 40k player yeah. so you know he's used to just kind of picking up the four five full of of models just and go. just kind of yep. push them around and it's kind of you know unit cohesion or whatever but Talking to him about the nuance of, you know, if you've only got one Cav and Celeborn left, it's really important how the Cav moves to try and stop Celeborn being trapped. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, and just that, that kind of basing and, and talking him through like the nuance of control zones when it's not in your favor and mm-hmm. how to kind mm-hmm. of maximize when you've got a big killer hero and talk him through that, that kind of stuff. So... That, that was actually quite enjoyable um, yeah yeah and to the day of like you know feeling like um, uh, I was talking through um, and and bringing a, a, a newer guy um, along the journey
0: yeah and that's and that's ah oh, I guess something to, to point out is like you know read the room like if you're yeah. if your opponent is new the dynamic changes yeah right you're not here to just you know ground pound a newbie into the dust like what what good does that do yeah so it sounds like yeah you've you've sort of taken the right approach and and hopefully welcomed yeah well, welcome someone to the fold i mean i say well, that maybe stumping them today.
1: but it was it ended up being twelve zero oh. and and like he only had i think i ended up actually managing to kill galadriel that's how bad it kind of got oh. And he only had Kellerborn left on the table. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I hope that there was still kind of some enjoyment, you know, in yeah. that it wasn't like, you know, we, we were talking through, you know, strategies and tactics and, and nuance of the game so that it wasn't just like, oh, now I'm taking this piece off. Yeah, now yeah, I'm taking yeah. this. And what are you going to do
0: about it? Well, it, it's difficult because there's always a winner and a loser, right? Yeah. Um, and so you've just got to, I guess, make make the best of it. Yeah. Um, for, for, I I guess this is for the new player, but but for you as well, you know.
1: Yeah, oh, I think um, I think it's that that like you said before, reading the room, and I think it's just as much as anything, it's the language that you use, yeah. and the way that you talk through things. Um, I think yeah. it's it's um, and and for newer players as well, um, I think it really helps when you're describing why you're moving things like this guy's moving half so he can shoot or this yes. guy's moving here so that he's just six inches outside of your charge range. Exactly. And and that way, yep. n- not only does it avoid any confusion, but it also uh, helps them to start, you know, kind of thinking uh, in that way. Yes. Of, of... It's,
0: it's like a, a little prompt. Yes. That they can use next time they have a cab model near an infantry model. Yep. They go, Oh, Albert stood outside of my six inches so that I couldn't charge him and he could charge me. Now I'm going to start doing that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yep. yep. yeah,
1: exactly. So that was it. That was the, the tournament um, in terms of the games. But yeah. shall we get into the post-tournament wrap-up? Move on
0: to some uh, award ceremonies.
6: Tonight, we remember
4: those who gave their blood to defend this country. Hail the victorious dead! Hail!
0: So tournaments done and dusted. The games are over. All that's left is to dish out those awards. Yeah, and
1: what awards were people playing for, Jordy?
0: So naturally, first, second, and third. Yeah. This um tournament actually didn't have like the usual like best army, as it were. Yeah, which was actually pretty
3: cool.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. So I think the categories Diggy had. I might be wrong here, but I think it was best evil uh, model. Yes, a so singular model. Yeah. Yeah, yep, so singular. Um, could be anything. could be a monster. could be yep. just a character. It could be just one of your random chaff if they happen to be impeccable. Exceptional. Um, best good hero and best display board. Yes. Which uh, is very uh, in theme here. Mm, we pushed that one very hard. Um, okay, so uh, where do you want to start? Um, so let's go best good model. Yes, okay.
1: So uh, there was a lot more good models submitted than yes, there were evil models. this is models. important to point out.
0: <laughs> I, I think there was like seven good models yep. and two evils.
1: That's right. Uh, and I think, so the good models was, was hotly contested because there, yeah. were, there were yeah. um, more in there. And I think it uh, came down to two in the end yep. that were quite close. Yep. Um, yeah, so uh, second place was um, Dave White. Yeah. yep so he had a really cool conversion uh it was a conversion of a king of men yeah um on a horse as well
0: mounted yeah i saw this um like when i was mid game three mm. i just looked over at the table you know next to me the uh the white brothers were actually playing each other which was a little unfortunate but that's okay <laughs> um and on my on my table edge closest to me was this you know regal as king yeah looking very you know pompous and very uppity um holding up a lance and just, uh, you know, being being a gallant boy. Very
1: cool. It was so... The base model that he used was the old, like, the original King of Men. Yeah, So, he obviously chopped him at the waist and put him on a horse and then uh, gave him a shield and a lance. Um, And, you know, like you said, he had, like, very opulent robes.
0: Super, like, air of confidence about him. Like, he was... (laughs) Yeah.
1: He was yeah. in charge. So that, that came in second and it was very close. Uh, but uh Nathan Rhodes. Nathan Rhodes, from the uh, podcast, took it out. Yeah, he took it he took it out with his Dwalin. And
0: and I I like the um the the fact that it's like a single model painting competition. Yeah. But the painting that like Nathan submitted actually extends to his whole army. Yes. Um it was it's just so clean. Yeah. Um and the, the highlighting, it's like the color choice was already like pretty good. Yeah, the highlighting was like really, really clean. Like yeah, the, I think he did edge highlighting in some of it and just
1: well, he had like uh quite nice kind of patterns on the leather. So, yep. like, even even the, the the flatter surfaces, he was filling that in with some really nice freehand yeah. details, which was it was subtle, like, it was crisp, but it was subtle.
0: Yeah, um, and I think another thing that 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 carried these models was the, the skin color was very, it was vibrant, but it still looked natural. And I think yes. that was pretty strong. Yeah. yeah. Especially the submitted model, Dwylan, who's a, a nice little baldy. You, know, yeah, you could yeah, see it, yeah. you know, see yeah, it really yeah, well yeah, there. Yeah.
1: yeah no. So that, that was really, really well done. Evil, who submitted models, Geordie?
0: Oh, um, so there was, uh, a Camul submitted okay. by one of the newer guys. Um, and there was me. Hey, um, and, uh, which
1: model did you submit
0: for I, I th- well actually this is a good uh, conversation because I had the choice between two of my models yeah the revenant on Wag yeah in uh, his big base and, yeah. and looking in that like prowling position or the one that I actually think is you know was, was technically better painted and I like the colour contrast better and everything like that which is of course the witch king mm. with his you know blue shiny stones and, and the, the death marker as well yeah um but it's, it's interesting because ultimately, and I'd asked a few people, like I'd surveyed Jim and yourself and, and everyone just said the Revenant. Yeah. And it's, it goes to show that how much power like a centerpiece model has. Yeah. Just, that, just you know, that big look you know, actually carries the weight of its own.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's
0: it's definitely the
1: more imposing model. Yeah. And and, but I also feel like there's more to look at compositionally. So, I agree. Yeah. Technically, yeah. the painting on The Witch King was more interesting in terms of its execution. Yeah. But with The Revenant, you had the big kind of tree stump base. Yeah. Right? Yep. And then you had the OSL again on that. Um, and just a little bit more action in the pose. Yeah. So, uh, I think you, you definitely chose correctly because
0: you ended up winning. Yes, top spot for The Revenant. Um, I, was very, I was very excited about that. Um, you know, I had less competition, but, you know, it's still, still always good to, to win a nice yeah. painting comp.
1: Yeah, definitely, and, and well-deserved as well. And so, um, I've taken photos. I, I really don't think that the photos do it justice um, in terms of... <laughs> like yeah. v- viewing it in real life it's much like my iphone is uh, only so good and and i'm not a very good photographer so well, and
0: yeah, i think you mentioned this to me off air and i think you did mention in the podcast that, that taking photos of these guys is going to be a little interesting yeah because you've got a black background yeah. the the colors just not going to show through properly no. and and look again albert's done his best and and i'm i'm going to trust him with with the shots he's taken <laughs> um because there's only so much you can do yeah yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, hopefully those, those at home, you know, hopefully you can see it and, uh, you know, appreciate what, what is there and the, yeah, the bits definitely. you can see at least. Yeah,
1: definitely. Definitely.
0: And so the final comp, the display board. <laughs> hey. So,
1: um, there were three display boards. Yep. Three submitted. yeah. So there was yourself. Yep. Uh, myself, mm-hmm. uh, and the previously discussed Josh Coleman. Yeah. Right. Um, um and like all fantastic
0: display boards. I would have liked to see a few more. Yeah, um, it's it's difficult because like display boards I think they're they're on the downturn. Well yeah. we're trying to turn that around. Yeah. You yeah, know? yeah. We yeah, want yeah. it to we yeah. want it to be a thing again. Um so, hopefully, the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm really glad Josh brought one in. Yeah. So, at least, you know, we didn't look like the weirdos who brought yeah. it. <laughs> but also, like, he
1: put in some real work. Oh, and, yeah. And yeah. it really, like, it was a really well-executed board. Like, he, you could see that he really had thought about... And even to the point where his objective markers right, were all bits of little scenery that fit in Ooh. on the deeping wall. Okay, that's so the, next level. Like, there were barrels filled with um, arrows, right? Yeah. And then he had, like, a training dummy, which was a sick, like, a really <laughs> good objective. <laughs> and just a couple of other things that not only built this scene, yeah. but were also functional in the game, much well, in the same way as your resurrection token was, right?
0: Well, that's that's... I guess that's how it slipped my eye because I just thought they were part of the scene. Yeah, they blended oh, in. Well so done, well. Josh.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was really um, really well done.
0: Uh, but ultimately, there can only be one. Yes. And I think, uh, looking at the photos, I think I know which one
1: <laughs> I pick. <laughs> um, yeah, I was I was pretty pretty chuffed. Yep. <laughs> uh, to take away um, that that win, especially because the prize was pretty epic.
0: Apparently, it was top spot. <laughs> like, it was huge. I didn't
1: realize it, but uh, when um, Dickie was calling it out, he's like, this is actually the top prize for the day. Um, and so I got a, a Mines of Moria, um, uh, the, the old terrain yeah. set, yep. um, which is awesome because I've always wanted to build a balanced Tomb. Well, I've done it before, but I want to redo Re-vamp, it. And yeah. I'll definitely use that this yeah. time, which will be really cool. Then I got another like... Um, set of tavern um, oh, scenery wow. uh, which yeah. is kind of D&D vibes which is really cool yeah. um, again like I'll scatter, definitely good use scatter that stuff, yeah. absolutely um, and then I got a store voucher as well Just a, on, all, all that on top oh, yep. it was awesome so yep. um, you know awesome to see Throw the Dice putting so much um, like prize pool yeah. into the event.
0: Ch- channeling the money where it needs to be. Yeah,
1: and but interesting to see it kind of go to a hobby aspect yeah. as opposed to necessarily a tournament. Well, uh, I'm here for it. Maybe he's listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we can only hope. Um, but then uh, we come back to the actual tournament itself. Mm. So, um, hotly contested at the top, uh, as it usually is, um third place who came in third
0: um so it came to my last round opponent damien
1: yeah damien local lad very Um, good
0: yeah which is which is exciting to see one of the i mean they started maybe this time last year but like that's Pretty new, from yeah, as far as yeah, all, all things yeah. considered. So, I
1: remember playing Damien when he was very new in the original Slow Grow last year when yeah. he was when he was doing his uh, Rohan, and he's come so long, like such a long way in terms of how he plays his Rohan. Yeah,
0: it's really like, great to see. He genuinely knows what he's doing, which is yeah. really impressive. Um, so good to see him make podium.
1: Yeah, yeah, good result. Um, especially running a non legendary Legion Rohan. Exactly. Hand behind his back. All things are well possible. done. All things are possible. Um, moving on to second place, though.
0: Well, those keen eared listeners might know that I'm three W's deep. <sighs> but there was another player three W's deep. There is. On three wins. We had myself and Joshua Coleman. That's right. That's right. uh, and going into this round, I actually believe there was maybe only a single point between us. Ooh. I think I was up on him, but I'm not 100%. It could have been the other way around. Yeah, right. uh, and uh, Josh had finished his game before me. He knew his result. <sighs> Just waiting to see what mine was. Uh, and of course, I got the 12-6. Yeah, yeah. So I got the, I got the max. max points. Um, luckily for me... Josh's opponent managed to scrape a few points off of him. Ooh, wow. I think he only got like a 9-6. Right. Putting Joshua Coleman in second place.
3: Wow.
1: Which can only mean one thing. that Wait, what does that mean? We've got the bloody winner of the tournament bloody on this podcast oh. already.
3: <laughs> what? What?
1: So Geordie, I think now you have to interview yourself as the winner yes of course,
0: uh, of course. Ask yourself the hard-hitting questions um, <laughs> and I'll just sit here and watch. <laughs> All right so Geordie, uh, what were you thinking going into that last round? Yeah, so I was uh, you know I was really worried you know if maybe I was going against Josh it would be like in a real clash of the Titans but it just so panned out that we were different points values and had to face different opponents. Oh, so uh, you didn't versus Josh, so that was a pretty good thing? Yeah, I think so. Like, he had the fight five, which I, uh, at that point, you know, that's my advantage over the other armies. Um, So, dodging the elves, I think, with the Elven Blades, it really, like, dulls my castellans. Yeah, so then you saw you had the Rohan in Fog of War. What were you thinking? (laughs) Uh, Now, I think we should... (laughs) I like...
1: I like how a serious and uh, baritone interview Geordie is. Um, yeah, so uh, in all seriousness, no, that is a fantastic result, right? Like, yeah. Oh. You mentioned it there in your self-interview, but I think <laughs> it's, it's important to note that like, it's often winning a tournament takes more than just winning all your games. Like, yeah. There is also an element of luck. Right, yeah, that comes into huge, it. Yep. So like the fact that there was the points differential that meant that you were playing Damien and not Josh, like that could have completely changed things, yep. right? Because the matchup between Josh and your army, like you're saying, is completely different. yeah. Um and and so therefore, who knows? Who knows where that goes, right? Yeah. But the, that the I don't want to say the luck, but like, you know, um, that uh, that change in direction that meant that you were playing Demo completely changes the paradigm. Um, yeah,
0: and, and like it was luck throughout the games too. It wasn't just that. It was like, I think in the in my game against Nick, I rolled sixes where I needed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then yeah. where I didn't, I was just rolling threes and fours and stuff. Yeah. But when I needed to get a kill, I rolled the six, you know, yeah. stuff like that. And then yeah. um, against Damo, you know, I won, I think, two heroic move-offs in a row. Like, it's this culmination of yeah. hundreds of different... Yeah you know chances of luck coming together yep. um but super super happy to come away with this army um i think it was uh, I, I like i we were talking that it was maybe suboptimal. like but i actually think there was a lot to it mm. um and there was more nuance than i like sort of went in thinking cuz i was just like oh, it's it's a castle and shield wall with a few args but there was there was a lot of play I mean, it gives you so much versatility, obviously. Mm. Like, mm.
1: you faced such um, different opponents throughout the day. Yeah. That yep. each had, like, you know, you, you had the shield wall grind with yep. Arnold, with Jim. You had, um, you know, the high mobility um, of um, uh, Damo at the end. Yep. You had the, the survivor, well, the perceived survivability <laughs> of the yep. dwarves, yep. right? But again, like you were, you were facing like I guess the opposite of the mobility of that kind of tanky Mm -hmm. force. So you literally force you faced off against three very different opponents, and the list was able to adapt and suit that that kind of matchup, which is to me the sign of a very good list, (laughs)
0: right? Yeah, absolutely.
1: But in all seriousness, we should probably switch to some actual oh. hard-hitting all right, all right. Uh, interview questions. What here. have you got for okay, me? Okay, so um, I suppose okay, let's start with this. Who's the MVP? And and was it uh Castellan number
0: 14? <laughs> <laughs> um I, I think it's it's interesting. I the MVP definitely has to be the Witch King because of the the might. But I mean that's obvious, but it was also the Harbinger. Okay. So many of, of Jims and the Dwarves, um, so many fails mm. were exaxi's fails. Yeah, right. Um and and he's obviously like technically the most expensive unit in my army, so of course he's the best, but but it was like the, the three points of might just gave me a lot of control yeah. where I needed it. And I only needed that control for like two to three turns. Yeah. I needed two um, heroic move-offs and yeah. one heroic combat. Yeah. And I could force my opponent to where I needed. Because, yeah. um, of course, the weakness of the list is the might. But it turns out you just need that tempo gained through those one to two turns. And then you can get the castle ends in all the right spots.
2: I feel
1: like though, that that right there, what you're talking about there, is the difference between a really good player such as yourself and a mediocre player like me. <laughs> because I use might inefficiently and as a crutch to make oh, up for my mistakes. No. Right? Whereas what I you're see, describing yeah. is you are using the might to ramp up the tempo that you've already gained yeah. through good positioning, good play to then just, you know, put the kind of yep. the, the the pedal down and tip tip it to the point where what? the enemy can't come back from. It.
0: Well, and I I think maybe this is this is the counter to what happens to you, I guess, is um, I'm using the might to get in the positions to force out strikes, to yes. force out throw yes. defenses. Yep. Like I'm spending my might proactively yes forcing um reactive yes Um, yeah and like you know i've got three castellans fighting a theta and he has to spend a point of might to roll the six you know he rolls a five so he has to bump it up yeah stuff like that i guess so even though i was very might light i guess i was able to in enough occasions force it from my various opponents
1: yeah cool cool so it's a pretty
0: diverse list
1: Mm. um was there anything that performed particularly well? Like, did the spiders do what you wanted them to do?
3: Yeah,
0: this is this is interesting because you look at the five-two spiders and you get worried, mm. and the huge base, right? They, mm. if your opponent gets there, they are fighting four or five models against you one spider, and they're never winning because they're five-two. Yeah. Um, because you know the spiders are so fast, terrain-wise as well, mm. they were better than I thought. They okay. did so much better than I thought because you couldn't. Uh, you could make sure they weren't caught out, and then that um, sort of venom web spray—it's mm. just a one in three chance to delete a model. Yeah, like it's, pretty it's good. not literally. It's pretty good. But your strength three, your strength five, rather reroll ones. You're dealing double attacks. So, and of course, like like in Damo's game, it was huge. Like it was crutch. It got deleted. Theodrid's might. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it sort of performed two roles. You run into it into an inventory. One in three shot. They're dead. Yeah. And if they're not, your two attacks, they're probably one and they'll still do okay. And if you,
1: so the way it works with cav is that they're essentially knocked off their cav and their as well. Right. Yeah, so it's huge.
0: Which I think I did get one of the Royal Guard off the yeah, horse yeah, and just right. on their butt. Yeah, slower. Um, and he had another lad come up and shield for him. But mm. it was, again, it was still like a model doing what it should. Yeah. It was, they were very strong, I would say.
1: The, the other one that I'm interested in is the Wags. In the sense that they're not necessarily the hitters, but they provide you a lot of utility. So, yeah. like, how did you find that they were a really great tool to have all the time? Or were there only situations where you're like, oh, glad that I've got them, but other times kind of take it or leave it?
0: No, no, I think I, I think the Wags also overperformed. Now, I mean, every part of my list ended up overperforming, so this is hard. The Castellan, you know, would clump in the clump in the spot and say, We control this zone. Yep. Easy peasy. Yep. And your opponents tend to have to funnel resources there and stuff. The WAGs being so cheap, mm. I mean nine points a model's not are they eight? Eight or nine points a model. Eight, yeah. Um it's not like dirt cheap, but it's pretty cheap. Yeah. So I had just 45 points, you know, just running around the board, controlling which all these different sections. Like, you know, in the in the first domination game, mm. the WAGs were enabled to trap on Gandalf Mm. where, you know, any other model wouldn't have been able to, they wouldn't Mm. be able to reach. Mm. Um, And then in the second game, they fainted that dwarf and then ran around and ended up claiming my opponent's back uh, board. Like it's so little points invested for such a, a, such a fast model. And it was interesting because you just go Wags worse than Cavalry, right? You just assume that in the last game, it was pretty heavily forested against Mm. Rohan. Mm. My wags were moving five inches through the forest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a legitimate difference to yeah. the poor cab going yeah. 2.5. It's like, interesting that wag riders go 2.5. And like, yeah.
1: <laughs> kind of, it kind of makes sense, but it's also quite funny to, to think um, of But yeah, that, that's a really good point. They're yeah. just so mobile. Right.
0: Um, so like they, they gave me the board control that mm. what is otherwise a death ball army mm. can't do. So I was sort of able to get the best of both worlds. Mm. I had my death ball. Yep. And I had some objector taggers yeah
1: um, yeah, so the, uh, yeah. The, Sp- speaking of the death ball, uh, <laughs> let's, let's talk about the castle in the room um, Castellans, right so people look at the the profile and I certainly look at the profile and go oh, okay so this is like it's a tank this is a tank right. it's not it's not going anywhere but you were saying something interesting off air you have a slightly different take on what the Castellan's actually all about
0: well, uh, definitely after playing with them but I kind of thought this going in so you know you look at the profile you go one wound but 12 fate mm. what's a tantamount to 12 fate you know, what's that, the D- they're D7 aren't they D- uh, D6 oh D6 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. they have an 8 weakness. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so what's tantamount to what's that 6.5 wounds I guess yeah. you would say yeah Yeah. Um. they you go know, that's a defensive model that's there to tank that's there to hold ground yeah but I mean, look at the front part of the stat. Fight five and strength five. Mm. Two attacks. Mm. That's the profile of an Uruk captain. Mm. And they showed it. Mm. The, uh, I, so throughout the day, I had two to three people ask me like, oh, how tanky are they? You know, are they living up to that expectation? They're living up to that expectation because they're beating everyone else to death. Mm. They are the hitter of the list. They mm. were stomping. Mm. Dwarves, doesn't matter. You know, defense nine. Who cares? Take it off the board. The, the the Arnorians, two to three wounds of combat. Malbeth was like, I can't keep up with all these yeah. saves. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the Rohirrim, even though like the, the defensive heroes, because the Rohan have t- pretty tough defensive heroes. Yeah, are on fives. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Chop. Um, the, it, and and then the counter to it is they are in fact tanky as well. Like, it's they've, they've got this interesting. It's like a, it's an interesting model because they're just absolutely choppy. And then if they do happen to get hit by an elf lord, they can tank a turn or two. Yeah, like they've got a lot going on for a 40 point model. Yeah, <laughs> I guess we'll say uh,
1: it's it's for, like you say for 40 points, there's a lot that they can actually do, and there's so many different ways that they can fulfill that role, right?
0: Yeah, and I, I think they're it, it, it's just a balancing act of. How many castellans to how much of the rest of the force? Because you know the Deathball would you know ghosts can only go so far. Yep. If my list was fifteen castellans and a Witch King, I think I would have done abysmally. Yeah. But but adding the speed elements and, and adding the speed supporting orcs, I think yeah, I think it's like a balancing act because they're very bloody good. Yeah. You know I'm you know compare it to an Uruk Captain sixty points I'm under under spending twenty, mm. like it's a bargain. Mm. But they can only do one thing yeah they do it well um but uh yeah yeah so very good and we haven't talked about it but what did you win <laughs> well i won uh sword very so good. apparently dicky uh robbed a robbed thorin of his sword and ran away through the night and brought it in as an award so very good very uh good. i was pretty excited to be to be hefting it around um it's obviously it's one of the like sturdy foam ones. Not it's not very a, sturdy. It's very sturdy. I like, was very surprised. You could do some damage with that thing. Um, so sort of at the the tournament, like sort of wrap up, I was just swinging it around, <laughs> having a good time. <laughs> um, Best way to end the day. But no, it was it was terrific to win sort of first place with like a an interesting army. Yeah, first yeah, of yeah. all, and and what what you know we both sort of thought maybe going into it might be subpar, but. Uh, Interestingly, you know, you sort of saw that across all the armies as well, which was great to see.
1: Yeah, and I think the, the other thing is that um, when you take a kind of a left field army, it doesn't matter if you're versing a new player or a seasoned vet, you can mm. throw people off their guard yeah.
0: because you like they don't have the default response to it. Yeah, um, and that, that's true. I guess that showed in like Jim's game. Mm. Where he goes, I'm Arnor, I'm pretty tanky. I'll set up at the line. Yeah, and then he goes, "Oh, wait a minute, you know, I don't want to be here. I'm missing Castellans. I should be at the. I should run away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I, I guess that's yeah, very true.
1: So I guess that's it for the Wizards Curse.
0: Done and dusted. Good tournament.
1: Great tournament. Always good fun and great to see again the 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 good thing even though it wasn't so long ago that we uh, had a tournament at throw the dice there were heaps of new faces yeah. at this one
0: um a bunch traveled like i know the the white brothers they actually traveled a decent amount to get here yeah
1: they're up in kyneton yeah um, that's which right it's like an hour and a half two hours north
0: yeah and of course we had um a couple of the melburnians jump down yeah
1: some different melburnians though. yeah yeah
0: we, um, we swapped uh, the, the international champ for, for Josh, who's like the... The local champ the, of the, the last, last few <laughs> tournaments... <laughs> Who's yeah? one that had won the last like
1: three in a row. I think. Yeah, yeah. So again, like, great to get some seasoned veterans down, um, and and see them, and and also really good to see a couple of new players as well, um, from yeah. the kind of local local area as well. So, and, and a
0: couple of brush past the tournament, um, to have a look as well. Which yes, which is enough to rope them in. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that, yeah, That was also terrific. To see. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So I hope that, and I'm I'm fairly certain that, um. Uh, Richard Dickey from Throw the Dice is going to uh, put together at least one, if not a, a couple more, um, Lord of the Rings tournaments throughout the year.
0: And and I guess before we end it, uh, I'd also like to say, like, well done to Dickey for throwing together some fun and interesting uh, little rule additions. Yeah, it's yeah. a shame uh, the Berserker King <laughs> <God>. <laughs> it was a bit of a whiff. You know, what? we had the dream.
1: Maybe maybe it's better that it never happened. You know? Yeah, because uh, then we'd be
0: just, like, ragtagging the, the rule, you know? Oh, God. Well, I guess we'll never know. We'll never know. Uh,
1: but let's talk uh, upcoming tournaments. What what have we got next up for the next episode?
0: So, the next episode is going to be huge. We have the Silmarillion.
1: This is the premiere event on the Victorian, and perhaps... Uh, the Australian. World. Well, I, was to, I was going to say Australian, if not Southern Hemisphere, uh, calendar. The universe. Well. All right, too far. Right, too far. <laughs>
0: um, no, but the sill is it's bloody terrific. Um, so for the um, international listeners, for the international listeners, this is a narrative themed, you know, uh, team based yes um, tournament. Yep. Which is
1: and we, and when we say team based, so um, it's not you're still playing one v one, but you're part of a bigger collective. So your victory counts towards your team as opposed yes. to your own kind of tournament win. So it's it, there's a lot of camaraderie, mm-hmm. um, okay. and, and there's like this real kind of shared and collective narrative. Yeah. Um, and so it's my favorite tournament of ever. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah,
0: it's the the tournament that when they post. I'm yeah. in. Yeah. I, I, I tag that, you know, green box. I'm there. Locking the dates. Um, it's it's just so much fun. The, the atmosphere is always really good. Yeah. It, it, has, it has that idea that like, you know, you're trying to win mm. for your team. You don't mm. want to let your team down. But if you lose, look, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Somebody else is going to pick up the pieces. Yeah. Surely. The rest of my team's good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it does. <laughs> it means that
1: the, like, the competitive... Uh, dial is turned down Turn slightly down. Um, and and that means that I think the, the stories get turned up like those chance moments of battles turning yep. in somebody else's yep. favour it it just makes it so much more um,
0: memorable. Yeah, so uh, keep an out for the next episode, uh, it's going to be a doozy.
1: It's going to be great. It could be a long one.
0: Alright, so in true Two Towers podcast tradition, we had to have had one error along the way. Absolutely. What is it this time, Albert? Well,
1: this time we forgot to record a very critical piece of our podcast, which is our own segment. We came up with this, Julie. Yes,
0: yes. Um, uh, and, and you've all been waiting on Dying Breath to hear who, who won
3: this.
1: Yeah, I, I know. You've been listening for over three hours and you're Just saying... for the hobby hero
0: of legend. Who is the hero of legend? Where is it? Well, good news. We've got the hobby hero lined up, and the winner is Joshua, Joshua Coleman
1: again. Wow, he's uh, he's won two for two, two for two. Because we didn't have it in the first episode, and we? you know
0: what? You know what took it over the line uh, with Joshua Coleman? I think it was the display boards. It was definitely both times. The boards. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, word
1: word to the wise: if you want to become a hobby hero of legend, build yourself a display board. Get the display board going. Come and show us the display board. Come and to the tournament.
0: And, yeah, you've got to be at the tournament. We that also do.
1: helps. Yeah. And and then you're a shoo-in. Now, we're not <laughs> saying that you definitely will because I'm expecting, I'm fully expecting, that after this episode goes out, people will flock to their
0: hobby yes. yeah, setups
1: yeah. and begin mass manufacturing
0: uh, display boards. Look, we've got a lot of gravitas here at the 2000s Podcast. I think... One hundred percent of the people who listen are going to be making display boards. You know,
1: I'm I'm fairly certain that's why Josh made the display board in the set in the in this episode. Even though this episode wouldn't have been released released yet,
0: he still knew Inception. Yeah, he's got it. No, but but obviously, congratulations to Josh for coming. It was very close. Um, Do you want to do you want to spoil the runner up? Yeah. So
1: the honourable mention definitely was uh, Nathan Rhodes. Yeah. Um, he was running Thorin's company. The Thorin's company. And, I'm not sure if we talked about that, but yeah, it was beautiful.
0: Yeah, I think we mentioned it when we mentioned his um, Thorin, who was no, not Thorin, sorry, Dwylan, Dwylan, who was up for up for best model. Yeah, um, just skin tones were just on point. Yeah, they all had different colors, and yeah. it, it was all just crisp as yeah. it can be. But yeah. uh, Joshua had he had the grandiosity of like two walls broken down, water effects, yeah. um, positioned the arches up on the top. Um, and, and I'm also going to give him a little shout-out as well for being um, a terrific sport as well. After, you know, we between rounds, between hearing who actually won, we tallied up scores, as you do, because you mm. want to get that inside scoop. And Joshua had sort of determined that he got second to me, and he, like, literally came up to me and said, well done on the win, shook my hand. Very bloody gallant, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah a good. true gentleman,
2: as, as you
0: would have heard
1: in... Uh, the interview that I had with him. Yeah. Um, nothing but a gentleman and, um, you know, a an upstanding uh, hobby, hobby hero of, of legend. legend. Well deserved. I think that definitely wraps up the episode now. No. We haven't forgotten anything else. And if we have, no. um, you know, just keep it to yourself. Wrap up 3.0 coming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, until next time, have fun hobbying.
0: Have fun gaming. See you, See you later. later.